Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Patrick Randolph, Dinty, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Frodo NL, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, oh. Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulen, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Jenna Ferrin, Rob Inman, Alan Murphy, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Perry Steggy, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon and happy Halloween, everybody. I can't think of anything scarier than unleashing the faces on the panel today. We do not need our masks to frighten the children. Happy Halloween, Coconuts! Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world. All right, it's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's Coco Talk. Everybody, welcome, and happy Halloween to another exciting, I don't know if we can use the word exciting, but another episode of Coco Talk is here. It's Halloween. We've got a very frightening panel for you. No makeup or mask required. This is all natural. <laughs> Starting with our panel in the top left-hand corner, but on the bottom of the world. He likes Vegemite. He likes to say, Oh, Rocky. And he's stuck inside a CRT. Ladies and gentlemen, it's David O'Connor. G'day, David. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me? I hope you can. Oh, yeah. Yes, we can. We can. We have got a guy who does not need to wear a fake beard. Rick Euland is with us. Howdy, folks. Welcome to the program. This is a guy who likes pipes. I don't know what he likes, but he's here. He's talented. <laughs> he's creative. It's Rob Inman, everybody. Rob? Good morning, Stevie. I hey, thought you Rob. said you were going to put on a mask. <laughs> <laughs> We've got sure. our resident xenomorph, Alan Murphy, is with us, sticking a tongue out at you. Howdy, howdy, everyone. All right, we're doing good. A man <laughs> whose name is so nice. 
We must say it thrice. His hair is looking dreamy. It's none other than... Nick Marona. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back, Nick. Always mm-hmm. a pleasure to see you. We've got a guy who's got a garage. He's got a couple of tandies. He likes art. He's got a wife who tolerates him. What else can we say? It's Ron Delvo! here and you're here that's right we got a guy who likes to get books and cocos and all kinds of stuff on ebay it's brian weaser everybody how you doing brian hello hello happy uh, coco ween happy coco ween to you from the great white north where is it getting cold at this point l curtis Boyle, welcome in and how's it, it going eh it's it's briefly getting cold. Like it's been kind of like it's been forty plus mile an hour winds all night, and it's you know hovering just above freezing. But we're supposed to be back up to like fifty five, sixty by Monday, Tuesday. So. Ah, okay. Not well, quite yet. Thanks for being here. We have our backup streamer and engineer, all around nice guy and well dressed individual, Mark Bosley's with us. Hello, Mark. Hello. I'm the scariest thing on the planet is somebody not wearing one of these. <laughs> that is so true. What, what can we say about this next guy? How about we start off by saying... Bless your heart. Bless your heart, everybody. It's the <laughs> vice president of the Glenside Calore Computer Club, Terry Steggy's with us. Hey, Terry. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you. Nice to see you wearing a mask. It looks good. Um, Steggy... Steggy... I can't speak. It's Steggy Steggerino. That's it. That's it. There we go. <laughs> We've got a guy who likes doing some hardware projects from time to time paul t barton's with us hey paul how you doing hey wonderful we have the creator of clowns and balloons with us today mr steve bjork how are you sir oh hanging in there folks uh interesting day all i can say is about it's halloween but it doesn't feel that way and it is couldn't agree with you more hey we got a guy who makes software and programs and and games and demos and all kinds of stuff. He looks like he got a haircut today. Paul Shoemaker joins us today. Hey, Paul, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks for being here. I don't remember inviting you, but hey, you're here, so that's fine. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know the password. I just come when I want. <laughs> Note to self, change password. Right. We got another guy who likes to say, Oh, Rocky! And I think he's got one of his latest pieces of crap software is going to be releasing today. We'll hear about that later in the show. The Thunder from Down Under, Nicholas Morantes. Good night. Good night, everyone. Hey, I, I had a haircut today, too, but it's, <laughs> I, I've lost track which one it was. Someone, yeah, someone, someone reported you for, for getting a cut, too. Apparently. Yes, apparently. <laughs> All right. And I'm not sure. He, he's muted. I'm not sure if he's actually here or if this is a hologram projection, but James Jones. Are you here, James? You gotta unmute if you're here. Try it again. Okay, I like to think I am. Yes. Hey, oh, James. Hey, hey, James. Ladies and gentlemen, hey. for the first time in recorded history on Coco Talk, we've got James Jones. <laughs> hey, James. I don't know if I don't know if you want to do this is your life or not. We're gonna put you on the spot. Or you want to save uh, that for later? Let's save that for later. I, this really was me trying to get on just a little bit before the show. <laughs> but remembering my most recently changed passwords for some things made it on the show. Oh, All right. Well, welcome here, James. We're glad to have you. Um, yep. Glad kept, to be. Um, other than working on Nitrous 9, I'm sure you've done some other redeeming quality things in your lifetime. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I like Nitrous 9, too. 
Welcome here. We're glad to have you. L. Curtis Boyle likes Nitrous 9, doesn't he? A little bit. A little bit. Oh, uh, so. <laughs> Most days. And we've got a bunch of people in the live chat on this Halloween. We've got AC's 8-Bit Zone. We've got Mark B. We've got Ken Reichard, author of the game Nightmare Highway. We've got Mark. So Mark Overholzer is our resident Apple guy. We have deemed our resident Atari guy, Sloopy Malibu. He's in the chat. 8-Bit's in the basement. Robert Boyle. Robert Sieg is in the live chat. Robert's been doing some incredible uh, image conversions for the Coco 3 and the MC10. AC's 8-Bit Zone. Brian Weasler's out there. Tim Franklin's out there. Rob Inman. TJB. Chris is out there. Ken Riker. Jim Rye is out there. Frodo NL is out there. Nimble is out there. Canadian Retro Things. Rob Inman. Dave and Sharon. Retro Innovations, Jim Brain, president of Glenside Color Computer Club. And uh, you name it, you guys are out there. Thanks for being here today. It's Halloween. This is the first time that Coco Talk has actually aired on an actual Halloween. So we are celebrating by bringing you some of the scariest faces in the retro uh, space. So far, so good. All right, that's it. We've here, got nothing I'll, I'll else help to talk in my about. case. Is, it, is this better? Yeah, we got nothing else to talk about. Good night, everybody. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's star. <laughs> All right, and there's your show. All right. A bit never- <laughs> <laughs> All right, so James Jones, we're not going to put you on the spot, but anytime you want to chime in, we, we, we probably want to schedule, but you're welcome to today if you want to play this as your life. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you used to do, what you're doing now and stuff, but no pressure, no, no worries. Um, so... I'm sorry. What's that, James? I appreciate that. All right. So we'll we'll just save that for your for your uh, discretion. Um, it's Halloween. Do we want to talk before we get into? Since we don't really have anything to talk about today, other than game on and news, which is surprise, surprise. Um, anybody want to talk about favorite Halloween moments, uh, either as an adult or as a child, or how? Uh, retro Halloween moments, or even if it's not Coco-related, like Steve Bjork does his Haunt Hackers, and he's got a whole Halloween business. Do we want to have some Halloween discussions before we get into gaming and newsing type stuff? Anybody? Uh, one little quick one for me. Uh, mm. When the Coco 3 first came out, I actually used the H-screen for the four-color 640 mode, and I drew, it's actually up on the archive, too. It's, it's just like, you know, six pumpkins basically with the pallets using doing the flickering you know candlelight inside and i stuck that up my my bedroom window used to be right by our front door the entrance to the house when kids came trick-or-treating they would they would come and see this so i'd have it just propped up there just a little animation and some of the really younger kids because this is not when computers were too popular at homes there some of the kids the really young ones would walk up and they'd completely forget to ask for candy they'd be busy watching the pumpkins there and their parents would go oh no you have to ask for candy say trick-or-treat so that would be the one funny Coca-related one I had. Yeah, that was, was, that was, was that only six pumpkins? We've got 16 of them here today. We're doing much better. <laughs> yeah, we can all I think you're confusing pumpkins <laughs> with eyesores, but sure. <laughs> pumpkins, yeah. We've got a panel full of pumpkins today, folks. Some of them need their faces carved completely off, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Some of them already have it. <laughs> Oh, uh, I'm just, I'm going to take a wild guess and say, Ron Delvo, you're a very yeah. creative guy and imaginative yes. guy. What kind of Halloween stuff have you done in your life that comes to mind? Well, let's see. Uh, if you go to my Facebook uh, profile, you'll see a tank I made for my son. Oh, that's cool. It very was cool. about Thanks 1990 or so. Yeah. And uh, I had a bunch of styrofoam because I used to make styrofoam signs. 
you know, letters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I put together a tank, and uh, he was so they were uh, so enamored with it at school that they asked him to lead the parade around the school. You know, so he had all the ghouls and the ghosts and stuff behind him, and he had this tank. He could stand up in it, holding the sides, and it looked like he was sitting outside of the hatch. You know, it had a hatch open, and it had the gun sticking out. No, that's cool. cool. Yeah. And what was it made out of, like poster board and stuff? or Styrofoam. Like styrofoam. Ah, oh, neat. Yeah, inch yeah. and a half styrofoam sheets. I cut yeah. it up and painted it. And uh, it looked just like a tank. Styrofoam doesn't melt in Arizona. Yeah, when, no, this, this was in Rochester, New York at the time. When when uh, when I was a kid, the, the, the costumes were basically, they came in a box. You had kind of like a nylon vinyl jumpsuit um bodysuit thing and then you had like a little plastic mask with a rubber band on it and that was your costume and they were pretty lame it was either a skeleton or a pirate or just really lame things but um not having a lot of money as a kid my mom would make all of her costumes so we had all homemade halloween costumes and at the time i was really embarrassed because like oh man i got this homemade costume this welfare outfit because i don't have the cool <laughs> you know popeye to sailor or whatever is cool that year but when you think about it now that's what they call cosplay you know i mean everybody spent a lot of time designing their custom costumes and these were really cool costumes i mean one year i was superman and i had like the blue shirt and she did like felt so i had the s and a cape and they made boots out of like vinyl or something and it was a really cool costume when you look back i mean i liked it but i wasn't embarrassed about the costume i was just kind of embarrassed that we didn't have the store-bought stuff you know but we had really cool costumes as kids one year my brother was a lone ranger and i was superman i remember one year um i think my brother was in a school play and he was the tin man and they made a whole costume for him out of like poster boards so he had like the articulated armor for his body and so i said my parents were pretty creative and we had some really cool costumes growing up uh, one year I was Frankenstein and they got some of that wax putty on my forehead and like drew lines in it with a pencil and like put scars on my forehead and all kinds of stuff. And I had like a shirt with shoulder pads and stuff and I would walk around, you know, so they did some kind of cool stuff to make us up for Halloween. So that's like, that's a cool memory I have. Um, no pictures, up. huh? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there's pictures in my parents' photo albums. I know. I don't know that I have any, but yeah, I know we still have some of those pictures. That'd be a cool one. Um uh, Anybody else have any cool Halloween memories? I never did a lot of Halloween-specific Cocoa stuff. I remember doing Christmas demos and birthday demos, but I don't ever remember making any Halloween demos back in the day. So, St Steve Bjorg might have a few Halloween stories to tell us. <laughs> oh, every year I kept working harder and harder on my display, but the thing that kept bugging me is that you could kind of see the house in the background of the display. So what I did is I went through and built a two-story ghost town out of wood and everything and then put that in front of the house oh, so neat. the house was hidden and now you had this thing of course it's not like a walkthrough thing but i could use it to um you know i put skeletons and other things up on the balconies and in the windows and and all that stuff and everybody would come by every, can i go through your ghost town <laughs> i go it's not a ghost town to go through you just look at it and um then one year I got even more aggressive. I built a fence and made it look like there's a hole in the fence. And then that had a rear projection screen there. So I could project on it, uh, skeletons dancing in the go, you know, dancing around in the graveyard and stuff like that. 
And people would just come by and look and go, how in the heck did you do that? Because everybody's looking for the camera that would be in front where the people are, but it's rear screen. And they were, they were quite impressed. And actually, if you want to do a cheap form of a rear screen, um, screen, just buy yourself a plain vanilla, uh, shower curtain. One of these that's not see-through, but is kind of, um, frosted. Yeah. And they work great as a rear screen projection screen. Cool. Of course, I went and actually bought the rear screen projection screen because, hey, I'm professional. I have to do it right. You're on the wrong show then. (laughs) (laughs) But between, uh, uh, you know, getting a little older and, you know, body not working as well as you want. And, of course, with the uh, quarantine, uh, nothing this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of unfortunate. You know, COVID has ruined a lot of stuff, not just Coco Fest and all kinds of other events, but it's ruined Halloween, man. Yeah. And well, uh, about a month ago, um, LA County announced that giving out candy, you know, trick or treating was going to be banned this year. And I guess they got a lot of complaints because three, three years or three days later, they reversed and said, we do not suggest you do it. Right. We're not banning it, but we don't suggest you do it. Now, yeah, so this year we have to worry about getting the Rona on our candy. When I was a kid, they used to always make you afraid of things like, well, somebody might put a razor blade in an apple, and you know, or you might. So I remember hearing all these horror stories. Poison in the candy ear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, poison well, in your candy, or getting a red hot pennies they throw in your hand to burn your hands. I'm thinking, who the hell did this, and how could you get away with this kind of crap? But the the, the freaking horror stories I remember hearing as a kid between poison candy, razor blades in the apple. Red hot, white hot penny stone in your hand. I mean, like, they just scared the crap out of you before you even left the house, you know? So, uh, it, yeah, it is kind just, of, it is kind of funny, though. Back in the day, I, uh, my girlfriend was into Halloween, too, and we rented an upstairs of a duplex. So we did the hallway up with, you know, corn stalks and the handrails and loud music and dry ice smoke and the whole bit. And, uh, you know, bats running down wires so you could scare the kids and kid comes up to the top and i give him some candy and i give him my best (laughs) and he (laughs) digs the candy out of his pumpkin and throws it at me Ah. runs back down the stairs (laughs) wow that was his only weapon huh (laughs) the evil man (laughs) i've got i've got one kind of similar to that back in i think it was 88 maybe 89 when Michael Keaton's Batman came out, I was working at Radio Shack. So our uh, shopping center had a big trick-or-treat thing. And so I dressed up as the Joker <clears throat> all out. And uh, every little boy was Batman that year. So uh, one little boy, little bitty guy, he's probably three, comes up and he's like, are you the Joker? <laughs> and I'm giving him candy. And I said, of course, had to do the laugh. And uh, um as I'm giving him his candy, he hauled off and just kicked me right in the shin. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing, uh, to be honest, I wanted to reach in and get a few of that candy, but I didn't do it. <laughs> well, it is trick or treat, so the tricks are going to be a little tough sometime. Yeah, <laughs> nobody, but nobody really wanted a trick. Every kid wanted treats, right? So, yeah, we would have. Um, Typically about 700 to 1,400 kids come to our house every year. 
Wow. And our candy bill was hundreds of dollars. Wow. <laughs> Not just because we gave, gave every kid a candy. No, my wife would give up to five pieces of candy based on how cute your costume was. No, it was a merit system. <laughs> God, God forbid you came in a welfare costume or something, huh? So <laughs> go away, kid. You bother me. <laughs> You'd have to give him pain. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Here's your soap. Right. Here's some soap. <laughs> Used to be when I went, uh, there was this one person somewhere in the neighborhood that made, uh, you know, popcorn in a big ball. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Homemade sticky. popcorn. Right? And yeah. then you have all your good candy who's stuck to it. Ah. You know? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, times are different, man. Now nobody wants... You can't bring unwrapped food. And that's why when you're talking about banning, giving out candy, I mean, as long as the candy's wrapped and sealed, hopefully it's okay, you know, but who knows, right? So... Yeah, the... I, uh, but, of course, we'd have all types come by, and we would have these 14-year-old boys that they put a little bit of uh, shoe polish on their face or something like that and that was their costume mm. and those were the ones that would get the really yucky pieces from the bags <laughs> that we had I still gave them candy <laughs> but you know it was like you know the black licorice this or <laughs> other things or, like that that or you know, parents would get upset their kids got and uh they would always get, get that. That's sure. Right. Yeah. Like and of course, licorice. you know, the thing is, they would start eating that uh, black licorice, and pretty soon their lips are as uh, blacked out as much as their faces from the yeah. shoe polish they put on. I've never been a fan of the black licorice or the black jelly beans. I don't know why. It's just. Oh, I love black jelly beans. It's a bitter taste. They're man. my favorite. It's, bitter. it's surprising uh, how different people's tastes are. I mean, I, I heard somebody, I think it was on the Amigos uh, Discord, they were describing what their worst Halloween candy because some people pick candy corn, some people pick black licorice. Some people picked a Tootsie and said, it looks like a turd and it tastes like one too. <laughs> Which is the clean end? Yeah, right. That's like on Christmas getting fruitcake. <laughs> oh, I love fruitcake. Oh, I love fruitcake. Fruit so, yeah. Seriously, awesome. hang on to the fruitcake and re gift it next year. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I mean, I'll they'll be done in a I've week. I've had some yeah, really good fruitcake. Yeah. Had some Same really here. Good the alcohol will be more potent in a yeah. year's time. <laughs> more fruitcake. Uh, yeah. Carl. Carl Lafferty is here saying, I finally made it to a live episode. Welcome, Carl. Yeah. Halloween memory, yeah, and, and so I, you know, you have your Halloween memories when you were a kid. Of course, I've had some Halloween memories with my kids. That that's been kind of fun too. Nowadays, the costumes you buy, even you know, off the shelf, are so much more elaborate than they used to be. Um, some really cool costumes. We've got we've got so many costumes now. We got a bag of costumes in the garage to choose from. Um, but yeah, it is unfortunate. Like our neighborhood, even before COVID, our neighborhood did not have a lot of kids here where I live now. So we would not have more than when I took the kids around oh, my neighborhood, geez. we wouldn't have maybe 10 houses out of like four blocks that oh, would yeah. actually have candy, which was kind of lame. So we ended up like going to other places or like some gated communities and stuff. We were just like go to somebody else's that had a good neighborhood to take the kids to get some candy, you know, so uh, things you got to do. Find a neighborhood with the full size candy. Bars. Yeah, and then they have right. they have these things now that they call trunk or treat, where it's kind of like everybody brings stuff, and they like just you know it's kind of you kind of go around everybody's car, and then they're giving you candy yeah, out of the trunk and stuff. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. So yeah. different things. Or they're doing yeah, the drive by our candy. 
Yeah, we did have one guy on the other side of my block that would give out the full size like Hershey bars, and so that was like the the kids knew oh, we got to yeah. hit that house. We're going we're going this way first because we got to get to this guy's house first because he gives out the full size candy bars, not the fun size, right? So not, not, did you cheat fun. like we did where we'd switch costumes and go back to get more of the full size? candy <laughs> No, but bars? I carry right. when I walked with the kids, I carried a bag too. So we had like three bags. So I was I was getting an extra dose for them too, and then we'd just go home, throw it all on the table, and sort it all out because. Different people like different things, and then mom and dad would get all the crap that the kids didn't like, you know. So, <laughs> do you know what looks just like chocolate and that you can give away on Halloween? Uh, I'm afraid yeah. to ask, Ron, but what is X Lax? X Like three days after uh, Halloween, your neighbors are going, Ah, uh, oh, crap. My kids can't, can't make it to school today. Oh, what's going on? Well, oh, they're just they're stuck to the bathroom. Smooth move, Ron. Ron's the one your parents warned yeah. you about. Well, I tell you what. One year we did a we did a Minecraft thing where um, my my daughter Megan went as Steve, the main guy from Minecraft, and I was a creeper, and I painted my face green and did the square eyes and a square mouth and stuff, and I put on like camouflage clothes, and so we did a homemade Minecraft costume one year, and it was kind of cool. So, well, just to show you how big Halloween is, and like that. Uh, you know, spirit stores that pop up for two months every yeah, Halloween. Yeah, my daughter's working on one right now. Yeah. Uh, those are owned by Spencer's Gifts. Mm. And I did not know that. And the thing is, they make more money out of the spirit for those two months than the entire year out of all the Spencer's. Wow. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. That's where I got my, my yeah. stuff I'm wearing now. That's where I got my Rondelvo beard from. I think I think ours are called Halloween Express, but there is a spirit here too. But I think the one I've been going to now is called Halloween Express. It's the same thing. They 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 take over an abandoned shopping center. Like you, know, you close something down, they take it over for the two three months, and yeah. I'm sure they make a mint there. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah, mall rent versus an abandoned Menard store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah and the thing too is they do not discount their stock. You know, through Halloween. You know, they, they keep it at full price, unlike stores where they'll do 50% off sales. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, tomorrow. Right. Well, also, so t- if, t- if you need to get something, just go to a spirit and they'll probably still have it in stock because what they'll do is their plan is to always take back all the merchandise, they warehouse it, they have a website to try and sell it through the year. They don't have to get rid of everything before Halloween. Right. And they'll just sell it next year. So, <laughs> and the gold store next year. Yeah. 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 yeah like Did the day see? after Halloween is the best time to buy candy when you go to your grocery oh, yeah. store. You know, you get half off all the candy crap. So, but not, not at Spirit. Yeah. Right? So. <laughs> Did you see mm-hmm. Terry Steggy's um, message? Terry's got to go, right? Hey, take yeah. care, Terry. He said, he said, uh, hey, Terry. He was going to say, have a good time or something, but it got cut off right at the have. Oh, because he was warning <laughs> that he was going to lose cell coverage there yeah. in a second. Yeah. Have. Have. All right. Cool. Any more Halloween stories to share? Memories to share? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? My kids' Bueller. first we used Halloween to, was pretty to, good. They used to take a pillowcase. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. We would take the little neighbor kid and put him in the car and drive him to the big neighborhood so we could get all the candy he could. There you go. And it was way more than he could ever eat. So we just spread it out. To, <laughs> In the group, Alan, you're getting so, ready to so say the something. kid was the beard, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. 
Yeah, just was remembering my kids' first Halloween. Um, so I have twins, a boy and a girl. And f- what are you going to do for Halloween for that? Raggedy right? Ann and Andy, Tuesday and Wednesday yeah. Adams. Yeah, that's where you So we went with Thing 1 and Thing 2. Okay, there you go. Dr. Seuss, the cat in the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, my son was just fine with having his hair spray-painted blue. My <laughs> daughter threw the biggest fit probably of her life wow. from doing that. Until we actually got out the door. Once it was done with the spray and all that, then she was okay. But, yeah, that was uh, a lot of fun, just dragging them around as, as the things from the book. That's cool. Oh, I mostly did Halloween stuff when I was really pretty young, so it was more my parents dressing me up than me, you know, putting something on. I remember being uh, going out once as Gomez Adams. Oh, cool! Back back in the days, though. Actually, if you look it up, the whole rumors of uh, adulterated candy go back to the 1800s. Oh, wow! Uh, it appears to be an urban legend. Okay. Uh, there aren't really much in the way of real cases, but uh, I, I actually rather preferred the homemade popcorn balls myself. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, the, this legend thing about uh, problems with the candy, they go back to two of them, according to some researchers. One, parents telling their kids that so that the parents could inspect the candy to make sure they only ate them what they wanted to and how much. Right. And then, of course, too, was, you know, the uh, people that love to make up things and tell stories. <laughs> like the spider's eggs and bubble gum. Mm-hmm. I've never yeah. heard of that one. Oh, you suppose there's spider's eggs that was Hubba Bubba or something? I can't remember which brand was supposedly had it, but basically if you ate it, you would you would wake up in the middle of the night with spiders crawling out of your mouth because they would, you know, gestate inside no. your stomach and Is that like is that like <laughs> if you if you if you ate pop rocks and drank coke, your stomach would explode? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Billy never came back. Yeah, that one, that one's true. I know a kid that happened to blew him right up. Yeah, that's 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 supposedly what happened to Mikey from the Life Cereal. He died because he swallowed a Pop Rocks and drank a Coke, and his stomach exploded. So uh, <laughs> he didn't like that. I'm just reading in the chat here concerning that bubblegum spider eggs thing. It looks like depending on where you lived, it was a different brand. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, one one year, I got a kit for a skeleton hand that you could fit over your hand that had little pull rings and oh wow so the thing actually worked as a hand and i'd put my bathrobe on and i'd put a piece of candy in this hand and a kid would come up and i'd open that hand and drop it into his bag <laughs> i remember the ones faces. that looked like the talk the walking hand from the adams family what's his name what was the yeah, hand yeah. called was thing. that thing thing Thing. Yeah, they had like a robotic thing hand that would walk, and and the oh, early yeah. ones looked really bad, but the that's t- technology got better. They looked better, but it was like a really cheesy looking rubber hand. Yeah. Um, I used to love to buy um, when I would go to Disney World as a kid stuff from the Magic Shop too, and there was a like, cool stuff there too. Like there was um, the fake granite rocks that were made, that's made out of foam, but it looked like you were holding. You'd like go to throw it at somebody, and they get scared, and it was just a foam <laughs> granite rock, and of course like the rubber vomit. Um, the flies in the ice cube type stuff. Uh, there was one that Bobby was uh, the um, <laughs> the light bulb. It was like a real glass light bulb, and if you touch something metal to it, it would light up. So you could like hold a light bulb in your hand and make it light up and stuff. So I remember kind of little yeah, props yeah. like that that were kind of cool back in the day too. Yeah. 
I always wanted Don Post masks. Do you remember those things? They were like really expensive. Oh, yeah. And you would see them in all the the monster magazines, like Famous Monsters and Fangoria. I'd always see these really cool, expensive Don Post Studio rubber authentic masks. When I'd go to Disney World, I wanted the Star Wars mask. So I wanted C-3PO and Chewbacca and, and uh, you know, Darth Vader and Stormtrooper. And, my, and they were like 50 bucks a piece. And this is back in the 70s. And that was a lot of money. And my parents were like, you're not getting a $50 mask, you know, like... But I, I always wanted to start. And now I have them all now. Like when I became a bachelor, that was the first thing I got. I had every freaking Star Wars helmet across my mantle and stuff. But um, <laughs> I just remember wanting all those Star Wars masks, wanting the Don Post masks, like the really fancy, cool rubber masks that you could never afford because they were like $100. And that was $100 might as well have been a million dollars when you were a kid because there's nothing you were going to get that cost $100, you know. So, um who else is here? Canadian. Oh, Grape Hubba Bubba. Jim Rye saying Bubble Yum. Somebody's asking if we have pictures of Steve Bjork's uh, home haunt. I don't know if you have any pictures you can show, Steve, or point people uh, to the Not website. easily to get to right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rob Inman says, Jimmy Kimmel recommends inspecting the candy until it's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there were never any Snickers in my yeah. candy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, nobody in my house likes uh, bubblegum but me. So I get all the hand me down bubblegum from all the from the trick or treat bags and stuff. I love I love gum. Uh cool. Cool stuff. Oh Mikey's comment too. I did not die. He was talking about the pop rocks. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Oh there it's Mikey. It's Mikey. We're glad to hear that, Mikey. Full recovery. All right, so that's good. Uh, somebody in the chat's talking about who wants a Captain Kirk mask. Well, take that mask and flip it around so the white's going forward. And that was used in, I think it was Friday the 13th? No, it was Halloween. Halloween? Yeah. So you're yeah. saying that yeah, Michael I, Myers is an inverted Captain Kirk mask? Yeah. Right. I did not know that. Yep. Yeah. Watch it again. Oh, my goodness. It's yeah, not, it actually makes it even worse than it was before. <laughs> uh, if I sh can share my screen, I can show you my tank. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Let me stop sharing. Go ahead. Ron's going to show us his tank, everybody. Hopefully, that's not a euphemism. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for that. <laughs> oh, that is so oh, that's cool, cool, Ron. That is nice. really that's quality, man. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, that's good. Out. That is really cool. Oh, nice. oh, that's not just your average little. No, that's no. far out. There was that's two golden awesome. retrievers before. Ah, um, <laughs> before Pearl, muffin. huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is so cool, Ron. That's yeah. just awesome. So he stood up there and he held the uh, um, tank by the side. So he could walk. walk with it. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And that was Very before cool. I painted it. That's after. That was at school. Oh, my that's awesome. that is so cool. That is so awesome. Yeah, because yeah, if you have a talented parent, you can end up having things cooler than you could ever buy anywhere. You know, um, <laughs> I'll so agree with that. There's there's no way that you could buy something <laughs> like that. Uh, no, that's really classy. That well done. Far out, far out, far out. All right. Well, um, I guess we will go ahead and and as, as more Halloween stories and memories come to mind, I guess just just blurt them out randomly throughout the show as we move forward. But why don't we take a commercial break and then we'll come back with Nick Marota's favorite part of the show, the Game On Challenge results with Nick Marota. And I believe we've got a Coco Thoughts, a new Coco Thoughts that might either be Game On related and or Halloween related that uh, Samuel Gimes has a tendency of being quite topical. 
So we're gonna that. we're gonna run a. Um, you know what we're gonna do? Instead of running a commercial, even though it's not necessarily scary, it does have the word nightmare in the title. So for this break here, we're gonna enjoy the Nightmare Highway music video. I will have the panels mics open the entire time. So if you guys wanna sing along while the video plays, please do. So we're gonna enjoy the Nightmare Highway music video, the song that's sweeping the nation. And then we'll be back with uh, brand new Coco Thoughts by Samuel Geim in the High Score Challenge Game On results. Enjoy Nightmare Highway, kids. Some time to kill, might play a little Zach song. Might double back to play a little Temple of Rome. Dungeons of Daggereth, color baseball. But none can hold a candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. A little off. Sure, I love my sailor man and firefall. Go on a rampage for some super pitfall. Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack. But sooner or later, you know Sing I've along, got everybody. to come back. Nightmare Highway. Highway. Nightmare Highway. It's got a road, and it's got a car, it's got a car, furniture, and you'll be a pop star, oh, be a pop star, well, okay, maybe I just stick to the facts, to tell this truth, this game really ain't all that, nightmare highway, nightmare highway, nightmare highway, nightmare highway. I used to bow down to the Donkey King. Grabber and Cash Man used to be my thing. Mega Bug, Buzzard Bait, Sea Dragon 2. But none of those can satisfy me much as you do. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. <laughs> Retro Innovation says that Australian Nightmare singer has Highway. terrible timing. <laughs> He's got to come up way around the world, man. That's right. Playing on the offbeat, I believe. Nightmare Highway. Syncopated, man. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. This is why we can't have Nightmare Highway. <laughs> oh, the catch! Oh no, duck the catch! This will get us a YouTube ding. And now, <laughs> Coco Thoughts oh. by Samuel Gimes. <laughs> In the I hunt you and all your kids. The detector warns me and then I grin. And then I shoot again and you will find 
Phantom Slayer and your demise <laughs> is on my mind. <laughs> we outnumber you. You are no threat. Our power against you. Stronger yet, and when you turn corners, we're right behind. We phantoms in the twisted maze will come. You and you die. <laughs> the echo is not helping. <laughs> Goodness, my goodness. That's brilliant. Wow. Samuel guys. Absolutely fantastic. What did our ultimate well, music reviewer Ron think of that one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't sing at church and I don't sing at home. And uh, there's probably other people that shouldn't sing at all. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, you liked it, Ron. That's my little bit of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, and we've been joined by David Ladd. David, are you by any chance feeling excited about being here today? Oh, yes. And happy Halloween, everyone. Oh. Oh. All right. So say. one day out of the year, I can come out and play. <laughs> Somebody put him back. Put him back. Oh. Just, just one day. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what the results were this week for those who played Phantom Slayer. We are going to find out right now because it's time for the... All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Phantom Slayer with 20 scores submitted. Mark Bosley, 2. Adam Tandy Dragon Guy, 14. R. Ellen Murphy, 14. Cat Lord, 26. It is a low scoring game. Jim Rye, 26. For most of us. Me, 26. <laughs> Mr. Dave, 6309, 32. Tom C, 32. David Ladd, 42. Nice score. Ken Reichard, 44. Rogelio Perea, 70. Buck Owen, 72. 8 Bits in the Basement, 86. David Craker, 88. Low level, 88. Canadian Retro Things, 100. Tasman, 320. Z9K9, 436. Yes, I said Zed. Ben VR Drake, 654. And the number one score this week belongs to L. Curtis Boyle with 1,756. Excellent score. Thank you to all of this week's participants, and we'll see you next week. Blacking off, Curtis. We've seen the high score. Oh. By the way, Nick Baroda, I must wow. say, there was a lot of feeling in that video. I have no no, oh. no comments to make. Usually I'd say, could you kick it up a notch, but that was perfect, Nick. 
Perfect, Thank you. perfect, perfect. Lots of, lots of emphasis Energy. going on there. Yes. <laughs> Thank hey, you. I worked hard for that. Channeling his inner David Ladd. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. So, yes, as you see, uh, L. Curtis Boyle pretty much wiped the uh, floor with us this week. Boo. <laughs> his, his score is probably higher than the sum of the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. as I've mentioned, I, I, that was my jam back in the first third-party game I ever bought, so I played the living crap out of that thing. And that actually wasn't my highest score ever. If, if you guys saw in the Discord there, I well, posted, hold on, like, hold on, rainbow. hold on, hold on. Oh, you got that? Hold on. Oh, wait a second. Did uh, you, you make it to score? the rainbow? Yes. You see, hold on. Are you, you a poster my... boy? Okay, guys, you're blowing my shtick. Oh, sorry. Guys, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but really I will never be accused of blowing your shtick, Nick, just so you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, that is uh, not just, just wah, wah, wah. <laughs> You guys can see my screen okay? Yeah, we can see your screen, so but we don't want to see your shtick. Here's a score from back in the day, and we Michael have one and Brooke. two, but look at number three. Curtis Boyle, Curtis Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So, so That's right. right. Wow, Curtis is in print. He's in the bright lights. He is famous. That's why he's got such oh, an yeah. ego. Yeah. <laughs> has nothing to do with that, but thanks. <laughs> Still lives in the same town. Yep. So here's Canadian Retro. It won't let me out. I don't know why. Canadian Retro thinks did a video this week. Nice. I like how the colors came out in there. So uh, so anyway, guys, what did you think of the game? I thought it was very difficult. Uh, I plateaued at 26, and that was the best I was going to do. I don't know. I, I thought it wasn't that that hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let me talk to the know. other reasonable people who got <laughs> yeah, definitely Curtis, a low-scoring game. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure how I even got those two points. <laughs> you have to hit uh, one uh, phantom, one, right? One kill, right? No, one one, one hit is two points. One kill is ten. Okay, so one hit. You're a one-hit wonder. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a pretty well done maze game of that kind of maze game because uh, most of them are just the maze and then the monster really isn't all that amazing uh, the original version <laughs> had like just a floating eyeball I think on the old alto or whatever but uh, this one had you know with the, the sound tracker and everything else that went with it was a couple of steps above yeah, yeah, the sound really sound. makes this game. Now, now timeline-wise, did this come out before um, Dungeons of Daggerath? Yes, not by much. It came just a few months before. So this is one of the first ma 3D maze crawlers slash first-person shooters for the Coco. Yeah, came out in, uh, uh, what was it, about June or July of 82, I think. Okay. And Daggerath came more closer to the end of the year. And the sound piece is fairly unique, especially for the time. Um, the guys that make the Alien movie franchise just did a version called Alien Blackout, which is basically the same thing, but that was only released last year, and everybody made a big ballyhoo about that then. Yeah, and it's I think they just because they don't know that this game existed decades before. Hmm. What well, what key do you hit to get that full maze? F sharp. That one. <laughs> That's because you die, or you're starting to. Uh, yeah, you've died. So you, yeah, you you can see that screen if you get the energizer square, the green square. Because if you hit the energy, you'll you'll teleport back to the middle maze and you get to see where everybody is. And I think Nick, you were mentioning you, if you hit the D key without moving out of the square, you can see the maze after you kill a phantom. Is that true? I never got a chance to try because I, I didn't use that. No, I didn't say that. Okay, so I know somebody claimed that too. Yeah. I know in training mode you can hit it at any time, but there's no phantoms. That's just getting used to 3D graphics because that was a new thing back in '82. Mm. 
Now, Nick, uh, I, I sent you the link to the interview with Ken Kalish when he was talking about his sound design for the game and what the game was inspired by, which is a movie. Uh, did you get a chance to read that at all? Or? No, I did not. You want to give us the cliff notes of that, Curtis? Well, okay. Um, discuss the game briefly here while I fire that up here. But, okay. uh, it was right from the author himself. I interviewed him by mail like I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. In the meantime, Curtis discovered a little bug in the, in the uh, score display of the version that... Uh, yeah, I've, I don't remember it doing that back when I was playing, and I had the original tapes. I'm wondering if the version on the archive is corrupt. I'm going to have to restore my tape. I still have the tape version. I'm going to have to actually restore it and see if that still happens. Because I, when I got that 1800 score in Rainbow, it was fine. It didn't print any weird glitch, so I'll have to find yeah, out this, if somebody this, this should screwed show up it. copying oh, the game here. Let me so. fast forward a bit. Frame right off the computer. Meantime, I'll find my interview. I know the gameplay video for this isn't as thrilling since it's hard because you don't hear the sound. So yeah, that was my mistake. I should have. I forgot to turn it on. Plus, I started recording. Like, no, I don't usually do an hour sound. and a half into the game too. So. I don't usually do sound either. Okay. See the scores. Oh, yeah, the, the scores all wonky like that. Looks like it's got some fractions going on or something. And then uh, Ben VR Drake submitted the gameplay as well, and he hacked the palette. Yeah, that's cool. Coco 3. That's the palette that Nick Marentes and I did for the uh, palette hacking okay. launcher program. Okay. Yeah, I like that palette. That's cool. I'm kind of curious. Like did, did, did Ben use yeah. that rig that he's, that he's demoed to play this game, or did he, did he mention that at all? Didn't didn't he have that rig that you can kind of walk on or yeah, stand Yeah, he has the on? VR rig. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he did. I hadn't heard he did. Okay. So I might as well just read verbatim here. This is part of the interview, and I was interviewing about all of his games like Danger Ranger and Monkey Kong and a bunch of others. But um, uh, basically when I interviewed him about this one, this is one he was quite proud of. Like he he much preferred doing original arcade games. He did do some clones, uh, Mm -hmm. but he much preferred doing original ones. So he was quite happy with this one. Um, So he's talking about sound in his games in general. And one thing he says, finally, you add the explosions of sound to complete the effects of a game, then the scoring goes in. Scoring is not a trivial thing since the way you set values on the things influences what the player will be going after, which also affects the gameplay. And he says, Phantom Slayer is very different from an arcade game in that I started out trying to set a mood, a feeling. I wanted to make sure or make something where waiting and planning and maybe even nervously worrying were involved. The sound and the shapes were crucial elements, not just a cover story. I wanted to evoke the feeling of standing and wandering, wondering if that dangerous thing was just around the corner. Should I run up quick and look? While I'm looking there, will it come up behind me? As the game began to develop through trial and error, I wanted more and more to try and make it an emotional experience. And God, did that work on me? Yeah. I made the decision to try and elicit successive series involving heart-pounding anticipation, then all-out fighting involving a mix of fear and aggression, followed by unrestrained fleeing. And hey, it finally sounds like Coco Talk. Yeah, (laughs) and finally a period of catching your breath while you plan the next encounter waiting thinking wondering while creating the game i felt somewhat as if i were writing a movie but all of that wouldn't have worked if you were just a passive victim of course being armed made all the difference still having excess of firepower would have ruined things in the opposite direction made the game just into a plane shoot them up so there's a lot of time spent in deciding how many shots you could get in before you had to run and recharge how many hits a phantom would take and that gets quite high later on how fast you could run and how fast they could run, all trying to make it like a being in a movie. Ideally, a player would spend a lot of time in a game and at the end not have a clear idea of how much time they had spent, and that's true for me too. 
Uh, Phantom Slayer would not have worked in an arcade gallery. It was really meant to be played alone, alone preferably in the dark. <laughs> and then he goes, speaking of Phantom Slayer, did you ever see a movie called The Fearless Vampire Killers? No, I have not. I don't know if anybody else in the panel has. No. 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 Okay. And he says, well, I remember only the one scene where the good guys are being chased by what else? A vampire through labyrinthine hallways, not knowing if they would get too far ahead and take the wrong turn, might eventually end up facing the thing they're running from. So, yes, that part went into the game. It was really a comedy horror movie starring uh, with one of the stars being Sharon Tate, as in the Manson family, the infamous murders. Mm. And it was done by Roman Polanski. So that's the movie, the, the feeling of the movie. That was that one scene that inspired him to do Phantom Slayer. Interesting. See, that guy just took six hits. So, yeah, it starts getting more and more. I had a similar but almost opposite experience one time. I, I, I was playing back in the days of when Doom was a brand new game. So I'm playing Doom in my bedroom of my apartment in the dark for the full effect. And then I ended up having a really weird dream about being inside a maze, being chased by things. And then I kind of woke up and started um, sketching out the outline for like a whole novel and stuff like that. So and rather than a movie inspiring uh, a game, I had a game to me inspire a story based on a dream I had about being in that game. So That's a lot scarier than my friend who had a dream about Tetris pieces. Hey, when you're in a dream and you see a bathroom, don't use it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> brought to you by depends yeah. <laughs> See, i oh, have never i have one. never Nine seen times it. out of ten you'll actually use it really yeah. i That's got lucky no i always dream that i can't use it for time. some reason it's not usable and it's frustrating go. in the dream yeah go ahead james i got lucky once and woke up in time i felt <laughs> I, I i dreamed that i was you know in college and had to was about to go take a test and figured i'd better Stop by the facilities. In <laughs> that reminds me, speaking of like r- urban legends and like old pranks, but I remember like being in the Boy Scouts and stuff, all the stuff that we used to talk about. Oh, if you put somebody's hand in warm water, he's going to make him wet his bed in his knapsack. Or, you know, when you're sleeping in the uh, stuff and uh, or put shaving cream on their hand and then tickle their nose that way when they go to wipe their face and all the stupid <laughs> pranks and stuff you hear about in the, as a kid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> has anybody tried to put their friend's hand in warm water to see if they would pee themselves while they're sleeping anyone anyone so. I did show my brother <laughs> once and I just woke him up and he got mad <laughs> we did that university to some guy no but you could make Halloween faces on people sleeping with a marker yeah, yeah that's true did too. that too <laughs> I was late for a gig one day we were supposed to be touring on the road with the band I was in and, <laughs> and I hadn't woken up and one of the guys in the band was dripping water on my face to wake me up and that uh Woke me up and really annoyed me. I chased him halfway down the street and we belted the crap out of him for doing it. Wow. <laughs> uh, what, what was that one square where the floor was colored in with the solid color? Is that like the way out of the maze or something? That's no. the Energizer square that you can teleport back to the middle and you get a, a temporary temp, top view so you can see where all the phantoms are. Oh, okay. I've played this your game emergency a few hyperspace times. moment if you can find the square to energize. Yeah, I wasn't when when Nick announced this game. I wasn't that thrilled because I know I know technologically there's a lot of cool things about this game. I'm not going to say anything bad about the game. It's just not a personal favorite of mine, and I was really 
wanting to play Poltergeist this week, and that was a small project getting things set up to do. And then now that I finally was able to play Poltergeist, I regret the fact that I've been wanting to play Poltergeist all week. So <laughs> what a shite game that thing is. You know. so, um. <laughs> I, I want to ask people you know. on the panel, because I, I know like people are, that are fans of Dagger, that I'm fans of Dagger too. Like they were always said, you know, like hearing the wizard getting louder and louder as it gets closer. Yeah. Um, would would you give you anxiety and stuff too? Now, I always found, in my personal opinion, Phantom Slayer actually made me much more anxious than Daggerath ever did. Um, is that the same feeling that some people that. here that have got to play it, or is it the opposite? I would go with that because you get more um, you get more information in Daggerath about the kind of monster that's coming your way, even even with the torch out. When you, you know, sometimes you run out of torches and you got to go find some more, and you're running around the maze in the dark. It still did not seem as as uh, you know anxiety driven as this particular game. Okay. Anybody else? I have not played this enough to be able to have a comparison of my own. No. Oh, okay. I, I do remember though. Back in the day, I loved the these corridor games and then the related room maze games. Even on the most minimal computers, you could get a really good deep you know experience going on um i never got to this game but yeah daggerath was my I fave after all the the thing i do like about daggerath is there were certain psychological elements like the heart pounding your heart almost kind of mirrored that heart because you were as about as freaked out as your in-game persona was <laughs> i did like the idea of hearing the things it, 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 but uh, alan brings up a good point you knew what you were going to hear you knew what the spiders sounded like versus the blobs versus whatever um, the scorpions, but you still knew they were coming and you kind of had an idea of how far away they were by the volume. Of course, we didn't have stereo panning. That would be kind of, been kind of cool if you knew if they were, you know, to your left or to your right. But there were certain elements of that. And I think what worked good about Daggerath was the monochrome actually suited the game well because you had the feeling of being somewhere dark because uh, it was basically a mostly black screen where this game here was almost too colorful for moodiness now i like this palette hack here is you can give it a little bit more mood but i almost wonder like how much more intense would phantom slayer be if it was monochrome like daggerath and it was in these dark foreboding halls you know maybe do some palette hacks to where you got more black and grays and stuff that might be interesting to try you know is this a coco 2 game yes yeah that's it no joystick you you could play with your buttons on the um, coco vga then yeah yeah you can make it black and white. Uh, well, because it's an RGB. That black and white only works on uh, artifact stuff. I'm not sure. I would try that. I, I, c- I could try that. I have, actually have my Coco VGA yeah. set up. And this this does have range detection. It's just done differently than Dagger. Like Dagger, literally, the monsters got louder as it got closer. And here you have your range detector, the one to six keys. is how many squares away before you hear a phantom. So sometimes you can be up against a dead end, and you can hit one, and it's still beeping, which means you know he's literally right behind that wall. Mm. So that's, but so on that's the other kind of like hand, a sonar feature, basically? Yeah, it's basically a, a circle around you of so many squares. Okay. But the, the nice thing is, like, I think, honestly, stereo would, would ruin the game because the whole point is you don't know what direction the fan yeah. is. Yeah, you You can tell that. he's two squares away, but what way? Is he around that corner on the left yeah. or on the one on the right, or is he behind me? And I think that's a lot of the fear factor. And same with Dagrath, too. I don't know if those games would be better with stereo. I think it would be a little stereo. too easy then because you know exactly where he is then. It would require some very complicated echo computations to make the stereo <clears throat> realistic yet confusing. I could see it happening, but yeah, not in a Coco 2 game. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
That was one of the cool things I liked about some of the advancements in the Sound Blaster when they started getting to Sound Blaster live and you started getting uh, um, environmental audio where you're getting the four channel sound mm-hmm. and 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 echoes and and like you can make it sound like you're in a cathedral or things like that. So some of those advancements mm-hmm. in the PC world were kind of cool. Yeah, I I, I think. Just in in the simpler games like this, so I don't know if stereo would. Actually, yeah, no, I, I, think I, I agree. It a little I think bit. I think yeah. the PC port of Bag- Dagrath did uh, did offer a stereo option, but obviously on the Coco, it'd be kind of hard to pull off. Well, you could do it kind of with like an Orc ninety. An Orc ninety, where it's just hard left or hard right, you don't have to worry about too much computation. Explore VR didn't really like the teleport square. He didn't want to be put back in the middle. He thought that was a dangerous place to be. It is, because then you, you're literally... like. Well, I'll give a few tips on the game now. <clears throat> like, first of all, the, well, the did Phantoms you, did usually... Did you do well in it, Curtis? Are you someone who... Yeah, I didn't do too bad. Should? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, well, the the Phantoms attention. actually... Yeah. It's a randomized maze every time. So some mazes work better than others. That's one thing. If you get a really crappy maze, I just abort the game and start over. I want something a little bit easier. Um, but basically, the, the Phantoms will come with a certain spawn spot, which doesn't generally change. So if you kill one, the new one relaunches in the same spot, and they automatically track you. They try to figure out the shortest route to you directly, but they don't know how to get her out of dead ends and corners. So sometimes you have to like run around to maneuver them to leave a trapped area and then come out. And uh, depending on where you are, when you kill a phantom, you, you might have one escape you know, wherever they're spawning from very quickly and come after you. Sometimes they get trapped, and then you have to go kind of like fish them out. So my strategy, and it sounds like uh, Ben's is pretty well the same, is that you try to run to the top or the bottom if you have a long hallway, because you always have a very long hallway on the top and the bottom, and preferably one that has a parallel uh, hallway, like just a couple squares in, that's also very long, so you can do a circular track. If you watch the video of me playing, you'll see me using that technique. Um, And then you also want a couple of really long hallways that do go up the middle, so if you want to try to fish them out, you can run down that hallway to lure them to the center point where they can you know, get out of wherever they're trapped by their spawn spot and come after you. And then you can kind of like fish. I call it fishing. You go fish them back out and then you, you lure one out and then you run around in the circular pattern when it's taking 30, 40 hits to kill them. Um, and then you lure another one out. Now, in my case, I died because a second one came out of the trapped area at the same time. I must have been just in the wrong spot when I killed the previous phantom. So two of them got out after me and I you know, stupidly died. But... That would be my main thing. So the, the, the Energizer Square, it, for me, it's like an emergency. It's like an asteroid where you hit hyperspace where you don't know if you're just going to land an asteroid and die. Um, it's just like a last resort. And there's other there's other few tricks too. Like <clears throat> you can get, if you, if you start shooting at the Phantom when he's at his furthest distance that you can literally see him down the hallway, you can get three shots in on the level one speed. Now, if you play the higher speed modes, you get less shots. So it's much, much harder. Uh, but you also, if you're running backwards, if you fire and hit when he's at the farthest distance and then back up one square, fire and hit, back up one square, fire and hit, then you can get a shot every single square he moves. If you stand in one spot, you can only get three in for the six squares you can see. So that technique, actually, you can get more shots in. So that helps a lot, too. Oh, Ben says he thought of it as fishing, too. That's funny. Yeah, same. Interesting same concept, part. yeah. Another term they use sometimes when you can keep killing stuff, they call that farming, right? When you can farm something because they can keep killing things. They use that reference in uh, the uh, shock trooper, like farming the yep. robots that kept coming back up. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It definitely does get more difficult, though, because when the Phantoms start taking 20, 30, 40 hits to kill. Holy crap. <clears throat> then, then you have 
you even if you're trying to run the maze in a circular pattern, if one of the other ones escapes there and you got two of them and they start coming at different angles, because they'll take a shortcut down a hallway if you're trying to switch to the second parallel hallway. So sometimes you'll be waiting for it to come in the distance and it doesn't because it's snuck down the hallway. Now it's trying to sneak up behind you type thing. So a lot of uh, a lot of cool techniques to get into. Like I said, I, this was the first third party game I ever bought. Hmm. In fact, I, this was the first game that I even realized there was a third party software market for the Cocoa at all. So I played the living bejesus out of the, that first summer because I bought it during summer holidays and I played this game probably like eight hours a day for like two months straight and that's where I got my score from. So that's cool. Yeah. Are the shots accumulative? Meaning, like if you if you take a shot at one and you turn and run away and then you come back and you shoot it again, does that count as the second or only consecutive shots? I uh, know if you start shooting at two different phantoms, it keeps track of how many shots to kill each one separately. Each one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Actually, uh, Nick, if you want to switch to my video, just put it you know, in the last, I don't know, five minutes or something. You can show how long it takes to shoot fat. And also show that circling, circle, circular technique. Oh, I'm doing the volume, not the... Uh... So now you're just backing down a long hallway. Yeah, and now I've hit the end of the hallway, so I'm getting my three shots in. And then I'm going to run down... Wait for him to come around the corner, or he sneaks down the hallway. In that case, he snuck down the side hallway because I, I waited. You, you, there's a lot of timing too. If you want to lure him, you have to wait till he's past the turn square where he could go down the alternate hallway. If you go too fast, he'll go down the other hallway instead. So you have to like do your timing based on the beeps of the of your proximity detectors. It's called. But basically, in this case here, you just keep you know zipping down. You get a couple shots and you run down the other hallway. And I I, I got lucky on this particular maze here because the hallway chunks where you go between the two parallel hallways is actually fairly long where he can't turn. So it's pretty easy to get the timing down. Right. But if you have hallways, you know, every two square breaks or something then it's much, much harder, but I'm, this is still me shooting the same phantom over and over again. So you can wow. see how many shots this is taking. You're kind of, you're flanking him. You're going around and around and around and you're flanking him from different sides. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do in modern games. Like when you're running around trying to take somebody out, you kind of strafe around in a circle and you keep getting them from different sides where you're shooting them from behind and where they're not necessarily facing you. Um, that's a cool strategy. Okay. Now to answer a couple questions in or a couple comments in the chat. Right, let's put this to a vote. John Lowry would like to be admitted. Uh, all in favor? Oh, well, sure. He, he just has to enter the password. That <laughs> no, nah, he's ready to be admitted. So uh, my, 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 my co-hosts are not doing their job right now. So oh. I'm, ready to be, I'm ready to be admitted, too. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Frodo mentions, I uh, said, the one game that gave me jump scares back in the day, of course, never had a Coco, was 3D Monster Maze of Sinclair, which we've got a port to the Coco now um, yeah. on cartridge. Um, you know, where it says footsteps approaching, once again, it, it gives you a, a visual rather than an audio cue that, mm -hmm. you know, it's getting close, but you have no idea what direction it is. So same, same type of thing. Um, ben Drake says a good point about the stereo. Part of the fear is not knowing the direction when you hear the beeps. You have to work it out quickly by changing your position to see if it stops. And also you just keep changing the, the, the proximity detection range so you can tell. You know, if I'm hearing it at two beeps, if I step this one direction, I hit the one key, do I still hear the beep? Okay, he's right through that wall. No, I guess he's around a corner somewhere, so I'm not quite sure where he is, type thing. Um, Ken says, 40 hits, when does it go from fun to tedious? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, at that point, the fear factor is getting enough that it wasn't tedious at all. Like I said, I totally lose track of time. The game that you guys are showing here, I think this took me, all told, just a hair under two hours to play. Wow. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And I did not notice how much time was going because I was planning on working on Gem Quest, you know, for Nitrous Nine at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I got too involved in the game. I was like, oh, it's 10 o'clock at night already. I guess I'm done now. That's cool. Um, AC's 8 bit zone says it appears the first place winner in the magazine for Phantom Slayer grew up a few miles from me. I didn't know him though, just recognized the town, Glade Spring, Virginia. Nah. That's cool. cool. Please, please shoot him. I don't want any competition. So, um. <laughs> you pull a Tanya Harding on him, just whack him in the back of the hamstring. So. Ben uh. says it seems like as the game goes on, they become smarter and are more likely to split up and trap you. I think there is some truth to that. I think Ken programmed, I haven't checked the code or not to be sure of this, but I think like if it starts detecting that you're getting into this loop thing like I'm doing here where I'm constantly doing the same thing and I'm just mowing them down even though it takes 40 hits a, a chunk. I, I think it sometimes throws in a bit of extra randomness to break them out of the patterns. And that's what killed me on my game back then. I still remember that game. Because right as I, I was playing in a dark room in the basement, we had our old, you know, 30-inch wooden cabinet TV on the floor. And it was in the basement, so it was like dead dark. I had the volume cranked. That was just right in the game. That <laughs> game took me three hours. Um, but right as I was turning a corner, and they just had broken the pattern, so all of a sudden that my my you know, setup route I was using did not work. My dad and my brother walked into the basement room and I had the door closed right as I died. And I literally screamed and fell off my chair. Wow. And, 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 and my brother started laughing. My dad goes, what the hell's wrong with you? All right. Shock at that point. That is a severe behavioral disorder, son. Yep. That's right. Hit the You're going to be institutionalized now. Yeah. Are we ready for a big surprise? Uh, well, are we done talking about Phantom Slayer? I don't know. Unless anybody else has any stories or tips there. I, th- I think uh, ben, ben and I seem to have the same same viewpoint on tips and stuff so i don't have much to say because i didn't very do very well so i'm just gonna good morning strick yak how are you um yeah okay so yeah phantom slayer was a good game we had a good turnout right 20 people not bad yeah thank you guys and so a good halloween theme game it was a good pick yes yes yes. definitely scary and so i believe nick is now anxious and biting and (laughs) chomping at the bit here to show us what the game of next week is going to be I messed up and showed a little preview, but the game next week will be... Hello, scripts it. <laughs> what is this shite? This is a new <laughs> game that has just been released by Nick Marentes. And Stevie, I'm going to stop sharing, and you can go ahead and roll the video. Roll the video. All right. Uh, well. Nick, did you want... Nick Marentes, did you want to do a quick intro before the video? or I'll do a... Well, I can do a quick intro. So, uh, okay, hang on. Let me organize myself. We don't have all day. Come great on. again. So, <laughs> <laughs> not again. Um, Still. <laughs> okay. So, uh, are you uh, seeing anything there? Yeah, we're seeing the pipes. My Nicholas yeah, so Marantis. I decided oh, I've now officially released my new game, Pipes, uh, which I was I I had announced I was going to release it in November. Then I thought, well. Today is November the 1st here in Australia, <laughs> so we're, we're about 12 hours ahead of you anyway. So I thought, oh, what the hell? Yeah, let's make it com- coincide with the show. So I've, I've now made it available now, and, um, and uh, that's the game. So we will talk about it. I have a, ve- a web page up that explains it all, and, and uh, there's a, a little um, pro- promo video on there. So I think Steve's going to... It's, it's playing that. right now, yeah. It oh, it costs is. Costs one okay. million yeah. dollars. 
Oh, so it is playing. Okay. Um, where do I try to get my screen back so I can see what the hell you guys are looking at? We're looking at this crappy looking game here. Okay. Yeah. I, I just can't. <laughs> for some reason, I can't see see the video. Because, oh, maybe because no, I'm not I. sharing my screen right now. That's probably why. Because Nick Marota. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let's do that real quick. Stop participants sharing. Okay, hold ah, on a second. I yeah, need I need to better. share. Uh, I need to share my screen. Hold on one second here. All right, now I need to go back to the YouTube video and I can kind of rewind it here, I guess. All right, can you see okay. it now? Okay, so that's yep. pipes, and uh, the video is very similar to the video I played uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, so yeah, well, I'll, I'll just talk over it uh, for now. But the game's finished. Um, it's a fun game. I mean, I. I'm not a big fan of, of um, these sort of games, Dan. The, the games that require a bit of thinking. I just like, give me a gun and I'll shoot you type thing. Uh, and so this was a bit of a, uh, a change for me. Plus the fact I wanted a game, I wanted to try to do a game that actually had you know, decent or something semi-decent background music, which this game um, does, does have. And this is on a Coco 1 and 2. So Pipes works. I think you're trying to get the sound come through, but it's not coming yeah. through very well. Um, the um, This game is designed for Coco 1, 2, 3, and a dragon with a minimum of 16K. So it doesn't use any Coco 3 features. It is, it is a Coco 1 and 2 game, and it's uh, been designed to work in as little as a 16K, just like the good old days. Um, and uh, like Phantom Slayer, <laughs> like Phantom Slayer, that's right. <laughs> so, um, this is, uh, I guess, my second Coco One and Two uh, venture into the Coco One and Two uh, world. Uh, and after this, I'll be going back to Coco Three. But uh, yeah, I wanted something colourful again. I wanted something with with uh, background music, and uh, and that's it. It's finished, ready to go, available now for $8 as a digital download and that's whereby on the website when you, you know, choose that option uh, it'll send me a message and I will email you the file in a uh, DSK format um, which you can use in a Coco SDC or transfer it to a real floppy. Uh, I also do supply a bin file uh, and a CAS file and a WAV file so for anyone who wants to make their own retro cassette of the game, they can just take that with the WAV file or, or CAS file, depending on what utilities you have, and make your own cassette uh, and relive the glory days of Where's the finish line? Where are you supposed to direct the water to? To that well, gate up the top? the game itself, okay, you always start at that yellow yeah. colored block. Uh, and, and it doesn't, the water doesn't flow straight away. There's a red timer. You'll see it when we, uh, when this, this water here finishes. There's a red timer at the bottom of the mm -hmm. screen. And you, the water won't flow until that timer counts down. So you've got, you know, a minute or so to, uh, to quickly lay out a, a, a pipeline uh, before the water starts to flow. And then it flows. And in the earlier rounds, I think the first nine levels, you just have to make the pipeline as long as you can. After that, then there's another block that appears, and you have to end the pipeline at that okay, block. Okay, so there will be a finish line somewhere. 
there is a finish line later. So that starts to make the game harder because you're now you, you are trying to make a pipeline to a destination. Whereas up to that point, it's just a matter of making it as long as you can. And you, you, the and there water, is a minimum. There is a minimum. There like is a you... minimum in, in in the top left uh, in the top left area. The the cyan coloured countdown that you're seeing there, that's basically measuring how far uh, the water flows. So it's counting down when it reaches zero. That's the minimum. In other words, you you've done the minimum required. So wherever the water ends, as long as that's reached zero, you complete that level. But you don't have to finish it there. You can say, you know, keep going for as long as you can because the longer it flows, the more points that come in. Um, and w when you finally just reach the end or you can't do any more or don't want to do any more, you can just let it, let it go by itself. And as a bonus, if you press spacebar in the game, it'll speed up the water. The water will go faster the, and the music will go faster and then the points double. So the points that you get for every every section the water travels is double now. So obviously the quicker you can switch to that fast mode, the more points you will get. But of course, when the water's flowing so quick, you it, it makes it harder to quickly get pipes into position because mm -hmm. the pipe pieces that are appearing in the top of the screen, I mean, they're random. So you're not going to get it in the order you want. So Sometimes you, you'll get a piece, and it may not be the piece that you directly want, but it might be something that you could maybe plan ahead for and maybe place it somewhere else on the, on the, on the maze mm -hmm. and then basically plan ahead to make the, the pipeline reach that point. So you're sort of thinking ahead, as, uh, thinking ahead about the, the pipeline that you're going to make while um, trying to keep the main How do you pipeline. erase the piece like you're doing there? What's the You just go on top. So for another piece and you want to replace a piece, like it did... Okay, did, just, so you just place a different piece yeah. on the same spot. You just place it. Yeah. But there is a bit of a delay in doing that. So there's a bit of a time penalty. And there is 100... I think it's 100 points get... Or 50 or whatever, uh, get deducted. Uh, so you lose points as well if you do that. So obviously it's better to try get it right the first time to keep the points up. Oh, this is um, cool. The high, the, oh, this the, is the high score. Yeah, entry, that's yeah. neat. That's a neat way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole game uses um, an analog joystick. So a uh, black oh, beauty, a black black beauty, or a, or a deluxe in free floating mode, and it's it's best with with the uh, Radio Shack mouse actually because it's a it's a it's essentially an analog. Um, uh, oh. joystick and uh, yeah so you can use that the, the, the mouse and it plays quite well with that so it, or trackball it, if you have one or trackball yeah that's right if you have one um, and in on the high score page there you uh, you might want to rewind so we can just go back still since we're still talking um, uh, yeah you just you just move your, your joystick around around the outer outer area to pick your letters and in the center, you can go backspace or forward uh, or just the down arrow means register and it enters that name yeah. in there. Yeah. So, and there's, there's different there's different puzzle pieces. Like you get some squares that you can't go through. Yeah, yeah. You get one-way yeah. squares. What is the one yeah, with the red that, flashing? Yeah, that's a one-way. That's, that's the one-way. The water can go through that, but has to go in the one direction like I'm doing there now. Ah, okay. You, if you go in from the other end, bang, that's that's 
well, okay. the water ends there, and depending on whether you've reached the minimum level. That is that's, my uh, that's my favorite boy band too, One Direction. Just so you know, <laughs> and there's cross, there's cross pieces. There's cross pieces. I just went through a cross piece, uh, so I went through once, and now the water's going to loop. I've made it so the water loops back, and it'll go back through the cross piece. And when you do that, you get a thousand. I think it's a thousand. I forget what the, the scoring was, but that gives you extra 500, points. Five hundred. Yeah, uh, five hundred. If you yeah, if you pass the water in the cross piece twice like that, you get the extra points. So there's a couple of extras. At the end of the level, the the pipes that you didn't use, as you saw there, they get deleted. That little red, they they get erased. Uh, and for every pipe piece that you didn't use it deducts points there as well so again don't have too many wasted pieces on the screen the more wasted pieces you lose 100 points each time or for for each wasted piece so yeah there's a few strategies there the game's based on the uh the game that originally came out on the uh commodore amiga called pipe mania so it's got most of the the features of that game. I think the original game had a few extra things in there as well, but uh, but it yeah, needed just, more than 16k. So well, I was trying to cram it in, and you know, I only had a certain uh, amount of space and all that. Anyway, I figured, well, this is pretty good. <laughs> it's good enough. So yeah, so it's not an action game. You know, give me a laser and I'll kill you type thing. It's uh, <laughs> it, it, you sit there. It's a bit of thinking and trying to get get the pipeline as long as you can it can get tense because sometimes the water is closing in and you haven't you haven't got a connection it'll it'll overflow and then at the last minute or last few minutes seconds it'll uh, suddenly the right piece will appear and you're quickly trying to extend the pipeline before the water flows it gets it does get pretty exciting at times <laughs> so Anyway, I thought I thought it was a pretty good game, even though I'm not a, I'm not a really a puzzle uh, yeah. type guy. I, I had <laughs> not seen the the official game of that, like the Pipe Mania, but that style game is actually a mini game that's in a series yeah. of games called Bioshock, where you have to sometimes pick a lock or hack a machine, and so you have to end up doing that puzzle. And you, but you have there is a finish line you have to reach, so you end up having in the straight pieces and the curved pieces, and you've got so much time to. Um, create the path to the finish line before it runs out in order to pick the lock or hack the system and stuff. So I'd seen that as kind of a mini game before, uh, and it's cool. It is a really cool uh, The game concept. Pipe Mania has been converted to so many computers. It's out there on everything yeah. nowadays. So well, now the, the Coco's got one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. In the 1970s, there was an actual tabletop board game called Waterworks, that was like this where you had to lay out pipes between a start and an end point and yep. you had little wrenches that you could turn valves and stuff. So that's what this yeah. reminded me so, of. So yeah, it's been around a while. So I just thought, well, the Coco hasn't got, well, not that I was aware of uh, this type of game. So, and I saw it being a game that wasn't too taxing on the Coco. And but but that allowed me there, get, left me enough CPU time to try do the background music um, or background uh, sound. Yeah, you've like got that. two channel music playing consistently. There's through two the game. channel, yeah. So yeah. it's two channel um, music. Uh, well, it's sort of music. The, the the main the main theme is more of a a rhythm that goes on because I'm not a big fan of 
a background music. It, after a while, if it keeps repeating, I just get bored of it. So I went for a little rhythm. I don't know. There was no sound on this video, but when you play it, as the water is flowing, you get a bit of a, a background musically type. And you get audio uh, cues rhythm. during the game too. Like once you run out of time. Oh yeah, yeah. You get the all music the changes and picks up pace. And yeah, there's yeah. a couple of couple of little novel tunes in there. <laughs> yeah. Now, one, th one thing you should explain, too, like you mentioned the $8 digital download, which you will send out yeah. as soon as you get the so, order. But you should mention the, the CD version and the, the bonus There is a CD, stuff. that's right. So now the CD of is like I've done in the past, so it's for the Pipes game. But I decided this time I'll make it a little bit different because I never released a CD for the Rally SG. Uh, I only made that as a little simple $5 download. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, let's do a two-in-one pack. Let's make the cocoa greater. So let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, make a du a du a dual pack. So when you get the CD, you get it, it, it combines the pipes game and the rally SG. But with the rally SG, I've also added a level editor or a, or a map editor. So you can actually modify the the maps that were in Rally SG and the map editor that's on there, I've made four four new new tracks or the, already with it and there's still room to make more uh, track files. So that Rally SG, when it runs now, it, it asks you, do you want to use the, the default maps or do you want to load one of, one of your custom maps? So that's an extra, I guess, in Rally SG. Uh, and as well, I thought, well, there's so much damn space on that CD. What can I throw on there? <laughs> what what <laughs> alleged bonuses can I throw on there? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I realised, well, this is a Coco one and two game. Oh, well, uh, that yeah, it's specifically for every Coco, but it's 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 Coco one and two. So I thought, why don't I just throw in a few games? Um, all of my Coco one and two games that I've written in the past. And I put donut, my original Donut Dilemma, and when I say original, I mean my, the original one, the one that actually was sold by Tandy Australia here uh, in their stores that had the old PAL artifacted extra colours, So, which I don't know if I've actually had that available anywhere else. So I put that in there as well, and also my old, my original, very first uh, Coco 2 game that I ever wrote, which was also a semi-graphics game. Neutroid 2 in its original format um, that was done way back in 84, as well as um, the updated version of Neutroid, the Neutroid 2.015, which fixed, fixed our Neutroid to work properly on a Coco 3. And also I, throw, I, I threw in uh, Clutching for Straws. I decided to also throw, throw in water, my, my game Waterfall, uh, which was that little quick one one week job that I uh, did, uh, I think last year it was, and it's a game uh, written in BASIC with um, some machine language, so it's a hybrid, and uh, it um, it also um, supported the the Tandy speech and sound cartridge if you have that. So that was just something I wanted to do at the time. I thought I oh, will just throw that on as well. So many alleged bonuses, <laughs> uh, all on the on the CD, which uh, I've got at a bit more reduced price to the previous ones. I've got it for $18. Mm -hmm. So for $18, you get the CD. It gets manufactured by a company called Kunaki in the US who will 
do a pretty good job of making the CD with the color packaging and shrink wrap it and send it to you. They've been pretty pretty reliable for all my past uh, mm-hmm. um, CD purchases. So you'll get the CD depending on where you are, how long it'll take to come. If you're in the US, you know, within a within a week, you know, you, you get you get it delivered. Uh, if you're overseas, especially in this COVID climate we're in at the moment, um, I don't know. That's up to the postal service. But for the purposes of Game On, you will send out the digital copy right away. But, so. yeah, and, and I've made it clear on the website, anyone who's buying the CD, um, I still do send out the digital copy of Pipes to that person um, straight away as well. So you're not there waiting a week or whatever for the CD to come. You you know, the CD will, the CD will come and you can... When it arrives, you can put it up on your mantelpiece and say, "Gee, look what that great Nick Morenis from Down Under did." Yeah, uh, you know, make a make a bit of a Nick Morenis shrine at home. But while you're waiting for that, while you're waiting for that, you at least get the pipes game to um to start playing straight away. We got word from Frodo that the shipping to the Netherlands is reasonable. Is it oh, okay? That's good. I do know of one package that took three months to deliver to wow. Spain. Uh, in uh, when I did Gunstar, three months that was during the well, COVID. Yeah, that things. was the height. Mm. Yeah, uh, so that was the height. I, I, I thought I thought it was lost, and then suddenly it appeared three months later. So yeah, it all depends on the post. But that's that was Spain, and that was when Spain was in the middle of of their uh, COVID thing, which which is I think from what I hear now, things are going back that way. So, yep. but in the US, because it's the CDs are made in the US, and 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 distributed uh, anything any CDs in the US they seem to to be okay so, you so just for the purposes trouble. just for the purposes of my OCD that's going to be the game of the week and thank you guys for the, taking part this week and we'll see you next week and I'm not cutting off the segment I'm just closing off mine yeah yeah that's okay thank yeah. you Stevie thank you Nick big fan big fan I also want to mention for the dragon viewers out there uh, this the, the CD version of this is coming with PAL versions of all of Nick's old games too including the, the six-color artifacting, because artifacting is done totally different on PAL than NTSC. Yeah, so right. you'll actually get a version of Donut Dilemma that looks better than the Coco 2 version does. Well, it, it may it depends on your screen, because that PAL artifacting worked back then in the 80s. So this was the 80s when I, I did all this. And back then, we only had you know a color TV set. Uh, so uh, I think I said it last time, the worse the TV, the better the artifacting. So... It worked really good back then. And I think I've got some photos I took. Uh, it's on the website to show the, the extra red and blue. They're, they're, they're quite clean. But on a modern T, you know, a lot of us have LCD screens and all that. They may not appear as well. The colors probably won't blur together so well. But even so, all you'll get is it'll look a bit more psychedelic stripey in the background. I mean, it's it's still playable, but... You know, it, it just depends on what you've been smoking beforehand. But uh, <laughs> it's still, it still is, it, it's all right anyway. But it, that was the version that was sold in Australia <laughs> way back Thanks in '87. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was the original. And uh, yeah. Uh, what else? I think there was one other thing I wanted to mention, and now I forgot. So there you go. Yeah, keep the cocoa great again. That's what you're going to say. No, 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 no. Like we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, one thing I would like to see, like uh, not not as part of the game on at this point here, but uh, <clears throat> I would like to see what kind of uh, tracks you guys come up with with the Rally SG editor. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. Your own. Hmm. I, I maybe we I'm can not... do a feature on that at some point as an extra oh, game we, on bonus segment do or something. Act- 
I've actually supplied four that I made. One of them is is uh, I've designed to look like a Pac-Man screen. Actually, I've designed oh, designed cool. the roadmaps to look very very similar to Pac-Man. So you're running around a Pac-Man layout. So yeah, you, I think <laughs> I, uh, there's another one. I had the word Coco in the maze. So you're running around the letters Coco. <laughs> so oh, you do do whatever you want. Um, anyway, so it's just a bit of fun. It's just a, a little program I threw on there as well. So. Alleged bonuses. Alleged so bonuses. That's right. <laughs> but wait, and, more. <laughs> and that's about it. Uh, and so the site is up. It, the program's ready. And uh, yeah, yep. I posted it. the link to it in in the chat there. I don't know, Steve, if you wanted to yep. show it briefly on screen or not, or the link to the Nick Morenti's website. Yeah, the order site for pipes, basically. Yeah. Hold on one second. Let me bring it over here. That's just nickmorenti's.com, right? I, the link's in the YouTube chat there if you want to just click it on there. I don't know if there's anything you want to show from the website at all. I don't think. Well, that's the website now. Um, oh, I do mention it. That's, that's what I wanted to say. If you have a dragon, now I don't have a dragon, so I'm sort of riding this blind. But from my experience with Rally SG, anything should still work on a dragon as long as the, the, the keys are mapped to uh, correctly for, for both. Which it should be should be fine, but and, and it plays fine on a dragon. Bearing in mind that a dragon, being like here in Australia, fifty hertz, so uh, it, it's slightly slower because of that. I mean, they're fifty hertz as opposed to sixty hertz, and it it does work in XRAW. That's the only way I can actually verify that it all works correctly on a dragon. So it works on a um, a normal Dragon Thirty Two. Also does work on a Dragon 64 from Tano in the US, but in the in the UK the 64K Dragons had a hardware issue which prevents the uh, the sound from playing correctly. That's a hardware problem, which apparently there is a a modification to the UK Dragon 64s to fix that. That's just some quirk that they they did in the hardware design that that, that wrecked the way the horizontal sync um, interrupts worked on that machine. But uh, if you have a Dragon 32 or a Tano Dragon 64 or a modified UK um, Dragon 64, then it works exactly the same as it does on a Coco 1 and 2. Um, the, yeah, a Dragon 64, uh, from what I understand, it'll play the same, but the music will get choppy. Oh, it all plays. The game it plays exactly the same. The music is getting stuttered a bit because of the way the interrupts are on that machine. So there's nothing I can do about that to get around that. Um, and that's that's the sales page. Uh, it's got, yeah. You can even get pictures of the CD. Actually, if uh -huh. you click in the, yeah, that's it. So the, the back cover, the spine, and the... Uh, instruction booklet or leaflet and the cd itself to uh, two two labels on the cd oh yeah two in very, one very pro looking well oh. that, that that that's the perception yeah <laughs> <laughs> from the same ordering page they can get their copies of pop star and gun star well, oh, yeah. That's, yeah, you can get it. It, it. I find it, it's only a very basic sort of website, but it, it, I find it reliable, easy to use. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it's been good. And uh, on my website, there's a click to the uh, promo video there, so you can 
uh, relive the exciting experiences of watching of watching pipes. Absolutely, making the cocoa great again. <laughs> hey, I got a question for you, Nick. Okay, I'll... when you were uh, programming this thing, do you get uh, any kind of um, feedback from your younger self and how you used to do it, or do you think it's a little bit harder to do now because you're older, or does it just come to you? Uh, and you're not able really. To do it? The way I'm programming today is pretty well the same way I was programming back in the eighties. I am so old schooled and so uh, set in my ways. There are better, easier ways of doing things nowadays. But I'm so used to that. So when you're on a good thing, stick to it. So I just do the same old thing. I use the old Edtasm. I do it on a, on a real Cocoa. Um, I don't have any fancy tools um, or nothing. So I just do it the hard way. <laughs> and because that, that's all I know. So it, it's worked for me this long. So I figured why why change? It's a discussion we've had before. Like for different people, retro means different things. Like some people want the modern tools so they can do stuff really quick and easier and stuff. And then others want that old feeling back from the eighties and Nick's. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm probably closer to the Nick camp than the uh, the modern camp myself. Though I do use some modern tools. Now there is there is one new model t tool by Sheldon McDonald coming out, which we can talk about later in the news. Um, that that shows a, a, a new environment for assembly programming, which is very similar to what I'm doing on the Coco. So we'll talk about that later. So I, you never know. I might for my next game, I might switch across to that. Who knows? But the thing is, I do like using a real Coco. Now, if it's if it's not that cocoa clacky keyboard, if it's, you know, it, it, the fact that it takes a bit longer to save and load and all that, I mean, for, for, for a lot of people, they don't like that. The cocoa's too slow. Well, for me, that's the cocoa. That's that's the cocoa experience. So I I just cop it in the head, you know, <laughs> and I say thank you. I, <laughs> uh, if, I use, if I use anything else, I think, well, what, what am I doing, Coco stuff? This computer can do a lot better than that. So I just stick to the Coco. Right. Old school, hmm. dim-witted, keep off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say you're dim-wit? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> On the other hand. All right, I'm over. Class. I'm done. All right, what was that, James? On the other hand, why mess with success? Why mess with success? Good point. And hmm. when it comes to success, I can't think of anybody who squeezed more shite out this year than Nicholas Morente. <laughs> so uh, he's been quite I, successful. I, I so, am the master shite star. <laughs> All right. I got to go get the There Lysol might be one now. other person. Yeah, the, the pipes have to do with the amount of sewage that's been coming out of Australia this past year. And that's products, just horseshit. So. <laughs> <laughs> there may be one other guy that's just as productive. And who's that, Ron? Uh, his name is Jerry. Jerry. Oh yeah, the MC10 man. Oh yeah, yeah. Jim Gary. Jim Gary. He's Absolutely. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> good job, Nick. Another <laughs> another Ferrari in Nick's garage. Shoebox. All right, we're gonna take a brief commercial break and then we'll come back with L. Curtis Boyle's favorite part of the show where he gets to Nap do the time. News. Oh sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Michael Frank, by the way, we've been joined by John Lowry. Hey John Lowry, how you doing? 
You're muted. Still muted? Yeah, that, we'll, we'll just take your there. time, John. There you go. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, took the day off, and I got the party to go to tonight. So I took the day off, which is why I'm available to be part of the show. Good and, to see you. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've been on due to my work schedule, but hopefully that'll change in about a month, and I'll be able to be a lot more regular. But right. uh, glad to see everybody. Well, Nick Morenti's pipes might help you become more regular. I so, uh. <laughs> I just bought it. I already bought it. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, welcome. And you're, I guess, you're now streaming from your new home. I am. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've been right. here about four months now. All right, congratulations. Have you got a whole Thanks. cocoa area ready set up and ready to go? Or not really? No. Um, the city they kind of get on your rear if you don't do certain things to the exterior of the home to kind of keep it up, and so I redid the garage and I've been doing some stuff outside fixing parts of the roof that need to be fixed and uh, getting that stuff kind of taken care of and I've left all the inside stuff for like winter projects so I'll be getting that together over the winter okay cool cool well welcome good to see you again all right we're gonna do a commercial I've I'm feeling cocoa dew so we're gonna take a cocoa dew break uh, speaking of pipes, we're going to put some dew in the pipes. And some then doo-doo. we'll <laughs> be back after that with some news from L. Curtis Boyle. Thank you, everyone. Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité, le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. If you're using your color computer in Quebec and it stops working, is it now a Coco won't do? Hi, Ron Delvo, Timberman, Coco Fest. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. What's going on, everybody? Original gamer Stevie Stroh here. And if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get I'm a Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. 
Radio Shack store-wide manager's red tag sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Save on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag. Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Foppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Cocoa Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Cristo. Muppet News Flash. All right, it's Michael Furman's favorite part of the show, Snoozy Newsy. Take it away, L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, I'm going to go to the Game On News since we kind of just finished that segment. So that'll be the first one. I've got the right screen here. Oh, share computer sound. Hey, you guys seeing that? Yep. Yep. And it says, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, Avram Berman? So I mean, he posted up a pretty interesting question here, and he says, I don't know if this question has been asked before, but what Coco game would you most like to see a sequel to? And we've had a few sequels in the past. I mean, we've had stuff like uh, Castle of Theragood, which is supposedly a sequel to Dungeons of Dagrath. It's not a very good one. Um, we've also had stuff like Cave Hunter, which is kind of an unofficial sequel to Downland, which actually isn't too bad of a game. And uh, there was some you know, discussions going back and forth of what games they'd like to see sequels to. And I was wondering for people on the panel here, is there a certain game on the Coco that does not have a sequel now that you really wish would happen. I know there's a few in development too, like you know, Paul Thayer's working on Downland 2 as another alternative to Cave Hunter. But uh, what's the opinion of the uh, game players in the panel here? Oh, Neo's got a loud opinion. <laughs> Poltergeist. <laughs> you want a sequel to Poltergeist? Digger 3. <laughs> I'm waiting for Digger 4. Come on, chat. Now that's, that's officially never happening. <laughs> dig, a, dig a hole. I know there's a few here, like Erico mentioned, like Shock Trooper, Time Dig Man, a who? and Pegasus. Dig a what? Dig a please. <laughs> <laughs> Dig a why? Like, ten, Time Man, it actually has been expanded on other platforms, like the Amiga, DOS, and Atari ST have had expanded versions of it, so that maybe somebody could backport that to the Coco 3 or something. Um, Tim Franklin well. says Buzzard Bait. There, there <laughs> Buzzard is Bait 2, too. Flap Harder. <laughs> well there's a joust 2 arcade game too so i mean that could be ported too and we don't have a coco 3 version of joust of any sort so you know somebody asked um i think it was michael pitsley had asked did did anybody remember if there was a donkey kong 3 clone ported to the coco i don't remember the name of donkey kong 3 or do you even remember a game where you had to spray insects that was like kong 3 right but i mean was there any insect spraying game on the coco that anybody can recall Thexter, not Thexter. Uh, Clendithu, you kind of... Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the little fire thing. The only yeah. one that I kind of thought of was like Pedro, where you were trying to do the protect the garden from the ants and stuff that were trying to eat your crops or something, so... I would be into a kind of fractal version of uh, Dagoreth. Dagoreth. Instead of outlines, Coco 3 could do that really nicely. Okay. Suitable brown tones. Talking about like more polygonish, <laughs> polygonal. You know, yeah, colors and 
fractals and uh, you could, you know. I was noticing that the guy in the middle of the screen, not going to try and pronounce his name, would like to see a Zaxxon uh, sequel. There was. Oh, Z- Z89. Z89. Right? Z89. Z89. Right. Actually, another one of yours, Steve, uh, Ken mentioned here too, was Gone Abuana, because you actually did have that little hidden bit in the credits, you know, promoting a possibility of a part two, and then Tandy didn't agree with you on it. <laughs> yeah, it was also limited amount of time to do stuff. As I said, they came to me with a lot of ideas of things they like me to have do, but I chose things that I know I could get done quickly and move on and and stuff like that. And that's the reason why I did Arkanoid and uh, oh, Rampage. There's a couple others like that. Um, Super Pitfall actually took the longest of those three. But uh, yeah, there, there are some things that they wanted me to do, and I said no. And we just never came back to Ganabuana 2 because been there, done that, you know. I didn't really see much need to expand that one. Okay. A couple of interesting suggestions I saw on the, the chatter about it on the Cocoa Facebook group where uh, Dave Helka mentioned Gantler with multi-user over the internet. Now that we're actually getting some internet-based multiplayer games under development by Brett Gordon and a few others... That would be an interesting one. That would be a fun one. Um, another one, uh, Zeox Gamazoa, Gamazoa, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. He said he loves, loves Tetris, doesn't like Tetris too, so give me Dr. Mario. And if I remember correctly, wasn't uh, John Strong working on a Dr. Mario clone? Yeah, John three? Strong is working on something like that, yeah. So uh, uh, for Zeox there, uh, keep keep your eyes peeled. I know John's been really busy with other stuff lately, but uh, he did have one. He's actually demoed it on the show about, what, a year or two ago? You know what progress he had made so far. So that one is actually in the works. Um, Temple of Rom. There's a Temple it, of Rom two called a Doctor Coco. Yeah, something like that. Right. <clears throat> uh, there's a Temple of Rom two with expanded mazes that Rick has already released. I don't know if he's planning on doing a full blown Coco three. And I guess that's one other question too. Like sequels, are we talking a true sequel to the game where the gameplay changes, or are we talking like maybe a Coco three version of a great Coco two game that we never saw enhanced graphics, enhanced sound for? Could apply yes sure. all of the above all the above <laughs> the coco 3 defense yeah i would love to see um a something like polaris done on coco 3 with real palette hacking and stuff um you know real palettes instead of just the four color and explosions like uh xenix has yeah xenix type explosions that are pulsating through palette animations and stuff that would be kind of cool Oh, I'm with Rick on the uh, Dungeons of Daggerath for Coco 3 that has the hidden line correct and doesn't have to be limited to 8K, that kind of thing, but not um, where they went with Theragad. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> An 8 meg maze. Hmm. Yeah, maybe they'll bundle with the 8 meg uh, RAM upgrades coming up. Well, again, um, William Astle has kind of fixed Daggerath, and there is a version you can get that is more corrected. It does require 32K on disk. Um, yeah, he fixed a couple of the bugs, like a couple of tables weren't quite operating correctly. And The shield, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So so it was astalized. Yeah. So we have some, in, in our live chat now too, Buzzard Bait, Arkanoid 2, Sands of Egypt, Canyon Climber 2, get your goat. (laughs) 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 Or a Daggerath in a 640 by 192 mode. So just a higher 
uh, almost Star- vector looking yeah, vector looking version of Dagrath. That would be interesting. Yeah, Temple no, of no. Eprom. That's <laughs> 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 good. There were people talking about porting Dagrath to the Vectrex, which would be a vector version as well. That would work. Where um, does anyone know where that corrected version of Dagrath is at? Is it in the archive? Probably. It is in the archive. It's the uh, Shield Fix version. Just look for that. If not, you could reach out to William Astle on Discord, too. It might even be on William's site, I think, too, if I remember correctly. Didn't the guy who wrote Daggerath, didn't he, I remember reading somewhere, he had a planned sequel yes. that was maybe set in space or something, right? It was like Yeah, he did. Yeah, that would be really cool to see whatever he had planned to do from that perspective. Hey, is there any games that were started and not finished? You know that one... Uh, what was that one game that was like uh, Millennium something? Yeah, that was a Coco 3 game from Australia that never got finished. And I mean, there's some other games too that got cut down, especially being sold through Tandy because they wanted to fit it on a certain size ROM. Like the original Downland actually had extra stuff when it was still 9K, and then Michael had to cut it down to fit an 8K, and he had to take a lot of stuff out. And I think if I remember correctly, Dagrath too, uh, Douglas Morgan, when they interviewed him, He'd mentioned that it was too big at first, and it had some extra features that had to be removed. So I'd love to see some of the originals now that you know that limit's no longer there. I don't know if that's Rick, considered a sequel or not. But. Didn't Rick say he had to cut stuff out of um, Shanghai, like the dragon at the end or yep, something, because he couldn't get it to fit? Yeah. <coughs> Tim Franklin asks, how can you have dragons in space? <clears throat> All I have to say to that is play Draconian. Alien. I like the idea of the mind of Daggerith with a whole different engine in space instead of <laughs> corridors. Could have been something. Or should I say Alan? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, the if you ahead. think of the first Alien movie, it was somewhat labyrinthine where they were just on the ship, nothing but hallways, and there was just one thing silently stalking each person and that's what made that movie so suspenseful was the eerie atmosphere and the kind of like going back to Phantom Slater not exactly knowing where your enemy was you know so yeah. well, how many times <laughs> Ken Reichard says Predator 2 really? <laughs> <laughs> actually that's not a bad idea a proper Predator that plays well would not be a bad idea <laughs> no offense it's, to Greg I know that's his favorite game he wrote but I don't know why they don't you know, do a new Coco game of Alien and have the chest burster as the start of the game. Interesting, right? Well, and you play the, the Alien or what? The um, MC10 guys are working on that multi yeah, yeah. Yep. Jim computer game. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting ideas I think that could be done, especially now that we've learned extra things. We've now got the 609 as an option, so if the 6809 just wasn't fast enough to handle certain types of games, there is an option now that more and more of us have that we might be able to kick it into the next, you know, the next level to right. get these types of games done. Well, what game? also Gunstar Two, Gunstar Two, the search for more money. Ferrari harder. That's what I'm going to call that one. <laughs> Ferrari harder. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steve, Steve. You were saying something. Um, I mean, think it, we're just like we're asking for what sequel to what game you already know about would you like to see, but what game <laughs> Candy Company 2, Boris's Revenge <laughs> Ken Riker <laughs> what game would you like to see that hasn't been made on the Coco um, I would love to see certain games like you're talking about Coco 3 ports, I would love to see like a good multicolor centipede 
on the Coco 3. I would love to see a good multi, like some of the early Atari games, a good multicolor um, missile command. Well done, Missile Command on the Coco 3. There's a couple of them that started. Oh. I'd like to see finished, like Defender, Tutankhamun. You know, yeah. we have you know concept versions of available already on the Coco 3, but never got finished for whatever reason. I think most of the time they couldn't get the speed up. Another thing where the 639 can help, you know, if you just couldn't get enough speed translating the direct arcade hardware over, mm-hmm. switch it to a 639 project. There's nothing out there you could you could make some money on it, and uh, and you might be able to pull it off now. Well, what other games are like Dallas Quest? A, a good graphic adventure? Yeah. We're, yeah we're, any of the Mark Data ones? Um, Sands of Egypt, of course. Yeah, like it'd be neat to see some more graphics adventures that could take advantage of at least more colors on the Coco more 3. More graphics. More graphics and more Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few in the yeah. Coco 3, like um, Glenn Dahlgren, you know, Quest of the Star Lord, as an example, is, is a Coco 3 one. There's a few by um, Computerware, too, that came out. Um, there's a Wild West one from Tom Mix, if I remember correctly. There's a, there's a few great Coco Three graphical adventure games, but I don't. You know, I think everybody learned how to use the artifacting palette really, really well over the years. So the, some of those look awesome, and the Coco Three ones look more rushed to get to market type things. So we mm. don't really have anything that somebody went all out with the artwork. So yeah, that would be a nice one to see that uh, somebody you know, like an Erico that has really good artistic qualities, drawing all the scenes and stuff. I think would look awesome. Imagine a multiplayer land. Cronus Rift style game. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, a rescue and fractus where you're actually flying and shooting at each other or something. And other people, yeah, are logged in and you kind of a P fifty one. That would be a good one to get a Coco three sequel would be P fifty one style. <sighs> Full color multiplayer over the modem or over to the internet. All right. So how has um extra memory and the faster P CPU caused um changes in how we do games now? Is there much of a change? Or, I'd say the know. biggest change is we have a programmable interrupt timer. We can now do background sound without slowing down the game in stutters. Well, yeah, well, Gun- Gunstar thing. took advantage of the 6309. It didn't need yeah. much extra memory, but Gunstar took care of 6309 to have the multi-layer graphics and everything. So, You think we'll have longer games now since we have so much memory? You definitely could. You could. You're still and at that point. You're limited to what you can fit on a single disc. So it does become a multi-disc game and stuff too, right? Yeah. I mean, you can ask Chat too. I mean, Digger Three there has got you know levels that get so progressively harder that uh, you know I don't think anybody has won the game yet. Have they, Chat? Besides yourself? Um, I'm not aware of anybody. I I figured that somebody would probably be jumping up and down, screaming, you know, yay when they do. So, <laughs> what size is your game, Chat? Uh, it's over 30 levels. Like uh, K, K. Oh, as far as K, I mean, if you if you take into account some of the scattered, uh, uh, you know, waste that's in there, you're probably somewhere between 450 and, and 500K. It uses quite a bit of the memory. I mean, you've got the uh, I mean, the graphic pages just for the display take up quite a bit. Um, you've got three pages there, and then you've got all of the graphics plus the animations, all the sprites in the background, and then you've got all the map data, which is kept in memory uh, during gameplay, uh, so it doesn't have to access the disk in between levels. So all of that's loaded into memory. Now, there is actually some waste in there that I could reclaim and actually put at least three times as many levels in there. Wow. Um, yeah, so there, there's some waste. That, and the, the problem is is that it's it's inherent to the original design of, of the entire uh, you know, source trio that's you know started with Digger too. So I just was not going to rewrite that to to get that memory back. It just wasn't worth it. So so far, are we keeping uh, the new games and stuff 
um, to floppy size or um, multiple, like we, we haven't had a multiple disc release of any kind, have we? Um, lately, no. Not lately, no. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I, I will. I'll distribute it on as many discs as is necessary. I don't. I don't go in with it saying that you know, okay, I'm going to fit this on one disc or or two discs or whatever. I'm saying it, it's going to take whatever it needs in order to be a good game. Well, you can do that now, right? There's no right. limit, right? Well, I could have done that back images. in the day too. Yeah. But do you think? Um, is it? Hey, Ron, is it you bad know, to- the thing as far as it goes with. You know, we have more memory. We can make a longer game. It's right. really that's not the limit. It's how much time and effort the designers, programmers, can put into the game to make it longer. Right. So there, there's a lot of other issues. Oh yeah, we've got twice the storage media. Doesn't mean we're going to get twice the game. But another right. thing is people don't want to wait as the game loads <laughs> forever. Well, the other thing is, too, is if you start getting into really complicated, really long gameplay, is that then it's a diminishing return for the author, like especially if they're trying to sell it and make a little bit of money to recoup their costs a little bit. Mm -hmm. If it's going to take you four years to design a really long game and you still only sell like 50 copies, was it worth all that time? Or would you rather get four games, you know, one game a year out that are shorter, but you actually get, you know, four times 50 people buying it? Well, look at something that kind of went through my head was, uh, you know, back in the 80s, there were people who were making a living a good living, uh, just writing software for the Coco. Uh, but nowadays, it's you'd be hard-pressed to make a living writing Coco software, no matter how much you Unless make. you're Nick Morentes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ferrari oh, Hardware. Cars under the bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no one That's got a no really studio. Big <laughs> so one of the reasons I can go, when I did Digger 3, I, I put uh, a tremendous amount of, uh, of effort into um, streamlining that you know that whole process of, of authoring that content to make it a lot quicker because back in the day I'd use I'd switch between you know three programs uh, uh, Studio 29 Image Master and my game board editor those are my, my three main tools along with the, the editor assembler for you know for authoring you know that stuff so I'd switch between those so I, I essentially do the same thing now with tiled and the tools that, that I've created I'm doing updates right now um, to add support for things like multiple tile sets uh, the pro- do project uh, uh, management that the tile includes in their newer versions so that you can bundle all of your your levels together you know that is you know into one project so there's a lot of stuff that i've, I've done there to kind of streamline that to to try and make it a lot easier just so when i start doing my next games, like i've already got um 15 levels for my next project already done i've got the graphics done i've got you know all the rendering code started so i mean and this has just been in my spare time you know over the last you know two or three weeks that I've been, you know, playing around with this and that those tools, having that streamlined process has helped me a tremendous amount and not having to, to stop every, you know, couple of days. Is, oh, okay. Well now I need to do this, but how, you know, where do I, you know, now I've got to spend, you know, two or three days collecting all this stuff and putting it together. That's no longer the case. When I do a, a level for, uh, for digger, I can start out and within, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, I've got the thing completed. Yeah. Remember what, uh, Bruce Moore did, um, with this series, and and if you add it all together, there's a fairly good, sizable program that you've gone through over time that he's produced. Uh, Coco know. Forever, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and I, I've, cool. I've thought of doing a game like that too. Like I know CompuServe, uh, which one of their online multiplayer games was Mango Wars or something, or an adventure game, I can't remember what it was, but they had it where they designed this world that you have uh, multiplayers in, and then they would have certain things like here's a grating that's you know blocked off this tunnel. 
<clears throat> and in the meantime, while everybody's playing this, the designers were actually creating an extra map to add in. And then they have an earthquake shake the whole kingdom, and all of a sudden that grate's open, and now you can wander into the second part of the world. So they would be able to keep adding it segmented, like episodes like you're talking about, Ron. Yeah. You could add it's to the, the game pipe now. game. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, uh, I already feel uh, Pipes 2 is coming on. They call that DLC nowadays. Yeah, right. Can't wait to see the advertisements for it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Good question. We got. We got yeah, a lot a good more question. news so, to get through. Yeah, yeah, keep keep giving suggestions there. Maybe you'll tweak one of the software authors here to uh, give it a shot. And of course, there's nothing stopping you from creating your own games that are you know sequels to something too. Uh, next up, uh, Neil Blanchard announced that uh, last call going out, and I'm, hopefully this is not uh, out of date already because this was you know, not too long after yesterday, or last week's show, uh, the uh, Three Monster Maze and Bomb Threat cartridges. And Three Monster Maze, of course, comes in the translucent and yep. the opaque versions. I have that. So they were selling them uh, with limited buttons and stuff too, and but it's, it's a limited production run. So, so <laughs> real quick, I just want, number one, I want to give a shout-out to Neil Blanchard too because I actually listened to Neil's hideout last night. I noticed he puts on Facebook, hey, because Neil's a DJ, right? He was a, Before he was in the Coco, he was a DJ. So on Friday nights, he does live streaming DJ music, and then he's got a chat room where people are listening or chatting and stuff. And so I actually caught it live because usually when I see it, it's the next day and I never do it. So I was listening to him for a while. And not only is he a really cool DJ, he plays good music, but when he does his little talk-ups between songs, he's got the coolest, smoothest DJ voice. You would never guess that when you hear him on the Coco Crew. But he's got that DJ thing down, Pat. Yeah, well, I want to give this one a shout-out to so-and-so, and they requested this song here. You know, it's like, oh, man, he's got that thing. Bam! You know, so I listened to him. I have, I have these games. Um, and, and Tim Linder mentioned too, that he has, if you notice they're in those silver boxes, because you remember before they were in the red box, right? When the ones that John mm -hmm. Linville was doing. So these are in the silver box, which is the reproduction of the, um, of the original Tandy, uh, TRS-80 game cases. So Tim had sent Neil a bunch. So he's got some in Canada to send to people in Canada. So the shipping's easier to do and stuff. So all these ones here are in that box, which I, I like better because this looks like the original the way the games yeah. were, right? Um, yeah, and I have these. I'm a big fan of, of collecting uh, everything. So anything I can get tangible and collectible, I like to get. So I've, I've tried to get every cartridge ever made, and, and I definitely got those too. So good stuff. Grab them while you can. I like the yellow cartridge there with Bomb Threat because I think it matches the label. It looks pretty cool. You know, the red and yellow kind of yeah. go together like that. So, And I, from the sounds of it, I don't know if he's planning on doing another run after this. So this might be a limited, hmm. you know, limited edition at yeah. this point. Now, maybe he'll change his mind if there's enough demand, but... Next one here, I'll let Chet talk about this one since he's actually on the show. <clears throat> and this is, uh, he's been putting up some stuff on his GitHub for, uh, you know, breaking apart source code, both on his own digger reclamation project of uh, re-disassembling it. And then he's also done stuff like uh, color baseball, buzzard bait, and audio spectrum analyzer, just, you know, kind of figuring out how the stuff goes. Now, if I understand correctly, Chet, this is not quite source code at this point? These are just the info files. So these uh, these are the uh, the definition file used by uh, F9 Diasm and a couple of other uh, compatible disassemblers uh, that just specifies like where the text uh, you know code and, and all of that other you know good. So stuff it's like a label symbol is. table kind of thing. Or? Yeah, yeah, and then it, that's fed into the disassembler and it generates the code from that. So it includes all the labels, comments. Um, you know, anything else that I've, I've found in there and, you know, various, uh, you know, I've disassembled these to, to you know, various levels. Um, 
so there are some that have you know quite a bit of comments. Some of them are broken out. I have at least on on all of these that I've got up here, tried to break it out so you have separators in there between all the different uh, little functions, so that you can kind of segregate you know what you're working on because just looking at one long old stream of assembly gets old after a while. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so th there's this this is you know ongoing work. I've got color baseball and and you know of course digger in there. It's uh, one of the dev versions. Um, and then, uh, you know, buzzer bait from with the, uh, CC, with the Cocoa three patch on it. And then, uh, you know, spectrum analyzer in there as well, which was only a two K, uh, ROM. So that one buzzer bait, you found something odd. If I remember some graphic glitch or something. Yeah. When I originally started doing this, I was using a different, uh, using a, a different binary, uh, for the base. And that actually had some glitches in the, um, in the graphics. And I, I noticed these when I was looking at, at the, uh, at the images in uh, GIMP because I'd imported the binary. And as I'm looking at it, I noticed that there, it looked like the, the guy's head was cut off. So I looked at it closer on, on BCC and noticed that it was like that. And then I checked the, uh, um, the archive and it, the one in the archive was the same way. And then I switched over to take a look at the uh, Cocoa 3 version. And that is actually a newer version. Um, than the one that is not patched for the Cocoa 3. So, and the one for the Cocoa 3, I don't know what is up with that. I don't know if it was originally copy protected and it was, it was a result of the, um, uh, of, you know, cracking and patching it, or if just, it just happened over time where somebody had it on, on a corrupt disc or accidentally screwed something up with the disc zap or whatever. Okay. And speaking of graphical glitches there, uh, Stevie, you, you streamed uh, Poltergeist yesterday as part of the Halloween thing. And Tim Linder was in the chat and pointed out some kind of oh, weird yeah. little graphic anomalies that I'd never even noticed before. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, when you start the game on the first level with all the, the towns or like the houses, right? That first map of the streets. It does, it goes across, you know, column by column. And when it gets to the far right side of the screen, it wraps around to the left side and redoes it one row. And that whole left row ends up becoming one pixel lower. And you don't notice it till the very end. And I never would have noticed that if Tim had not mentioned it. Yep. And now that <clears> he did, me, I never noticed it before. <laughs> you can't help but not see it. So uh, <laughs> an interesting, one of the many interesting things about the Poltergeist game. Let's just put it that way. So. <laughs> it's not a bug. Yes, it's a feature. It's a, Destroying yeah. one too many column of houses. Yeah. I, I think what he did is he needed to fill in the last of the road on the far right. And rather having the routine smart enough to just to cut it off at the column of the road, he just wrote the whole thing out again. So it wrapped around to the left and redrew the, the main houses. Cheap. <clears throat> and I was I finally for Chet here, I was going to ask you, uh, going through these disassemblies, like obviously you know Digger fairly well because you wrote it. But on the other three, have you noticed anything interesting or worthy of mention? Um. Not really. I was, you know, I was looking in there for, you know, like, you know, hidden keys or your hidden commands. I mean, that was actually how I found the, um, uh, a couple of the, uh, uh things for a shock trooper. Um, but in these there's, there's nothing really spectacular there, uh, uh, that, you know, screams out that, you know, there's something special hidden in it. I wish there was, but, um, you know, I've gone through all of the text. There are some that, that have the texting, you know, uh, slightly different so you can't read it as ASCII, um, but that's just for optimizations and, and drawing it. Um, but there's there's nothing real special in, in any of these. I mean, the, with, with Color Baseball, you've got, um, you know, some of the original sound routines and, and which are, which this one is slightly uh, modified. I've, I've posted this to a couple of people that have asked for it and sent them the links so that they can compare the, the, uh, the music routines that they've got. Um, I, I think the only real consistent thing between like buzzer bait and baseball and, the, and a couple of the other Coco two games that I've done is, is that none of them use the, um, 
the interrupt for sound. They're all the, in fact, if you look at, um, if you look through color baseball, there's a lot of calls to one particular sound routine throughout, you know, all the drawing, um, everything else in order to keep it going like the, especially the, the, uh, the clapping. Um, and then it uses part of the, uh, the code from ROM as the, uh, uh, noise buffer for playing, uh, the clapping that's all it is is, a, is really a noise channel um so i mean if you want to know how any of uh, how any of that was done um or if you want to replicate it i mean that's that's a good place to start a lot of that stuff particularly for the sounds and for the drawing um those are the key, two key things that i'm uh labeling first uh just those are, are tend to be a really really good starting point Okay, cool. And I, I do, I do know like uh, one problem in the Coco one and two, and like Nick hit this when he was doing pipes, which is why I picked a game that's not too CPU intensive, is that the H sync, which would best be used for sound on the Coco one and two, unfortunately, is tied to IRQ, not FIRQ, which means you have this massive overhead of pushing every right. single register. Yep. So you greatly slow the machine down. Now, Nick and Simon and a few others have done this kind of semi-cheating method, where you purposely overlap one full H sync, so you're basically doing an interrupt for every two. Mm-hmm. And it basically just, as soon as you get past that, was it 57 and a half cycles or something for the H-Sync, you make sure the sound routine fits in 58 or 59. And then you have the entire rest of the second H-Sync for your codes. You can just about split it even 50-50. But if you tried to just do it normally, you'd have like five, 10 cycles left over to do any graphics or anything else after you do the sound, if you're especially if you're trying to channel mix. So right. it was just a, a bad design. I don't, I don't know why they put the uh, the H-Sync on the IRQ versus the the... FIRQ that would have made a huge difference on the Coco One and Two doing sound. Yeah, it would have. That's why when you look at games you know, like uh, what is it, F sixteen Assault, um, you know, there's you know, mad props for the way that they got the audio, you know, as you know, working as well as they did in a game like that. Yeah, I kind of like the concept of okay, let's scan through the code and find something that sounds kind of like clapping. Okay, that's mm. our sound file. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the think skiing that- did that too, if I remember. Hmm. The, the one thing I did get to verify is, is that originally I thought that I had a uh, key combination in Digger for activating the, uh, the uh, built-in editor, uh, but apparently I removed that, so there's only a modification that you can do on disk. Now, I'm not going to give any details on that, but you can certainly extract that if from the from the game. From the, uh, so it's kind of like what happened with Rogue there. They had that entire test suite, and then they changed one branch statement so that you could never do it. So once you patch that one byte, you can fully enable it again. Right. But this actually checks for uh, uh, the presence of a flag on the uh, on the disk. Hmm. Oh, okay. So yeah. Next up, we have an update from Paul Thayer is working on his um, Cocobon. I mislabeled it as Cocobon for some reason. Hmm. Um, but basically, he's been adding in the mirrors and stuff here, which is these little triangular pieces that will reflect the laser light, which is all new. So I'll play a little bit. The laser. Like hey, freaking laser lasers. Yes, whenever you say the yellow border, there is his CPU scan to see how much CPU time he's using for his various things here. So <laughs> this game looks really cool. He's trying to do it without having to go to double buffering here. He wants to try to see if he can do it all within. He's mm-hmm. not sure if he's being able to make that because it gets a bit more complicated if the laser starts getting deflected and has a bunch of extra checks to do as it's going through. So oh, look at that! It's stopping the laser now. The laser is not hurting him. And the laser can, it'll stop at certain objects and other objects it'll pass through. So he's got to kind of worry about that too. He's got to mm. check what kind of an object is it touching and is it is it allowed to keep on going or does it have to stop at whatever. And here you can see he's deflecting it onto the, the mm. one gem, et cetera. The so. gem, yeah. Anyway, he's doing pretty good on this. So uh, he's been making a lot of progress lately. He's been doing all these 
updates on it and stuff. So definitely oh, keep a word cool. out or look out on that process. Mm. Next up, we have Rick Adams, who, of course, found that uh, box full of stuff there when he replaced his furnace. And last week, we kind of went through, you know, in general, some of it, a, bit, a fair bit of his Temple ROM stuff. So here he was going through Omnistar. So he had his original font. Now, this is the original version of Omnistar, which apparently is more complex than the one he's released now. He had a bunch of other extra things in it, too, that he found. Um, I like that OCR. Plus a little bit of notes on Daggerath at the bottom there. I hit on the wizard. To mm. That's some beautiful graph paper. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then some notes that he was, you know, on what he was planning on. Designed for the original layout. Some of the programs that he had in the original version. Now, alternate I, fonts. I actually missed the fact when he was talking about Omnistar, I didn't realize that this was something that he was thinking about doing back in the day. I thought Omnistar was a new project. I missed that one detail. Um, I still think it's a cool game, but yeah, I just I don't remember him saying that Omnistar was kind of like uh, with the bomb threat, you know, one of the yeah, uncompleted, that, yeah. unfinished. Yeah. Internet Honestly, I didn't. I didn't realize that either until he did this. So yeah. Which makes it much cooler because the internet before the internet was cool kind of thing. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. What what I like is the fact that it turns out that his original version was going to be more complex with extra screens and extra things happening in the game. And I wouldn't mind like you were talking about sequels earlier. How about Omnistar yeah. Two with the full original design added? In? Yeah, might be an interesting one. Next up, uh, Henry Reitfeldt. Um, <laughs> Speaking of audio spectrum analyzer. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He uh, did a quick video showing him using the Coco SDC using Brett Gordon's YADOS, or YADOS, and a disk image by Ron Klein that has up to 3,500 floppy disk images, 550 megabytes worth. And then he wrote a little program to actually help this with the launching of it here. So look at the 550 megabytes. going on? Yeah, and, uh, the SDC 550 megabyte hard drive extension. And, and he actually has it so you can search for a disk image. Because I'm trying to memorize 3500 to even look them up would take some time. And you I need another, com- you need another computer anywhere, just to keep track of it all. So I can do <laughs> start with disk 1400. Because that's logical. And we can just browse around <laughs> 1401, 1402. And if this was on a Cocoa 3, you could do a with. 40 or with 80, and it would be mixed case and everything, too. Yeah, actually, is running it on a yeah, Cocoa 3, 3, but yeah, it's not yeah. okay, not just not using that feature at this point. Yeah, it's a lot of discs. Yeah, mm. yeah, for those that think that Cocoa doesn't have much of a software library, sorry, you're wrong. Then <laughs> he launches uh, Gunfighter, which is by a friend of the show. I'm gonna light load. Gun I don't think I, I don't think I even have this one on my site yet. So I have to get back to that actually. And in this case, he doesn't have it auto launch the program. Now, have you seen this game, Stevie? Once it fires mm, up here, not that I'm aware of. I'll let you know in a second here. Uh, well, this is RGB. Mm. Ah, there you go. Oh, maybe. Terry Steen. I remember this. Yeah, I've seen this before. Anyway, that's a quick look at the 550 megabyte hard drive image for use with the Coco SDC. 
Anyway, since Terry Steen's been on the show a few times here, that's one of the ones I haven't got to on my website yet. So Cool. Far out, man. Next up, and since Jet's here, we'll mention this one too here. Uh, Vintages of the New Old actually did a review of Digger 3, um, oh. including video gameplay video that they did. They played the first three levels to go through it. Uh, got a very good rave review. Um, I don't know what else to say. I know Alan Huffman and a few others have commented on the uh, review already, too. Um, heavily inspired by Loadrunner. I think it's quite far beyond Loadrunner. But <laughs> and the YouTube video is on there, too, and they have the direct link to your HIO page, and they also mention the fact that you asked for a $25 donation to the United Negro College Fund, otherwise the game doesn't cost any money, so... Or promoting your cool stuff, charity as well. So I hadn't even seen this yet. Yeah, I just happened on it last night. Apparently, Alan Huffman had found it back on the twenty seventh of October or something. I think when it was first released, and I didn't oh, see it at that point either. I just found it yeah, last night when I was looking for stories. So cool. Look at all those gomers down there. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. One thing I noticed here is it's nice to see quality games for the Coca 3. The machine never got the releases it deserves since its graphic capabilities would match even early 16 bit computers. And uh, now, generally, a really, really good review of it. So hopefully, we'll see some more Coca stuff on the vintages, the old, new old, too. You notice there's no review of Nick Morenti's crap games on this site. So, well, no, they have standards. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of you can kiss my ass. Guess which one? <laughs> Mine's on the shite channel. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the actual video itself here. I'll just play a you know couple seconds. They don't do any commentary or anything. They just basically play it. They actually ran through all your credit screens showing the credits that you wrote too. So, oh, okay. so cool. mentioning Eric and everybody else, and then they actually do the actual gameplay. I mean, we've, we've seen it quite a bit. So he goes through the first three levels, and as soon as he completes the third, then he stops the video. So I'm waiting for the videos of the final level. That's the ones I want to see. Yeah, I wanna, I'm really eager to see who hits that one first. Yeah, I'm trying to remember somebody, like I know um, Rob Inman, I think you mentioned in the chat here, you're up to level 17 now, I think? Yes. And I think I've seen a couple people mention that they're in the, I think one or two people might have actually made level 30 now, which is beyond what I've gotten to. Wow. I know somebody's mentioned the, uh, the Eight of Hearts, which is the one that had the eight of them up there at the top row. Um that's a pretty difficult one to get to. It's a pretty difficult one to, to get past too. Um, so yeah, there's I mean that there's some some people out there that uh, are are getting somewhat close to that. You know if all Paul Paul's gotten? Um, you know I forget I, I haven't uh, I haven't asked him lately what level he's gotten up to. Um, I know that you know during testing I mean he'd gotten up into the what the twenties maybe early thirties, but I think at that was before I made some swift changes to, <laughs> because he got up to the late twenties, early thirties. So, but yeah, the, the, he's, he's got up quite, you know, quite far up there. He's got, he's quite good at it actually. Yeah. I think I've gone to the low twenties as far as I've gotten. So yeah. yeah, there's actually a little bit of a reprieve in there on a couple of levels. I made sure to, to kind of leave that up there so that you've got some uh, breathing um, space, some yeah. breathing room to, to kind of build up your lives to get to that last one. <laughs> Now, once I get done this next version of Nitrous 9 here, I'll... Uh... I don't know what that was there for. Anyway, wow. that's it for the game on news. All right. 
I'm not going to bring up the regular news, or do you want a commercial yeah, we'll break? Just, or? Let's just roll into the keep it keep it rolling. How much okay. news? How much news? News do we have? Is it a bit? Oh, it, there's a fair bit. All right, so maybe then we will take a brief commercial break before we uh, go back into news. News. Nineteen stories, just to let you know. So. And so, what we're going to do since Building. we're since we're feeling festive, and we have. Um, we, we've already played the Nightmare Highway song, but we've got another great hit single that's been released via the show lately to celebrate Sep Tandy from DeBruce Moore. We got I Want Tandy. So we'll play a little bit of I Want Tandy, and then we'll come back with more Schnoozy Noozy and Curtis Boyle after this hit song. that on my soundboard just that drop (laughs) i need it tonight all right (laughs) well if you hadn't fallen completely asleep yet curtis boyle's going to change that for you real quick here with more snoozing you'll be in an induced coma by the end of this segment (laughs) (laughs) more shot shot. (laughs) paul barton what are you working on there paul's looking like he's doing some deep surgery going on here man I was working on something. It's got the Mark Overholzer lenses on and all kinds of stuff. So, cool. Being <laughs> on lasers. Yeah. So what do you got for us, L. Curtis Boyle? 
I'm just switching over right now. I've got one little bonus bit I'm going to throw on the end, too, that's uh, not in the notes. So we'll get that at the and by the way, thank you, Brian, for posting the links as we go live. Brian Weaslers with the assist on the links there. Okay, so Robert has been doing a whole bunch of things. He's been working with the uh, quote-unquote 26 color composite mode, which is basically using artifacting smudging on an old TV on NTSC. The crappier and the TV, the better it looks. Exactly. It's just <laughs> a nice, uh, donut dilemma pal game. So he's been working on this, and he's been changing the algorithm as he's been going throughout the week. So we've seen some updates and some pictures he's done early in the week that looked pretty good, and then they got better as they as they went on. And he's using the 160 by 192 16 color mode. Because um, okay. then the pixels are a bit wider and it smudges a little bit better together and takes less RAM, obviously. So he's actually uploaded a disk version here that you can come and download off of uh, Facebook, which actually has some sample pictures, etc. So that's the link here to go get the actual disk image. And then we'll show a couple of the samples here. Not every one he's done, but... Uh, oh, wow. That looks nice. So that's the mm. one of the earlier versions he did of the Cheetah. Yeah, that looks or, like or, David sorry, Ladd. Really. That's a spitting image of David Ladd right there. <laughs> And then this is one where he, he did some changes to it, and I'm getting a little bit of JPEG art. But you can see the background looks a bit more detailed. Like he's, okay, his algorithm's yeah. got a bit better. Yeah. The actual leopard face itself's a bit more detailed, not quite as artifacty looking. So yeah. And he's been working on this for a while, so I expect. But this requires this requires composite to get these artifacts, yes. right? Yeah. Yep. So, so finally, a, a, a good use for composite on the Coco Three. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's always been know. there. I mean, GraphExpress 2.0 by uh, Sundog supported this back in the late 80s, early 90s. They had a specific version, like that Graph 16 and then Graph 256 meant specifically for this mode, um, supporting it. It just never really got used beyond that. So, so is this doing some sort of palette flipping thing, or is it nope. just a straight 16 color? Hmm. Straight 16 color. I mean, the thing is with our artifact with NTSC, because the color bleeds between everything. That's how artifacting works. Is that you actually with 16 colors, you can bleed the colors together. Right. And and then you you get you know, depending on the palettes you pick, you can you can get like 200 colors or 110 colors or whatever. I mean, so obviously the resolution your your re resolution as far as it looks on the screen for detail goes down when you're doing that, but the color expansion actually I think makes up for it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it'd be very usable in an arcade game. You could tr maybe try, but it'd probably be more of like graphic. Like we're talking before, you know, graphical adventure games with, you know, as close to photo qualities we can get without doing palette tricks, etc. Or your title screen so, or something. But I, I yeah. tried this on my Coco Three with composite output with the Gimme X in it, and it it didn't look like this. Hmm. No, because I don't think that the Gimme X simulates that properly. To be honest, there was a Magnavox monitor that had the composite RGB switch on it. Yep, eighty five fifteen. Yep. Beautifully, it just yep. it was perfect. You could pick res or color, just point point. I love that thing. I wish I could find one again. Yep, I still have mine. Use it all the time. Uh, Robert's here. Hey, Robert, big fan of your work, Robert. By the way, love you, man. Um, yeah, this looks awesome. Mm. Here's one he just did recently, and this one he's gone through about four or five iterations, and it was really not that good the first few, though it did look you know decent. But this is actually getting much closer you're actually picking up some details that the original mm. one kind of just blurred together is her name candy by any chance because i want candy <laughs> <laughs> trick or treat yeah. easy, easy. <laughs> actually actually his name is paul <laughs> <laughs> so, 
RuPaul. Anyway. RuPaul. <laughs> <laughs> work. Work it to live. Work. Surprise. <laughs> hey, it's really interesting seeing where he's going. This he's using, like you can see here, he's got some like crosshatch techniques and dithering and stuff, as well as the color bleeding between the composite. So with the right palette settings and the right pictures that correspond to it, you can get some pretty decent you know, color detail out of here. So I, I'd love to see somebody do a venture game like this, actually. I'm impressed with this one because it's all browns because orange is just brown, but brighter. So there's not a whole gamut here. He's, he doesn't have a lot to work with and he's really got a nice picture out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially considering this is only 160 pixels wide. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the trick is to get the gradients, the, the different gradients of the same color. Yeah, and then also you're working with the bleeding where you put two pixels of you know different colors together and it makes a third color, right? As opposed to looking like just a plain dithering. Depends on the contrast, etc. Yeah. Uh, next up, Simon Jonasson, uh, with some help from Paul Fiscrelli, he's been working on um, sample songs and I think he's using Wilmtel Overture, if I remember correctly, with a four voice music player. Um, now we've seen this kind of technique before, like music and Lyra use this too, where you would actually be doing individual waveforms for each voice, so each one could use right. a different waveform. And, um, you know, using one interrupt to time the mixing of the notes and another one to actually do the actual generation of the stuff you're sending to the DAC. I know Chet's discussed this before on mm -hmm. previous shows, too. So uh, we'll just show what So are you sharing like. system sound right now? We're going to be able to hear it? I hope so. Let me know if you can hear it. Yes. Yep. yep. Well, that sounds pretty good. Yep, and do the different. You can hear the different uh, waveforms in the background, depending which voice it is. Now, the nice thing about it, he said, right now it's only using about I think fifty percent or slightly less CPU time to do four voices at once. So it right. it basically gives you the equivalent of a Coco One running in the background. Kind of like what Nick did with pipes. Yeah, I guess. and I, I liked the way they sounded. It sounded better than the typical organy sound that a lot of the uh, four voice yeah. music did. A lot of yeah, people use that. I think the wave shapes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people did the organ sound just because on the higher notes it didn't sound like when you get to the higher notes it starts sounding a bit tinny and okay. crappy because you're trying to yeah, jam the the differences you know really fast. So I think a lot of people pick the organ because on the higher notes it tended to really sounded better for longer as you went higher. Okay. But yeah, if you're playing something that's got lower notes, you have a lot more flexibility. Uh, Stevie, have you heard the uh, version of Van Halen's All Weight that was done in Musica? Back in the uh, probably, but it's been 40 years. Because that's I, one that actually used some different waveforms to get a more synthy sound rather than yeah. the organ sound. And it yeah. actually did a really good job. This is another uh, limited uh, time offer that Neil Blanchard's doing. Uh, this one's not game-related. This was, uh, he made the 40th anniversary. It's 40 years of awesome. 40th anniversary of the Coco masks for the current COVID crisis, and he's running out of those. He only had a few left. Once again, I don't know if this is sold out by this point because this was published, you know, at, right after our show last week. I did like the fact he says, you know, model not included. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine the shipping for that would be, just be atrocious. So. <laughs> I'll pay it. <laughs> Sheldon McDonald. <laughs> Sheldon McDonald. Okay, now, Nick, I believe this is the one you were talking about earlier, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So Sheldon's uh, started off doing this uh, file manager, 
program for reading GSK files and being able to pull out the individual files and transfer it. Um, I made a suggestion he switched to a dual, dual screen uh, um, file manager, which he's done, and that's that's what he's got up there now. But he's gone. He's taken it a bit further because he's he's also getting it so you can actually then pick a a, a file off off the DSK and use it to edit the program. So it's got a disassembler so, built into it. Well, no, it reads the uh, source file oh, from the assembler. Okay. okay. So it reads the file, displays it all on the screen. You can edit that file and save it back. So. In, in, in essence, it's the editor part of the editor assembler. Okay. But he's now added the assembler part as well. So when you go to that window, see there's the, in the middle row, there's LWASM. Yeah. Well, if you highlight the, um, the, the ASM file that you're creating and then press the L LWASM file, it will assemble that file using the standard LWASM uh, uh, tools that are out there, which is built in now into into this tool, and he's had permission to use, and it pretty well compiles that that code. And in a matter of seconds, you've got a bin file. See, the bin files appeared at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bins. You love your bins, don't you? Well, yeah, that does, that's a yeah. <laughs> that's right. A second from the pipes, I'll go for the bins. Um, it's, uh, so for me, it's handy because Sheldon's a Ed Tasm guy, and I'm an Ed Tasm guy, and and Sheldon needed something better than the than what Ed has Ed Tasm gives, uh, because it only has a small buffer by um, in Ed Tasm, and this allows you to have more buffer space being on the on the PC, so it can create larger larger files, and uh, it's just convenient, like a little IDE yeah. for developing software. So he's still adding to it; still a work in progress. But yeah, you know, it's if, if, or for me anyway. I, I'm I'm looking very interested. Now I'm wondering if this would also be good for like if you had a basic program because I'm using the John yes. Strong tool. For I that. think he does. Yeah, I think it will do um, basic as well. Okay, because then that would be boom. That would be a good thing for me yeah. too. If I have one that I can do basic and assembly on, then that's a one-stop shop right there. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, looking at the bottom left there, it looks like basic yeah. data file and yeah. binary file. Exactly. The, okay, yeah. well, that's that's so. Cool. He's still you know, work in progress, but it's uh, yeah, looking really good. Yeah, mm. I have to agree. Be a good tool for a lot of people doing assembly. Yeah, and, because and basic I think both. I think what the what's really helpful, but and I've used it on on the John Strong Disk tool as well. It's very helpful to have a like file explorer GUI like this to be able to browse the contents of what's on a disk image file, and yep. then even be able to copy individual files between disk images where I've been able to do that too, where if I got this one thing I need on this one disk, I can copy it over to the other disk and I can do it all through my computer and not have to mount all this stuff on a emulator or, you know, SDC to do it. So um, to be able to manipulate files within a virtual disk, the same way you would manipulate files in windows or your operating system is very helpful. I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see where, yeah. where, he, where he takes this. Cause I mean, if he adds on OS nine support, I might start using this too myself. Mm hmm. Where's the Mac OS version? You know what the <laughs> you know what the best part about OS nine is, Curtis? Trash can? It's the ease of use of it. Yeah. So. Um. No, no. The ease of use of the trash can. <laughs> uh, what, what be what would be good once he's done this is to add in a debugger like in Mame. That'd be good to have the debugger in there as well. 
Yeah. But is he, does he automatically launch an emulator? Or well, not not yet, but yeah, hopefully, maybe that's a future thing. No, yeah, because the debugger, you pretty often tie it in with whatever emulator yeah. you're running. So, unless yeah, he's going to write an emulator too, we can always rely on feature creep. Mm, but this is cool. Sheldon's been doing a lot of cool stuff. So thank you, Sheldon. Yeah. The download for that's on the Coco Group. Yeah, it's a, it's a free download. So next up here, and this was by Philip Trotje. He was talking about this, and he's doing a very rough concept. Now, if David Ladd's still on here, we kind of discussed that David knows a lot more about how this stuff works than I do, so he can probably give a better explanation. But it looks like he's trying to do a little drop-in board that would replace 16 or 6551 serial chip uh, with bug fixes because the current, you know, the original 6551 had a ton of bugs. But people did hardware mods to try to get around. 6551A, I believe, fixed most, but not all of them. And then now the current versions out have introduced new bugs, so it's still a crappy chip. Um, <laughs> David Ladd, are you still here? At least to they're consistent. <laughs> well, yes, I'm here. Th- they can buy pipes and then throw the crap down there. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, I know, Jim Brain and you, David, had kind of discussed a little bit about it. So since you're much more knowledgeable in this kind of stuff than I am, can you explain what exactly Philip's trying to do here, and then you know some of the pitfalls and stuff that he's hitting on the original design that I know Jim was kind of getting back with him with? Well, basically, he's just trying to find a way to replace the chip with something that'll be a drop-in replacement. Um, the thing is, is with using a microcontroller, um, you're having a actual um, processor try to emulate what a dedicated chip was doing, which, of course, the 6551 is a UART. Um, so its function has to be is, is timed very specifically, where with a microcontroller, um, you have to be careful that if your your processor in it is too slow, it won't function like what you're trying to get it to do, which is one of the reasons why when you're reading through the thread, Jim is recommending something faster like the STM32s or something like that. So that way the processor is fast enough to, you know, run the code to simulate the 6551. Um but, you know, like almost anything, whether you do, um, you know, replace the 6551 with a CPLD, which should be possible if, if you know how to wire the internal virtual circuitry uh, or FPGA or using a processor to simulate doing it, it's all <laughs> from a certain point of view. I guess is how you want to look at it. Okay. There's so mud. <laughs> is there any? Is there anything that's already been done? Like I noticed, there's this link here which I hadn't seen before. This new 6551. What exactly is that? Is that already something like of this being done already in the past? Or um, where? Link on the top of the screen here. Hopefully, I'm still sharing. Uh, for what he's doing. Um. I don't know of anybody that's actually tried to take and take on this task of recreating a 6551, fixing all the known bugs in a microcontroller. Um, but, you know, it's 
again, it's it's subjective. There's many ways that you could do it. Like I said, CPLD, FPGA, um, like what he's trying to do with a microcontroller. TTL, RS-232. How's it waiting for that? BDSM. BDSM with BBWs. Um, so <laughs> yeah, Jim was also saying in the live chat that in general, you, your, your CPU, if you're going to emulate a circuit would have to be a hundred times faster. I don't know if you covered that already. No, but oh, that's, that's, that's why, um, usually if you're going to use a processor, yes, it's gotta be faster. Um, that's why usually if you're going to replace a chip like this, it's probably better to do it in, you know, like FPGA or CPLD, so that way the electronics is, well, customized for what you're doing. Right, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> and so the main reason why is this because because the Bitbanger sucks? Um, yes. yes, the Bitbanger okay. sucks because that's completely reliant on the CPU. 6809 to do all the work. Mm-hmm. Um that's the reason why um, a few people are already using the Deluxe RS-232 pack to do drive wire. Drive because wire. on Coco 1s, they can get 115-200 where they're limited to 38-400 on a Coco 1. So. Yeah, and because it's so CPU intensive, if you're trying to do multitasking like a lowest 9, it's terrible trying to use the Bitbanger because you have to time every single bit coming out, you know. So this is basically, this would be the Bitbanger on steroids is what he's proposing. Or just a, a proper Bitbanger. Well, well, he's proposing both. Like his original proposal was basically to get something to replace it, to get the chips, fix all the bugs, first of all, because just about every iteration of the 6551 that's ever come out in the last 40 years has got problems. Okay. Um, there's, you know, certain bugs that, you know, it wouldn't give you text if CD was low or whatever. I can't remember the exact details of them all, but there's can, numerous can bugs. I various iterations. jump in as a serial port guy? Sure. Um, the carrier detect should be level sensitive and, uh, they, they sw- switch to signals. So a level sensitive signal was transient and a transient sensitive signal was level sensitive. And so that's why the DCD DSR swap, I forget the numbers now existed in the OS9 driver, it was to reverse those two and kind of cancel that problem. However, that only applies to OS9 if you have the right, you know, the Bruce-Histed Sasia driver, yada, yada. So, yeah, it'd be great to have a better chip. However, if you're going to have to replace something, get a 16550. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the one problem is, though, is with the 1650, which is a much better chip, we do have drivers. We're working on redoing them right now for Nitrous 9. The problem is, is that all the old RS-DOS software doesn't have a clue about a 16550, which means all of your old RS-DOS terminal programs, Twilight Terminal, NetMate, Ultimate Term, do not work with the 16550. It's not a compatible chip. Doing it this way, if you could fix all the bugs, first of all, and then drop it in into a 16, 6551 socket, like if you already have an RS-232 pack, you just replace the old chip with this little satellite thingy. It's software compatible and fixes all the bugs. You don't have to do these quirky, weird things with drivers, et cetera. And then maybe you can eventually expand it to support higher serial rates. Maybe you can do the buffering internally that, you know, it fools the computer into thinking it's doing one byte at a time, but literally the chip's buffering stuff on its own type thing. Like there's a, there's a couple of good ways you could take this, I guess, and, and still maintain the software compatibility, which is the biggest issue of doing a 16550 right now. Because I don't know right. of a single RS-DOS terminal program that supports a 16550. Does anybody else here know one? No, that's something to play no. with. No, but I could patch them. 
<laughs> I, I have my own driver. That's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, I don't do enough, sir. I, I so I'm, I, I think you've answered my question on what's what's the benefit of doing this, or you know, what's the that's the net gain, which I get. But for me, you know, I have, I'm not doing a lot of serial stuff to where I've felt like my serial life needed improving. <laughs> you know. Um, well, eventually, but, once we get to the point where you can talk to a serial chip, but get onto the net, like if you have some yeah, intermediate card yeah, that you know, mm-hmm. uses that to talk to the net directly, yeah, then yeah, your multiplayer yeah. games that start working, that's that would be useful. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm well, all in favor of card. fixing something that's broken, but yeah. I mean, you can do the same thing as you know as DriveWire, you know, the similar approach to DriveWire. I mean, just hook it directly into your PC and have it act as your bridge to the internet, and then set up your yep. stack on the Coco, however you want to do it. Um, since you've got that middleware there, you can uh, you can control pretty much how everything gets you know funneled back and forth. So you're in complete control. Yeah, and DriveWire does have some you know provisions for doing you know direct net access already as it right. is. Um, I, I think this is more for the you know, the truly retro people that actually want to do it all in the cocoa and not have to have a PC right. now intermediary. Was there, was there also well, some discussion about this too about adding the ability for it to add basically Wi-Fi serial to this chip too, or was, there, was that something else I was reading? There was something about that at the very top, like he was talking about possible things. Yeah, one could add Ethernet or Wi-Fi on top and make the cocoa Wi-Fi friendly. Okay. I have some thoughts about cocoa Ethernet as well, but we'll have to talk about that later, Curtis. Okay. I know Jim Brains had some things too because he's made Ethernet cards for like the Commodore 64 and stuff. So, you know, some of that that work he's done line. there might apply. And I don't know if you saw the and comment that Alan Murphy put in our Zoom chat about using a Motorola 6850 chip, which is also MIDI compliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, is that the one that the old PC keyboards used to use too? I can't remember. So you'll notice the 6551 is a Commodore series chip. <laughs> And maybe that's its problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's the old saying about the RS-232 standard? There's so many of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Great hey, thing about interesting standards. Project. We'll have to see where it goes. So. Yeah. This Can next one, this is actually... Color. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. It's just part of the joke. Oh, okay. NTSC color, never the same color. Yeah, yeah that's true. So this next one here is actually, it's, it's an old article from Byte Magazine from 1984, I believe the April issue, which I had not remembered seeing that there was a little bit of time where I wasn't reading Byte. I took a bit of a break from Byte because I was busy reading Rainbow and Hot Cocoa and everything else. And this must have been that was time. Was it too I, much to swallow? Because <laughs> I, I did not know that they did a review of Base 9, especially this late in the game, because Base 9 had already been out for four years by the time this article was published. But they give some sample code. And they mention that it runs on the Cocoa and other systems, too. And they you know get into the gimmicks a little bit and stuff, too. So it's a pretty interesting review of, of Base 9 from back in the day. Definitely worth a read if you're into that. So you had bitten off more than you could chew with uh, the Byte magazine at that point in time. Yeah. Okay. This next one here is from Sixy, alias Kieran. He said, got bored, nowhere near complete, but there's at least two full years. So he's published an index guide for Dragon User Magazine, kind of like the rainbow searchable ah, indexes we have on the nice. thing. That would be interesting to see. So he's got this in .bib format, which uh, Robert Allen Murphy actually kind of explained to me what that was, because um, I'd never heard of it before. But it's a a text-based sort of indexing system for doing bibliographies on documents and stuff. And then you can run it through some other programs. You'll have to find and download to to go through it. And this is only the start. He's not, you know, finished the whole thing or anything. But uh, 
it sounds like there is versions of this that you can get to translate this on Windows and Mac and Linux and stuff too. So once it gets it done, it'll be very interesting because I know the Dragon had some pretty interesting articles on, especially some of the semi-language stuff there that you know was done from a different approach than some of the stuff we saw in Rainbow and Color Computer Magazine, et cetera, here. So it'll be interesting to see some of those. So I'll be keeping an eye on that project. Next one here, uh, Keith, or is it Chibiakumis? I don't know how to pronounce that, but I mean, um, did his first assembly language tutorial for the Coco 3 specifically. So he goes into, you know, the Coco 3 graphics modes and the horizontal scroll registers and stuff like that. So I'm going to play just a little bit of a clip from near the end. He's doing a little bit of a graphic demo showing some, you know, drawing graphic stuff using the 16 color mode. In the case, he's using the 256 pixel wide. He's not using the 320. I'll just play a little bit of it. 60 just updated there. too. Again, yeah, quite um, quite nice features to have. Uh, the um, Coco 3 is quite impressive as far as 8-bit um, systems go. You know, it's um, it's quite nice, really. It's just a shame that it wasn't very popular. It's also a shame it didn't come with that 6309 because the 6309 is very interesting and sadly never saw any mainstream use, which is a real shame. Anyway, though, that's um, the end of today's example. As always, as I say, you can go to my website. And he's using I mean, yeah, DCC. Give a shout out to the, yeah, <laughs> shout out to the 6309. He, uh, yeah. Give a shout out to the Coco 3. That was kind of cool. Yeah. And he's planning on doing some more stuff too. I'm sure you'll get into you know interrupt timers and stuff because you can do background sound much easier, even though the sound hardware isn't a sound chip like he's used to on you know, MSXs and some of the other machines he covers. But a very good, very good tutorial um, going through some of the Coco 3 graphics modes. So, And I, I think from what we've gone through like all the assembly tutorials we had most of them are coco one and two oriented now a lot of that applies to the coco three just doing general 6809 stuff but there hasn't been a lot of video tutorials for people to watch on how to deal with the mmu and how to deal with you know the gimme and stuff so it's nice to see one out there finally now and I'm, i don't know steve bjork if he's planning on are you planning on actually doing a coco three series at some point or maybe somebody else is planning on it at some at, point okay so in the meantime, here's here's a start for you anyway. Nice. Uh, uh, Sixy mentioned that he'd caught up his archiving of that Dragon uh, magazine up to now March of 1986. Oh, cool. I don't even remember how long uh, Dragon User Magazine kept going, so I don't know how much more he's got left to do or if he's finished. <laughs> okay, next up. And is Paul still on the call? Paul Schumacher? Yeah, this looks familiar. <laughs> So this is your first video, and I don't even know if I have a link to the second one in here, but um, you did your little ants demo, which is basically just sort of a randomized... Well, you explain it. Yeah, the, so, uh, so as somebody said, they called it a, dr a drunk walk, which is, I think, uh, for <laughs> me, like this is something that I've... This little program I've, I've written, and I think uh, many people have written it a hundred times, just moves a pixel randomly in eight directions around the screen, and if there happens to be a pixel where it's going to put it, it it inverts it, so it presets it. It's a preset, preset kind of a thing. And as I've been wanting and trying to learn to do more with assembly, I thought I'd write this little program all the time just to goof off. I thought, well, let me see if I can figure out how to do it in assembly language. Wow, a little faster. A little faster. Yeah, yeah multiple so, ones. So many going more on, on the screen. Yeah. Right. This and almost so looks I, like a virus taking over a system or it, something. Like exactly, that. exactly yeah. right. And so, um, actually, Steve. Um, helped me in discord a little bit to, and so i swapped out with the latest version that i have i swapped out the random number generator to one that 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 steve wrote and and he was kind enough to post out on discord so i copy pasted that in and and uh, uh, uh applied it to to my use case here and the the current 
iteration of this little program that I have right now does a hundred ants. And Holy so it, crap. That's it, even faster yet. It literally, so I live in Texas and in Texas we have fire ant hills and you know, when you step on one and they just come swarming out and with a hundred ants starting in the middle and moving out from the sensor, it literally looks like an ant hill. So, um, it's just a, it's just a bit of fun way for that for me to learn how to, um, how to deal with putting a pixel on the screen in assembly, which is not terribly difficult for people who know how to do it, but it was a learning experience for me. And then yeah, figuring out how that. to do the um, right masking and unmasking and all that kind of stuff. And then figuring out how to do random numbers in assembly was a, was a, a goal that I had in mind for some of the other development that, I, that I'm working on too. So just a fun thing. So do, you have, do, like have, do we have a video of the hundred ant thing out there anywhere? No, no, unfortunately, I, I did. I just looking at my notes here. I must have you know, passed I over it. I, yeah, I haven't. I haven't uh, uploaded a video of the hundred ant thing. There's one with maybe forty ants that gives you a. a yeah, a, I remember a, seeing it, but I, I, it looks flavor. like I just put the initial one up and I didn't save the link for the other one. Stupid me. Did you post the code anywhere? I did. I yes. actually I, I posted the the binary. So if someone wants to just you know download the binary and import it onto a disk, you can. And then I posted the latest um, with actually the hundred ant version um, as a assembly file. You know, a, just a text file. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And here's the link. I think okay, this might be the original one too, or is this the new one? I can't remember. Uh, that's version the forty ant version. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Press the key to add more ants. Yeah, the, the version I was like, why would anybody want less than the full number of ants? And so the hundred ant one just starts with a hundred, and it doesn't let you it doesn't let you go up or down. It just keeps a hundred on the screen all the time. I like the way you've got it set up so that when they uh, like if they go too far down the bottom, they wrap around the screen. Yeah, it's a, that that may be cool good. with color, and then when they overlap, um, they change color. Well, I would kind that, of be a little bit colorized through artifacting, right? Because that's a well, bit yeah, more what you're watching it on. What's what's and 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 it you absolutely absolutely will get artifact um, art, artifacting, but uh, with the hundred ant version, since there's so much initial um, pixel swapping happening at the very center, it actually you see grays even with the black and white. Oh, wow. Even with RGB, you see you see some grays happening there just because of the pixels flipping so fast. Oh wow! And now, is this any different on a uh, monitor as compared to a uh, you know an LED screen? Do you think it would be different. Um, Composite would be different. You'd see you'd see a lot more artifacting. You'd see the artifacting on the composite for sure. Uh, I haven't actually looked at it yet on a composite monitor. I've only ever looked at it on an RGB or or a VGA actually. Hmm. And I know you say it's it's a simulation of it looks like a simulation of ants, but actually to me it looks like a simulation of all the bugs I introduced in Nitrous Nine every time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, it it looks like some type of organic takeover, like a like a virus or a cancer or some type of organism just like taking over a system. It's a COVID simulator, basically. There you go. In that line, (laughs) if you made the background a Game Boy game screen and let the ants just take it over. (laughs) <laughs> That's pretty appropriate to what happens to old Game Boys. <laughs> I, I actually have a version of the program where you, you load another screen in the in the background, like in the in the P mode in the P mode four dash dash five. If you guys know what I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. like in the memory behind it. Yeah. And so, in when the pixels move around, what they actually do is draw. Oh, they're the, revealing the image what's behind, that's behind it? it. So okay. that reveals the image behind it. That's so it's, neat. It's, it's that's a neat cool. effect too. So do the other way, and you've got the Game Boy bit rot, which is actually an organic problem that happens with those screens where blocks like that begin to grow. 
in that eight pixel faction like your game. People would love it. <laughs> yeah, and Paul, like uh, like you mentioned uh, at the beginning here, um, I've written that program in basic. I can't the different iterations with color, without color, right? Uh, all sorts of different, you know, clearing the screen after a certain length of time, uh, just different stuff like that. But I've done that, played with that concept for for years, and when I saw your thing there and then with machine language that was really cool to see it done in machine language yeah it with with the 100 ant version any individual ant is still going faster than the single ant in basic does so (laughs) yeah what about did you do a one ant in in uh yes it is it goes too fast right it you can't (laughs) actually see the individual pixel moving around it just looks like a big blob of stuff moving around it yeah it moves so fast it almost it's, looks like a random placement of black dots at that point, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no it's pretty cool. Per se. It was a cool exercise, though, to, to share with us. Yeah. Fun, it cool. was fun to do. And and I'm still noodling on it. And and I'm definitely going to do a, a, a version in color as well, Ron. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah. I should mention, uh, too, we were talking about the Dragon user index that uh, Kieran's doing here. Um, another person, Brigmar71, says that Dragon user ran up to 1989, so he's still got another three years left. Yeah. Well. Get cracking. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, uh, Carlos Camacho put up a reminder that uh, he sells ROM upgrades. So if you get an old Coco 1 or 2 on eBay and it's only got color basic, he's actually got the extended basic ROMs pre-done and ready to go for you to order to plop in. So you can do the upgrade because, of course, you can't order them from National Parts at Tandy anymore. So, um, And I think he has the two versions because I know the later Coco 2s had a, a combined ROM. It was a bigger ROM chip with more pins that actually had all 16K color and extend combined. And the older ones had the separate 8K ROMs for each. And I believe he sells both, though he can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Hey, I got a question for you guys that are programmers and stuff. <clears throat> I um, was going to take one of my um, BIN pictures that I made on the Color Computer 3 and I was going to... Um, Oh, I know why it won't work. Well, here's what I was going to tell you. I wanted to put it on the. Um, it won't work on the, on the, dragon, will it? Because um, it probably can't view the picture. But how how do you save a C save M quote a file? Do you have to put the ending or the start, the middle or start and end addresses? Yes. Yeah, you have to. Well, how do you find those? It depends on what you're trying to save. Like, you're saving a graphic screen. Yeah. Are you saving a, a P, like a Coco one and two screen or a Coco three screen? Well, this was a Coco three screen, but I just realized it won't work on a on a Dragon because the Dragon's like a Coco one and two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Coco one and two, it's fairly easy because Basic by default puts the graphic screen at a certain fixed location. Oh, okay. Unless you're doing like a P mode four comma five, it'll move a little bit, but you can still figure out where it is. On the Coco three, it's a bit more complex because it's going through the MMU, and that means it's not really mapped in it times you have to like manually poke an mmu block and save that block poke in the next one save that block because it won't fit in with basic because the screen itself is 32k the roms are 32k and your basic program can be up to 32k so now you got 96k and you only have 64k to work with so you have to do some extra flipping of mmu blocks around to do to get it to save but, but considering that you could do multiple origin statements i have seen situations uh, a buddy of mine had it to the point where he could load M a graphic file, 32K Coco 3 graphic image, just by typing load M and the file name. Yeah, yeah you can do it. Because it would load 8K, and then it would, do an, it would change the 
origin so, and then tell it to remap the MMU right, block. It just and, yeah. write one byte into the MMU and then change the origin back to that same 8K block and then load the next yeah. 8K. But you can't, you can't do that with the save, C save M command. You have to custom write that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to answer Ron's question, I mean, if you're doing a P mode, you know, zero through four screen on a Cocoa 1 and 2, it's pretty easy. Um, there's the two basic defaults for where the screen is put. If you have a cassette-based system with no disk controller, it starts at 600 hex. So your start address would be 600, and then the end address would be, you know, dependent on which P mode you're using because they're different sizes. And then so disk system is uh, easy. Yeah. Yeah. And Coco 3, some of the books that are out there have basic save and load screen example code in them because mm -hmm. it was pointed out that uh, the folks that wrote the Coco 3 basic obviously hadn't used the Coco 1 and 2 basic as much as others and didn't realize there was a good need for a screen save and load routine. So the books themselves include one. I think Lawrence Teppold's book is one yeah. of them. Also, and Steve, Steve York himself, if I remember correctly, Steve, you released fairly early on in the Coco 3's life, like in late 86, I think you released on CompuServe, if I remember, in Delphi, a program that actually did the saving of the screens, too. Yeah, so there's tools out there already that could uh, that you could look at. Yeah. The other thing in the Coco 3, of course, because you have pallets and you've only got 16 colors on the screen once, you have to save the pallet registers, too, to, to get it to display properly. Because, you know, you might have different colors set as your defaults than somebody else does, or somebody has composite and you have RGB. So unless you, you save the pallet registers, you will get totally files. different colors. Huh. Yeah, MGE saves all that, too. So Yeah, and CM3 and VEF and a few other formats. But you do have to know to do that, if you're, especially if you're trying to do it manually, like Ron was mentioning with CSAVEM or SAVEM. So it's a bit more complex than a Coco 3, I guess, is the summary there. It's pretty it's easy on the Coco 1 and 2. Yeah, it's easy on a Coco 1 and 2. Well, I tried, I tried and I just kept getting syntax there. Why would I get syntax there? <laughs> yeah, it, it, if I remember, CSAVEM takes, I think it requires all three parameters. It needs the exact address, even if you're not saving an executable program, if I remember correctly. Yeah, start address, how many bytes, and execution address. Yeah. I've actually got a little, I actually found it at Little Cards. I found it yesterday, actually, when I was looking through some stuff. A little thing of pokes and peaks that will give you those addresses so you can, so if, you, if, you, if you've got a, a machine language program already in, in memory but you don't know where, uh, you can type this in and it will give you those three things so you can put them on the end of your C save. It's sitting here somewhere, but I can post that up if you want, Ron. And then the next story, Steve Norton here, he's working on a utility. Now, this is kind of an interesting one. I know some people, I, Steve, I know you've hit this, and I know I've hit it. If you downloaded an emulator version of a software program off the archive, they might have long file names. Hmm. So you try the emulator. Later on, you get an SDC, and now you want to put on the SDC. Well, the SDC only handles 8.3 file names. So you have to go through and manually rename all these things down. Which, if you've downloaded a ton of stuff before and you don't feel like re-downloading them all, I mean, now we have the SEC version, so it's probably not as much of an issue as it used to be, but it was a pain in the ass. And Steve Norton's got a utility he's been writing here that actually will uh, do this conversion for you automatically. Um, change them all to uppercase if you want, and has a few other features there, too. Um, but basically makes this, this whole process a lot easier. So if you have a lot of these long file name ones you want to translate to the Cocoa SDC with the 8.3 file names, you can just run this utility he's written on it. Now, this isn't a beta right now, so it's you know there might be some issues to go through. 
Uh, and he mentions a couple of things, uh, you know, caveats at the bottom there too, but it's a nice quick way for you to just quickly generate all those and you can just dump them on your SDC and away you go instead of having to manually rename everything. So that's available for download on Facebook. There's a bit of a screenshot on oh, that's neat. some of the options and stuff. It's called Cocoa Shortener, which is kind of what they did with the Cocoa 1 to the Cocoa 2. They shortened it, so... <laughs> Uh, this one here, Peter Satinsky, uh, put up all, all the cocoa related, uh, technical bulletins from Tandy, um, you know, ranging from the cocoa one stuff to the cocoa three stuff. Now the technical bulletins, some of you people that worked at RadioShack probably know this a lot better than I do, but these were basically, I think, fixes for known problems and how, how to address them. Um, so the early ones are like, how do you install 64K on a, you know, a, a D, a D board cocoa or something. And uh, they also did, you know, fixes for RF interference. If you have a disk drive, uh, they're talking about the timing changes on the Gimme. That's why the Gimme, you know, A revision chip came out. And there's a couple of interesting tidbits in here I didn't realize. Um, like I know I was hoping uh, Richard would be on here from Boys and Tech because I know he's one of the few people I know that actually has a Seaboard revision Cocoa One, which is quite rare. The technical bulletin, though, for doing some of the memory upgrades actually mentions that a B-board revision was actually out in the wild and actually give the instructions for doing memory upgrades on that. Has anybody here ever seen or heard of a B-board before now? Because I never had. I haven't, but I see Paul Barton's holding something up, but I don't know what he's holding up. You got a B-board, Paul, or what, what are you showing there? Is he muted? He's muted, and I'm not sure what he's holding up there. Well, wasn't the instructions for upgrading the B board just to throw it away and put in something newer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you say that for the except for 64K, that was probably recommended right through the D board, inclusive. I think because it was you had to cut traces and all kinds of stuff. But um, it was just interesting that they had that, and then the Coco Three it went into a bit of an explanation about the multi pack and why you needed to upgrade that for a Coco Three. Um, they gave some specific examples on the gimme, why the revision a gimme was brought out. And, and there's a couple of pretty interesting things in there anyway. And he's got scans of the entire history from like 1981 or 82, right through to 88, 89 of wow. the Cocoa related technical bulletins in one big download. And unfortunately I was trying to load this because I was going to show you some of these and I've tried reloading it multiple times. I don't know what's wrong with GitHub right now, but it won't reload the thing to display. So. Take care, Paul. Paul Shoemaker says he's got to go. Take mm. care, Paul. Right. Later, Paul. Anyway, very interesting stuff there. Next up, Australian Darren Ottery put up a video demo on Facebook of his simple drum machine program called Beatbox, which I believe he wrote quite a while ago. And it's based on an ML routine that Craig Stewart, another fellow Aussie that uh, was, you know, Nick's main competitor back in the day for selling stuff through Tandy. Uh, he's the one who wrote Pursuit and you know, Space Marauder and a few other Coco game titles, both Coco 1, 2, and 3. And uh, well, I'll just let this play here. Uh, David O'Connor, you might give some commentary on this because I think you expressed some interest in this as well. Um, but basically, it's a, it's a basic program with an ML subroutine for doing some you know, percussion sounds. And let me know if this is loud enough. Kick, tune, snare, boom. So this is like live performance. You press the keys or no? Yeah, yep. Okay. That's cool. Wait for it. (laughs) 
It's a noisy keyboard. It needs a bit of oil. <laughs> Here we go. Boom. Explosion sound. Ah. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a pretty cool demo. Now, it reminds me of a program that Sundog put out called Soundtracks, I think it was, because it did something, not live playing like this, but you could pre-program now, percussion where Now, where were the samples coming from? Are they being generated by the Coco DAC, or is yes. he doing this through MIDI or something else? Through the DAC. Coco DAC. Okay. Yep. yep. No, totally no additional hardware required. Okay. That hmm. is even more impressive. So I know we're planning yeah. on having another demo with Darren, you know, doing MIDI and stuff here too. So maybe we can get him to demonstrate this at the same time and you know get into a bit more detail about it. David Ladd also says he's leaving us. Goodbye, David. Goodbye, David. It was so nice <laughs> having you on the show today. Why? This seems to be the new thing now. When the new segment goes, yeah. See you later, David. The, the, the new new thing to do with the new segment now, rather than falling asleep, people will just politely leave. Yeah, just leave. <laughs> I really know how to clear out a room, Curtis. Good job. <laughs> thank you thank you very much uh, Moy, uh, with that, well, you were, uh, said before I had some interaction with um, Darren on that topic about his little drum machine thing too and my main interest there was uh, because the new album I'm working on is called Coco Music and every track on the album is going to feature the Coco I thought well you know, another fellow was he and he's got some code here and it's pretty cool and it's music related and it's a perfect addition to the album so uh yeah, we're going to share some ideas backwards and forwards, and he might put some extra little functions and features or whatnot in it. And yeah, it'll uh, be used on Coco music. Cool. So a real Coco playing the percussion would be pretty pretty nifty. Yeah. 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 Uh, next up, Bill Pierce has put up a list, uh, a couple of uh, text files here of, of a list of known bugs and a list of feature requests for VCC because he's actually got some programmers actively working on it again. Um, so he's asking for contributions. What new features would you like to see? What bugs have you found that need to be fixed? I know there's been multiple ones in there, like, you know, the composite colors are completely wrong and, and et cetera. And I think that's already been patched, but he's also doing some stuff. Like he's mentioned that the next version coming out is actually going to have stuff like cut and paste text. So you can actually cut and paste from the PC yeah, I side. Think Jim Rye has been working on that. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Rye's the guy that's helping him with that too. Yeah. And I know some of these features have also been in OVCC that, uh, uh what's the guy's name? That is, uh, Zambody. Yeah, Walter Zambody. Yeah. Walter Zambody's been working on. Yeah. So hopefully they kind of try to keep things a little bit in sync here so that you know new features on one get introduced yeah, to the other and vice think versa. What we really needed was another Facebook group from Ron Delvaux because we didn't Well, thank you very enough. much. Yes, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> down you know, a he's got a long ways to go to catch up to the Discord channels that people keep adding, but uh, yeah. he's trying. Scroll down a little uh, so you can see that whole whole thing up there. Go, Ron. There you go. Yes. Yeah, and, and as <laughs> always, Ron's artwork is stellar. It makes it look Absolutely. pro, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Are you doing an uh, OVCC one too then, Ron? Uh, no. I don't, I'm not familiar with that, so... Uh, <laughs> 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 Who? Uh, I also did uh, um, Ease of Use over again. No, yep. The artwork for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I, I had a little note here at the top of my uh, notes for the today for the news that uh, if Ron wanted to show off all of his different artwork, we can do it as part of the Ron's Garage thing because it's in yeah, it's his garage, right? Mm. Next up, uh, the Coco Crew released their new episode, I think, yesterday, if I remember correctly. I don't so, remember seeing that posted. Oh, yeah. I, well, I haven't been on Facebook a lot. Okay, that's mm -hmm. good to know. Yeah. So uh, the, the the big things of interest here, they have a host discussion. Does color basic, extended basic, super extended basic, and this basic count as an OS? And they actually had some conflicting views between the panelists on that. So it made for an interesting discussion. I would discussion. say no. <laughs> <laughs> I would say yes. 
Yeah, okay. and I mean that's basically what happened on, on there too. Okay. And I, I think it's kind of a hybrid. There are some and even as Boise mentioned, you know, there's there's a difference in the computer science world what exactly constitutes an OS. Okay. I mean, literally by the primitive version of it, it's basically anything that talks to the hardware, which yeah, is basic does. So you know, it talks to the floppy controller, it talks to the keyboard, okay. it talks to the joystick. They do have sort of fake little API calls at those little addresses at the beginning, the indirect calls. So you can actually read a joystick and write a cassette header and, you know, talk to Discon and all this stuff. So there's some stuff in there. It's a yep. primitive one, but I think it does kind of qualify. But yeah, it was I guess, I guess it's a, I guess everybody has their own definition of what defines an operating system. To me, the operating system is the software that, that manages the hardware. And since basic it's, you know, it's doing it in ROM, I, you know, I guess, but is basic so does managing, the BIOS. Yeah, and is basic managing the hardware? Well, then, yeah, technically it is, right? It's letting you... Sure, it yeah. does a so, memory detection. It manages memory yeah. by cleaning yeah. up the yeah. string space. You know, it's got yeah. a garbage collector, input, output, tape device driver, printer device driver. So it, it depends Go on your terms of reference. Go. Yeah, so, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a DOS. It's an OS. It's an interpreter, it's an editor, it's an OS, it's, it's drivers. It's an oper- it's it is stuff. an operating system. It may not be your, you know, Bonafide. fancy load up whatever you want yep. operating okay. system, but it is an operating system. Yep. yep. Oh, oh, look at that. Neil reviewed Cosmic Aliens and Digger 3. Yeah, I was oh, good. Wow. That, was, that was part of what I was going to be mentioning here. Oh, look at so they reviewed that. Digger 3 and Cosmic Aliens, and then they both got good reviews. So you definitely want to listen to that, Stevie. Right. And, and Jet, in case you haven't heard that one, now you've had two reviews here in this last week here, Coco Crew and uh, Vintages and Wow, that's interesting. That's cool. Thank you, Neil. I because oh, I because yeah, earlier I got to check it out. Neil wasn't aware that I had reviewed his cartridges in the newsletter too, so I'd sent him a link to that. Um, we were chatting on Facebook, and so I was letting him know that yeah, I did a write up on your cartridges in the last newsletter. So. Yeah. And then the tech segment was on stack blasting, which is kind of timely because I last week we showed that little tech stack blasting demo that uh, John did put up on Facebook as a little quick video. Ah, yes. Doing the scrolling, so he kind of explains the technique and some of the caveats if you do it certain ways, and you know, you can use almost well, look all at the registers. This. The, the entire episode, the parting thoughts come in at an hour and fifty-one, so that's actually a short Coco Crew, isn't it? Uh, they've been around this two hour, yeah. the last few okay. episodes, I think. Anyway, they had some good stuff in this episode, so definitely go check it out. Alright. Next up. Um, scroll Robert up a little Galt. bit so we can see Ron's uh, artwork there. Yeah, scroll it down. There you go. Look at that. Boom. Look okay. at that. <laughs> Voila. Thank Happy you, sir. 40th birthday, Ron. Look at that. Alright, yep. You are oh. on fire, Ron. Look out. And the shirt to match. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I love so, you, man. <laughs> I'm with you, man. It's all good. So Robert Galt has uh, uploaded a utility called ML Finder to the Facebook Coco Group, which we're showing here. And uh, this allows you to find the start, end, and exec addresses of an ML program, uh, You know where on the disk it's located, and some other information. And he's included the source code for this, which has been unique. We've had other disk utilities. Jeff Francis' disk utility, but one's a very popular one. I think Ron showed it before. On the show, I used to use it a lot, too, and there's a bunch of disk editors and stuff, too. But this is actually has the source code of how to do this kind of stuff. So that's a bit more unique. Most of the other ones were commercial programs or just released as is, you know, runnable. So if you want to learn how some of this stuff works and written in machine language, I believe I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. But uh, there's some interesting information in there with the source code. 
And this is one where I finally did an update for a change. Um, not not beta six itself yet, but the uh, ease of use manual. We've been slowly converting the original <laughs> thousand page plus OSN level two manual to now it's going to be fifteen hundred to two thousand page plus. Oh, uh, thank version. you, Curtis. <laughs> two thousand pages, right? <laughs> and, and make sure that when you're wiping your bottom with this, that they don't get clogged in Nick's pipes. It's okay. More so. of <laughs> it's the only thing that we just need more of. <laughs> So anyway, back in July, we released the Windows portion. I mean, the big reason for doing this is that so much has changed over the years. The Radio Shack manuals were last updated in March of 1988. And, you know, even they still had some mistakes in that version, though they did fix a lot of them. And there's been so much stuff added since then. There's third-party drivers. There's changes through Nitrous 9. There's changes with OSN Level 2 upgrades that, you know, Kevin Darling and the rest released back in the day. So quite a bit of stuff's new. Now, the Windows manual, we added a few extra features. There's like a filled circle, a filled ellipse. There's some different options on a couple of them. This is the first one that's had major changes. So the technical reference portion, which is basically, you know, explaining how the system works and what default parts are in the system. We had to add stuff like the VRN virtual IRQ driver that wasn't in original OS 9. So that's been added a whole new chapter. And system calls, there's a ton of new system calls. There's system calls for third-party drivers. There's system calls that have changed function or added functions. There's brand new ones, um, all kinds of stuff. So this particular manual, I think the original Tandy one was around 250 pages, and the new one's about 350. So it's a pretty sizable increase. And the next chapter that's being, our next section, I should say, that's being worked on is the uh, commands reference. That's going to be even a bigger change. And then Basic 9 is getting done after that. So there's more still coming. But these are going to take longer and longer to do because there's a hell of a lot more to do. And we've been trying to format it in the same uh, manner that the original one's done. So if anybody wants to print 350 pages on their printer and, you know, force more, the page size to match Rondell the original. More Rondell artwork yes. right there, too. Look yep, at that. that is. Can't help it. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's everywhere, man. He's everywhere. <laughs> so there's the, you know, the revision we did there from when it was released. And uh, there's, um, wow. we've got some parts highlighted. But awesome. we tried to do the formatting roughly the same as the original manual. So if you size it to the same pages, which are kind of those little shrink ones in that three-ring binder, mm. you could literally just replace the entire original with this. Well, I got to say something, Curtis. You know, I know we kind of tease Nitrous 9 and stuff, but obviously it's it's a very functional operating system. But more importantly, documentation is something that is critical to any project, and it's usually something that's always lacking in every project because it's, it's the least fun part to do. Yes, right? Nobody, I will fully vouch for yes, that after working on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I know, I know that's been my guilty part, too. I've done a lot of projects where I've not documented them well or documented them at all. So to be doing it right like this is, is just as impressive as, as everything you've been doing on the actual development of the operating system. The fact that you guys are developing now this thorough, proper documentation, I just want to say bravo for doing that. I'll never read it, but I appreciate yeah, exactly. the fact <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you guys you, you are doing it. You can always download it. it just to appreciate Ron's art. Yeah, no, so no, but you, you're doing something that is really impressive because nobody creates proper, thorough documentation anymore. Well, yeah, and is, I have to give a huge shout out to Jay Cyril, who's actually been yeah. doing all the types setting and stuff to setting this up um i i he gets the original manuals in and then i do all the revisions i don't have to go through it literally page by page in, in the live chat nimble says i'm revving up my tp10 so he's ready to start printing this to wipe with it right off the start <laughs> one continuous roll just got to perforate it every yeah, once in a while gentlemen yeah. start your engines <laughs> you know, tp uses toilet paper so why they yeah, that's what it stands for doesn't it tp10 um, <laughs> 
Ten rolls. <laughs> so this fly. one page I just wanted to show because it actually has one thing we've added to the manual is we are trying to do highlights of stuff that is new from the original OSM ah, level two, okay. so you can tell what's new. And this is a pretty you know simple one. It's just mentioning that we've moved the defs file and renamed it. But there's other stuff we'll mention like this feature is brand new as of Nitrous Nine EOU Beta Three, or it was new in Nitrous Nine over OS Nine level two. So we're covering stuff that if you're still using the original three point three. Nitrostein. There's a lot of features there that were undocumented or new or both or changed. And we're actually highlighting those as well. So even if you're not using ease of use, if you're using the stock OS or Nitrostein level 3.3, you will see these little things here that will tell you that was new in Nitrostein. We've also got corrections done to the original OSI level 2 manuals, as I mentioned before. There were some hidden options and hidden features in there that never got documented and has been there since 1986. So those are documented here as well. And we're going to keep going with that on all these other new parts of the manual. That's too. awesome. So just think eventually we'll get to the C management. compiler and the multi-view manual. We're going to be trying to do everything. Just um, think so. of all the people in the future that are going to run into this and and think, geez, who did all this stuff? This is you awesome. Know? Yeah. And why does it chaff my ass yeah. when I wipe so bad? <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, so the two first two parts are done. They're uploaded to my site. Uh, I'll put them up on the archive too. Now, this was the very first release, and I know I did a couple minor corrections to the window one. I was fully expecting that I've missed stuff because 350 pages is a lot to go through and not you know, go blind. Yeah, yeah. So I've already had a couple corrections come in. Uh, Jeff Tennyson's mentioned a few. I think somebody else sent, just sent me one here yesterday too. So I will be coming out with a revision in the next couple of weeks of just you know tidying up some Yeah, as hard as it mistakes. is to proofread your own work, it's even harder when you're trying to proofread a technical document, you know, for accuracy yeah. and stuff. It's yeah. like literally this is where I turn into Mikey and I start snoozing in the middle of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is like this is yeoman's work here. This is really commendable to be doing yeah. this. Wow. I mean a fair bit of it is based on the original manual. Once you get to the set stat get stats, then there's a ton of new new stuff. I think it's almost as much. So many did you guys calls. do like an OCR on the original manual as a starting point, or was there already a, a, a document that had started um, by somebody? Some else? of the manuals have had stuff. Boise did start converting the the manuals over. Now he was changing the formatting quite a bit from the original. We're trying to stick it, you know, closer to the original because that's what people are more familiar with. And if you want to replace the manual you know, print it out and actually replace the physical manual. I mean, I think most people use this as a PDF because you can do searches and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But he did do some, not all of it. So some of this is being done brand new. I don't know if Jay's doing uh, scans to get the text in there the first time, so it's a lot less typing, mm. or if he's just doing it, you know, more generically. Cool. But, yeah, it's 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 huge. Thank you, you, Jay, here, and everybody else. It's here. awesome. It's nice that you have the text set for older eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's the nice thing about PDF. Zoom it up as much as you I, want. I don't know if we've right. touched on this, but I'll just mention it briefly. I'm not trying to blow any horns here, but you know, a lot of what we're doing when we we're in the retro hobbies, we're celebrating the past, right? We're celebrating history. We're trying to keep old memories alive and old technology alive. But at the same time, the things that we're doing right now. There are going to be people in future generations where we are kind of, while we're celebrating the past and the history of the Coco, we are also creating future history for the Coco right now with everything yep. that we're doing. So just think about somebody 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that are going to be looking at what we're doing now. So the things we're doing now, we are contributing to the future history of the color computer. Rather than just celebrating the past history, we're also creating future history, which is kind of cool. Right? So. Yeah, very yeah. cool. And I, I've mm. seen some like people that have written utilities that are just getting back Nitrous Nine or Basic Nine, and they 
like there was one, I think the guy's name was Charlie. He wrote something to do a wildcard attribute change. So if you want to go into a directory and set the execution attribute on every file, because when you imported it, it shut them all off or whatever. And he actually did it the old fashioned way where he forked a shell that ran the attribute command. Well, one of the hidden features in RBF, and this has been back from the Tandy days, is there's a system called to do that for you. It was never in the manual. Well, we've added it in and now he can actually change his program. So it's faster. It's easier. It takes less RAM. Well, how did you find that out? Well, that was part of Nitrosun. We disassembled the entire operating system. So we would go through and make notes. Oh, this, I've never seen this mentioned before, and it does this. Cool. Well, were so you we, able to tell him about that so he could yes. do it? Oh. Yep. And then now it's actually in this new manual, too, so anybody can look it up and, and do it. So like this section I'm showing here, right here, the, the whole VRN virtual IRQ, this is used by Flight Sim 2 and King's Quest 3, old series games, basically. Um, this was all new stuff that they did and was included in those games, but wasn't in the original. And then Bruce Eisted around 1990, and this was part of the level two version three upgrade that Tandy never released. He actually made a driver to make it easier for normal programmers to use it and give you the options of using all the features of both of those, because they were a little bit different. And then he had decided, well, what the heck, I might as well extend it. He added some new features that neither of the Sierra or the Flight Sim 2 versions had. But none of that's been documented except for a very brief doc he did with the upload. And if you didn't see that upload, even though it's built into Nitrous 9 and has been since, you know, 1993, the documentation for it didn't come with Nitrous 9. So unless you knew to go look for it, you'd never know that stuff existed or how to use it. So we've added that into the basic manual. So you've got this whole chapter on the whole VRN RAM driver, nil driver stuff here. So um, you used to work for Microware, right? Me? No. No. Okay. Jet so, Jet do you ever? Um, James Jones did. Who do you go to if if you need more information or you're stuck on something? You just figure it out, or do you? Yeah, we just figure it out. I mean, the, the nice thing about having multiple people working on, it, like Bill Noble's working on it, I'm working on it. Back, we also you know had Wes Gale and Alan Decock. If any one of us just couldn't figure something out, we just mentioned it to somebody else. I can't figure this out. Can you take a look and try to figure this out? And sometimes just having that fresh eyes, they go, "Oh, it's obviously doing this," and then you feel like an idiot. But at least you got it solved. So. <laughs> All those times you felt yes. like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> That's every day for me. So. Yeah. <laughs> Please, not on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Sure. Um, on the download site for uh, ease of use, where Beta 6 will be released before Christmas, um, I've got a link to. All I want for Christmas <laughs> is Beta 6. All right. So I've got the, a, a separate link on that page to go to the documentation page, which has the update notes for every single release of EOU, EOU, like the Alpha 1 through 3, Beta 1 through 5, soon it'll be Beta 6. And then the manual's up near the top. Plus, we've got the VED manual for the text editor. Uh, beginner's documentation, which is generic to any version of EOU, which is basically how do you get it installed in SDC, how do you run it in VCC, how do you run it in MAME. Um, so that's a nice little separate page that has all that kind of stuff on it too. So anyway, what are we working on? We're working, like I said, working on the commands reference now. That's going to be a huge one. That's going to be months and months. Um, plus, I'm trying to get beta six done now. We're our deadline right now is that at the end of November is a cutoff for new features, and then from December first through December twenty fourth, if needed, maybe we'll get it out earlier. Is basically bug fixes and documentation updates of for that particular release. So, so uh, let me ask you. Um, Maybe I'm just dumb or whatever, but when you you have a list of all these commands, do you ever make new ones? Yes. Or you do? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Even because the technical reference, like the API calls, the system calls, as they're called in OS9 parlance, we've added new ones there. Uh, we added a new main one called Mod Disk, which is uh, used in the new G Shell in Beta 5. And that's how you can launch VDG programs directly without having to write some you know weird launcher program. And then system calls like the get stats, that's that calls, we've added dozens. 
Hmm. Yeah, and we've added features to existing ones. We've added, you know, if you do this certain register with this certain setting, you can add in something new that wasn't there before. Yeah. Yet so it's still backwards compatible, so it doesn't break the old software. So to this is a living operating system. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. more alive today than it's probably ever been in its entire <clears> life right now, for what it sounds like. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, it would be at least equal to what uh, the version three upgrade people were doing in the late '80s, early '90s. It it, it matches, you know, yeah. between Power Boost by Chris Burke and, and Nitrous Nine by the you know the four of us back <laughs> in the mid '90s. Have you ever been interviewed by others, other uh, computer systems, asking you all about this stuff because it's unique to any system, isn't it? Um, no, there I mean, there's, there's still development like on other platforms, too. Like, you know, GEOS, I think, is still getting some work done on the Commodore 64. I know Amiga has still got, you know, their DOS is, or operating system is still getting updated. But yeah, but which ones are paths. dynamic and bigger and neater? <laughs> this no, one, no they're trying to do the same thing. I mean, the Amiga's been adding, like, PowerPC support and, you know, all kinds of things, too. So I, I, it's a, we're not unique in that way. No, um, but I think it's a worthy enough project that other people should know about it. So to, to get to no, I agree with that, point. too. And yeah. as far as an 8-bit system goes, I think this is probably the most advanced one. Except oh, yeah. I would. Well, actually, probably is probably one of the most advanced yeah. ones, period. Yeah. I can't think of any other one doing, you know, preemptive multitasking. Multi yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm thinking about when yeah. I say that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, eventually, I, once, once we get Beta 6 out and I take a bit of a breather from doing that and doing the manuals... I, I do want to get onto that video series about using Nitrous Nine in general, and also Basic Nine programming in general too. That's so. cool. I, I would <laughs> like I would like to take a brief moment here to do some moderation. Um, we are it's almost five thirty. I, I I don't know how much news you have left, Curtis, but I'd kind of like much. to end the show by six o'clock. So just bear that in mind because we still have to do project updates and acquisitions and things like that. So if we could try to, I got two um, stories left. That'll tell um, you. just bear that in mind. We got a little bit more to get through. Um, well, three, I guess you get that one little bonus yeah. one. But, but no, I think that's a good point, Ron. I mean, it is, it's definitely a worthy project that I think more people should be aware of. Yeah. Hmm. And we're the, like uh, the one change we're doing ease of use versus any of the previous versions of Nitrogen, whether it was done by Boise and all of them during the 2000s or by us in the 90s. We were focusing back then, and I think Boise was doing the same. They're fo focusing on the programmers and the diehards. Like they were adding features like DriveWire and stuff to make it better for the programmers and stuff to be able to develop projects. Nobody has really been concentrating on doing that for somebody that's new to the Cocoa or new to OS9 in general and just wants to learn how it works and make it easier to use. And that's one thing we're concentrating on both now. We're doing trying to make it easier to use. And I think, Ron, you can attest. Well, there's... You know, yeah, Pre-setting up multi-view with everything is a lot easier than trying to install stuff yourself. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of people that are out there that are coming into the Cocoa and looking at the probably VCC and and then when they find out there's OS nine, they ask if it's uh, anything like Unix or whatever, because or Linux, because they've had some, you know, experience with it, right? I mean, does that come up? Yeah, and I mean, the Linux people generally get OS nine pretty easily because there's a lot of similarities. I mean, they're not identical, obviously. If you want that, you go to Fusix, but um, well, but for people like yourself who just want to run programs and see what yeah. could the Cocoa do. There wasn't really a distribution meant for you unless you downloaded a disk with one app on it that was dedicated to that and was set up specifically for that app and you'd right. run it. And then if you want to switch an app, shut your computer off, reboot the whole thing. Yeah. And we've been trying to get past that point, making it more like a monitoring op system. You know, double click and launch this and go to another window and launch something yeah. else. And it's like that now. Yeah. Except so yeah, every OS needs a killer app and Nitrous 09's killer app might be multi-view. Yeah, really. I, I you I, make multi-view nice enough then 
that makes OS nine work. Yeah. Yep. The fact we got Nick Morenis to run it for more than five minutes before he rage quits is just a huge, <laughs> huge boost. <laughs> 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 well, Normally, he would fire it up when in early testing. He'd fire it up and then he'd, he'd see his trash can and go, "God, that looks good," and then he'd quit. And now he's lasting a few minutes longer. James, you're about to say something. Yes. Part of you the mean there's more about making uh, something for for regular users is is exactly that about the limitations on storage. You can't really have something set up to run any old application you want when you don't have enough space to keep them all on at one time. That's fixed now. Yeah, the yes. fact that we have the SDC, and even when we started getting hard drives, it became at least possible. Because trying to run my OS9 on a floppy drive, even if you had a 720K, which helped somewhat, was not the greatest experience for a, a new user, especially. Well, there's nothing like having a, a your Cocoa One, and you put Nitrous 09 floppy in there, and bring it up, and then you go, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got an OS9 prompt, like, no idea. And they had so little space left over, they couldn't even put the dirt command on there, so you take dirt right. and just goes error. So you have no idea what you can have on there. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the, the Cocoa SDC is the thing that actually mainly instigated this project, because now we had something that was cheap. And everybody has multiple it. hard drive images. Almost everybody has it. Even back then, there was like 800, now there's 1,500 sold. Um but it was it was easy. You would just you would load it up and go. And it, because it's on an SD card, you can download it on your PC and blast it. Like even with hard drives back in the day, you still had to send out floppies or something else to copy everything over, make sure it went to the right folders and right directory, set the attributes right so it runs properly. There's a ton of technical crap that you had to worry about to get stuff on. I mean, Rick, you're familiar with that because you had your OS9 beginners column and six to eight micros and you you know a year or two later you'd have to repeat a lot of the same stuff because some new subscribers would get in they, they didn't read your old ones and they had no idea what they're doing so what do you do and you have to keep repeating and repeating exactly hopefully right with, <laughs> hopefully with ease of use we're avoiding that and you can just jump right in because it's are, double are, click like you're used to on a modern os are you going to do something for like the next uh coco fest maybe uh be a speaker and talk about it yeah actually i, I was planning on doing it this year actually trying to to go over the kind of easy use, you know, not just demonstrating, but, you know, stating our goals, where we're planning and taking yeah. in the future, et cetera. So, yeah, I'm, we are planning on doing that. Great. Okay. All right. More news. Anyway. Yeah. Enough of that. Toot my own horn too much. Okay. <laughs> this one's from, um, I think it's AC's. Yeah. AC's 8-Bit Zone. So, he mentioned on his previous video, and he started doing stuff with Septandi, and, and, and he's just kept right on going. So he had one of his viewers write in. He says he's got a Cocoa 2. He's had it for years, and it just doesn't work properly anymore. So he agreed to take on trying to fix it. And this is a part one video. So he uh, basically gets this Cocoa 2, and when he fires it up, he does get a green screen. But nothing else comes up except occasionally he'll get all this weird... Looked like for a moment it was going to be a little bit different, but still just all green. All of a sudden, you get stuff like that. Okay. That's weird. That's weird. Ram. Reset. Yep. I'd say Ram too. You got a gimme. You got no CPU. So he's he's actually in the chat. So this is this is going to be a multi-parter. So he goes through and he first he decides to check all the power to all the chips to make sure that like the power isn't suddenly getting cut off at a certain chip, and that's mm -hmm. why it's screwing up. Some chips are firing up, some aren't. So by the end of this video, the power connections to every chip, RAM, ROM, CPU, SAM, VDG, et cetera, et cetera, is all working. He's getting his five volts to everywhere it's supposed to be going. So part two is when he actually starts going through the specific chips and checking things out. So that one's not quite out yet. Uh, if he's in the chat still, he can mention when it's planning on being released. Um, 
but it's it's good because it, this this video shows you types of things you maybe should check for if you have a dead cocoa. So if you're not familiar with the cocoa and you're wondering like what if I put this you know scope on here and, and read this, you know what's the voltage on a meter? So it kind of goes through things that you should check for and what they should be when you're running them through. So for people that are newer to hardware stuff, this is actually a pretty good video on, on debugging a Cocoa 2 and part two will go you know further into it until he solves the problem. And actually a dead Cocoa is a rare one because I don't Yeah, have actually any. the Cocoa's generally last pretty good. Mm. I don't have any dead ones. Hey, next up here, John Whitworth is starting a second batch of boards for the MSX2 Plus. This was developed for the Dragon market and features some of the chips from the MSX, including the sound chip and the sprite chip. We've demonstrated some of Parasurat's uh, AGD engine ports using this. When, you know, adds the is extra this what like, the Word Pack 2, also what they're calling it? Well, this is beyond that. This is the one where we remember the AGD games that were 16 color. Yeah, but real I thought that was what stuff. was called the Word Pack 2 that, had, that was doing all this. Uh, no, the Word Pack? Yeah. Uh, not that important. I, th I thought that was a slightly different one with not quite as many features, but maybe I'm okay. remembering one. Maybe that's an alternate name. Oh, AC says that part two will be coming out this week. It's ready and just waiting for the right timing. Okay. So yeah, that's what the board looks like. This will work on Coco's or on the Dragon. Parasurat's been actually doing more ports, I guess, to it from what he was describing here. So I know he's been porting the AGD games over, but I don't know if he's continuing AGD or if he's actually updating some other commercial games. We'll have to ask Per about that or see what he announces in the next little while. But it's pretty cool seeing, you know, 16 colors and real hardware sprites and real sound chips running on a Coco 1 Tour, right? Mm -hmm. So is that Coco 3-ish? Um, in some ways, it goes beyond. I mean, we don't, we never have a sprite chip in a Coco 3. You have to do it in software. This is all hardware-based. Yeah, I imagine the, the graphics output is, is like through composite out or something, right? It's not... Yeah. Because yeah. as he mentions here, it contains... Let's highlight this parts here. So it's got the V9958 graphics chip that the MSX2 Plus had. Okay. It has 120K of video RAM. Wow. I mean, the Coco itself only has 64K of RAM. And that <laughs> could be extended up to 192K if you wanted to. And then he's also got the uh, YM2149 sound generator, which is based on the old ARY, but is more suited to the MSX chips. So it's basically a sound and a sprite graphics extended card all in one for a Coco 1 2 or a Dragon. Wow. That's cool. And the last one here, this is not in my notes, so we won't be able to post the link, but he's posted this in Discord originally, and then he was also posted in Facebook. But Erico decided for Halloween to make a little low-res semi-graphics trick or tandy. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Erico is doing some really cool stuff in the semi-graphics space, just really pushing those Yeah, it's like, a, it's, it's like a semi-graphics renaissance. Yeah, yeah. Right? Literally. Yeah. And that's it for the news. All right. Ta-da! That's cool. All right, so uh, yeah, I, I would like to try to. And, um, so here's my here's my dilemma, and then I don't know if Mark Bosley wants to pick up the stream. If you guys want to keep talking, I would like to be done in 20 minutes because we're cooking tacos here tonight, and my I have priorities. Um, we don't we don't care about these tacos, actually. <laughs> so so I'm hey, only, Mexican. This is not taco talk. No, so I want to be able to. Talk. I want to be able to relinquish my streaming uh, capabilities in the next 20 minutes. But if you guys want to talk longer, and Mark Bosley wants to pick up the stream, that's up to you guys. Or do you think we can finish our project updates and acquisitions and stuff in the next 20 minutes? Oh, we could crap on all day. Why don't we try it? <laughs> All right. Well, we're just going to keep rolling then. We're not going to take a break or anything. Um, I know, Ron, we have shown some share. of your artwork, but you wanted to, you said you wanted to show some stuff off. Yeah. So uh, you should be able to share. Okay. 
And here. Now, Nick Marinti's like this picture. Sean Connery, yes. Yes, yes, yes. it's Sean, Sean Connery. passed away here at the age of 90. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, that's, like that's, that's, that's really good, Ron Dilfo. And then yes. we have uh, Fletcher. Yes, Fletcher. Ooh, Fletcher's moonlighting job. Stunning, yes. <laughs> Just shit here and tell yes, us what you really think. Fletcher. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, yes, the Coco VGA. Yes, I got this out and uh, cleaned it up and uh, put it together. I have that all my machines. All my machines are working everywhere in the house, outside, everywhere. And Happy they are hour. everywhere. Mm. Yes. Yes. Happy yeah, Halloween. That, yes. that was uh, that was my Halloween money penner. Yes. Yeah, I did uh, three pumpkins. One in uh, VG6. For the Coco VGA V6. Okay, that looks cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I did one. Uh, well, here they all are. And then I've got this one in uh, H load um, graphics program that brings it up in composite. Wow, that is incredible with all the light yeah. reflection off that. You use there. you use your um, joystick and you can see the whole screen. Do you scroll across the picture? Mm-hmm. And um, that's the one that Robert Galtz made. And then um, there's the H uh, High Color 2 version. Stock now, Masters, right? Yeah, on this, uh, it's a little stretched because uh, the, um, I have, uh, um, yeah, I have the, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, you might want to close your little chat windows you have down there. I don't think it's it the switcheroo. Yeah, close your little chat that, windows there. So, I have the switcheroo, uh, and the switcheroo makes the um, aspect ratio change, so it's taller yeah. than it should be. You guys get that happening? I can't. I can't reach stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> um, I did this Happy Halloween last year. I drew a picture of the um, TP CGP one on five. Okay. I did That's the, the color toilet paper generator. Go ahead. The ease of yeah. use project. Yeah. Is of use. And I did the, um, what else is there? I don't know. My, my computer s stopped moving. Yeah. The, the new Facebook is a CPU pig. Let me just say that out loud. Yeah. I agree. So that's it. I'll stop there. Quality stuff there, Rondovo, as always. Yep. You designed a lot of, uh, redesigned a lot of the logos. Yeah, a lot of them okay. Look good. Yeah, you'll see all my stuff everywhere. I post it. I push it out everywhere. What? Okay. Who else has got some show and tell right now? Did it stop? Because I can't tell. Yeah, it stopped, okay. Ron. It stopped. Okay, good. Who else has got show and tell right now? Anyone? I got uh, a couple of things that actually tie into today's show, so I'd like yeah. to throw them out there quick if I could. Yeah, go ahead. Here. Uh, let's see. Can I make a screen happen? Uh, that screen won't work. Will that screen work? This screen? Share, please. Okay. I Doing think it's time. working. Okay. So this whole uh, Ron had mentioned things getting harder as you work older. And Curtis had mentioned manuals. So let's go there. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, this is what I knew. My memory was excellent. I could recite chapter and verse. I knew all of this stuff. And then I got an admin job. Oh, and then I had my side 
toys here from the Model One that's behind me Scripts on the set cassette. There. Ooh, disc payroll. Oh, we're 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 good to go, man. I got two copies of disc payroll. You want inventory to set up shop? control? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that that was my hobby. And then I got a job uh, to be an assisted man, so I had to learn these. Uh-huh, CCNA, so Postgres. I had, I had to pretty much know all of that stuff, and that was good. But then they had a uh, Oh, I see what system. went wrong because you've got Perl there. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, once we, you've I, programmed in Perl, it pretty much destroys everything else. <laughs> you can write Perl in a legible manner. It's not popular, and most people don't do it. I did, but uh, that's probably why I don't have a job anymore. Anyway, <laughs> they also had a legacy machine, a DG Eclipse, running uh, Infos, wow. which was their database system. If you remember Whoa. the Tracy Kidder Ghost of a New Machine, it was a big, it was the Eclipse 1. This was the cost-reduced Eclipse 2 version. I'll show you the hardware someday. It's kind of funny. They. They turned it into a, but anyway, I had to pick that up a little bit. I didn't have to memorize the whole manuals, but I had to kind of know what was where. So if we had to pull out the old machine, we could do that. And then they also, uh, they gave me this power PC AX. So this was my hot, my hobby was I tried to pick up AIX on this power PC because it was a, the coolest thing I had. Um, you know, my home PC was like a 486 or something. Um, but then, they switched to Solaris. This was the Holy main thing. Crap. I had to know all oh of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have so, that shit. Yeah, and they ran Solaris 2.5 all the way up until... This makes um, the Nitrous push- 9 project look like a freaking, uh, you know, summer <laughs> uh, summer camp. This is obviously the ease of use version, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> that, pushed oh, yeah. all, that pushed all the other stuff out, did it? <laughs> well, you know, we're still going. Then they moved to Linux, which doesn't have no stinking manuals. So you just have to memorize it all because there isn't nothing written down. You can't figure out, I have to look in book six because there ain't no stinking book six. You just remember it. So uh, Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) (laughs) The manual for Linux is use your favorite search engine. Okay, well, so then I quit my job and supposedly semi-retired, although I still have a day job that takes 50 hours a week. But... uh, now I had to learn KiCad, which also has no stinking manual and <laughs> be about as big as this. And then in the wings, I found this. Ah, I used to have these too. OS9. Uh, OS9000, right? OS9000. And then there is an OSK in hmm. here somewhere. Ultra and C. I, is that a vitamin Ultra I, C? <laughs> yeah, supposedly. <laughs> I lost the software, though. I have all the manuals. Mm. I have a stupid yeah. one CD. This is OS 9000 that was for the Intel. This is one we ran at work for a while on 386 and 46 machines. Yes, and the Ultra C and OS 9000 was Intel-based. And like I say, I've got a, I've got a uh, Delmar 5 that I found, but I, I'm trying to get all my OSK stuff together because I want to play with this stuff. But anyway... After all that, I can't remember shit. <laughs> Actually, I would say one thing. But James? Uh, I would say one thing. Um, Ultra C is not uh, 386 or Intel specific. Uh, believe me, I had a hand in the PowerPC. Um, oh, yeah, Deck Alpha and stuff too, that's right. 
Oh, is yeah. that the actual OSK thing the, then? The, it... power, the PowerPC backend, uh, a, a backend for 68,000, 68XX, uh, XXX processors. Um, there was also ARM, early version of ARM, um, let's see, MIPS and SH, SH3, which isn't all that well known in the United States, I think. Uh, but yeah, I forgot. OS nine thousand was actually cross platform. That was one on a bunch of different CPU architectures. Yeah, yeah. We we went to the trouble of writing a Graham Glanville code generator generator and things of that sort. So, anyway. wow. Yeah. Cool. I, I guess I should stipulate we had the x eighty six version, but yeah, there was definitely multiple platforms. Right. So I would like to get that going just because it's something I've got and haven't played with yet after all these years. So cool. that's my bit. Cool. All right. Uh, Brian Weasel, you think you think you said you had something you wanted to share? I got a couple books. I just wanted to I can show real quick here. Mm-hmm. Um, the book man picked up. Uh, I got this man, uh, the, uh, the service manual uh, for the, the Coco three NTS and oh, PAL cool. version. So I was, it's in really good shape. So I was kind of glad to get that one. That's and neat. then um, also got this one here. Uh, Curtis might like this one. Uh, inside OS 9 Level 2, the inside story for OS 9. Kevin Darling? Andy Keller Computer 3. Yep, Kevin Darling. Yep. So. My, my copy is so worn that pages are falling out, half the cover is missing. <laughs> Bill Noble and I use that so much in developing Nitrous 9. There you go. And then, um, and then I also got this one here. It's the start of OS 9. This is a Paul K. Ward book. I, I think this one's out on the archive as well. I got this one here. It was kind of neat. It's just a, but it's also an enjoyable hands-on guide to OS nine level two on the color computer, color computer three. Yeah, and Paul Ward's the guy behind the MM one. Just for people who don't know, what I thought was kind of interesting on the preface here, it says uh, you're holding the only hands-on introduction to OS nine level two. It differs from preceding books on OS nine level two because it is written for intelligent beginners. So I thought that was kind of... <laughs> That's an oxymoron. That kind of That's a complete oxymoron. <laughs> I don't know why that kind of caught me kind of kind of funny there. No, that's, an idiot, just, that's an idiot with a welder, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, lastly here, um, pick up some more uh, I'm a Coconut uh, merchandise here because you can never have enough here. So oh, a mouse pad. Got myself a mouse pad, and I also got myself a black mug here for some more coffee drinking. So. Oh. So, yeah, that's all I got. The coffee mug should help get through the Start OS 9 book. There you go. <laughs> as long as you use espresso, sure. Did that Xenomorph just eat a small block Chevy, or what happened there? What's that? <laughs> oh, Alan's. Yeah, the Xenomorph, it has a crank. That's his tongue. It's his mouth sticking, <laughs> his tongue sticking out of his mouth. Oh, it looks like part of a Chevy. Ah, okay. Yeah. Could be. That's where they break. In his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole part guy. I know that. Does uh, I was a, micro, a microphone stand? Anybody else have a uh, something to update to share? How about you, Paul? What's going on, Paul? Uh, well, I'm working on one of these little tiny boards that looks like this. It's basically a 16550 with a CPLD. I'm converting it to a TTL decoding, and I'll have two. 16550s on same size. So that's a serial port, right? Yes. I had a 
good driver for it, but it does work. And it works up to 1.5 meg if you want to go that fast. Wow. That's an interesting Coco keyboard there. Hmm. Yeah, that's one of those Red Dragon keyboards that I bought from Amazon and then rewired it. Basically ripped the whole PCB off the back of the thing and rewired the whole keyboard. What color wires did you use? Including your... <laughs> oh, they're all gray. <laughs> it was all I had at the time. Uh, you had that rainbow roll. You could have used that and made it look real pretty. <laughs> no, I just got the rainbow Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I used on mine. I used the rainbow yeah. stuff. For my what I'd love to do is uh, punch a new panel and so I can rearrange the keys in the more... There's Coco only two things out. recognizable from here. Your CM8 and the SDC. Yeah. <laughs> everything else is... Uh, yeah, everything else is handmade. So I got a hard drive controller, a 6551A, uh, but I think my yard is dead. It won't work anymore. And I only had one of those, so... So what do you do with your um, your serial port? Uh, I just right now I'm just testing it just with Linux. I use Minicom, so I'm just checking it out, make sure it does function. You want to see how fast it goes? I haven't been able to get it to go both directions yet. It's addressed at the same place as the standard UART port, but I just haven't had time to fiddle with it more than that. I do have one uh, brief thing to show. I don't know if anybody else has anything to show or not. But, uh, sure. Um, I showed this once before, but I had not been um, able to, um, to uh, test it. So what I have, which this was sent to me from Malfunct, who is um, Scott Went in our group, but this is an Arduino. Arduino? Is it Arduino? Arduino? I'm not sure. Arduino. 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 Arduino pronounce. And this is basically something he designed where you plug in an Xbox 360 controller into this USB port here in the center. You give it power with a USB A to B cable. And on the back, it's got a, a five-pin DIN. And I'm just using basically a Commodore serial cable. But so I take five-pin DIN out to another five-pin DIN, and you plug into your Coco. And then I can use an Xbox 360 controller on my color computer. Now, I know a lot of us are going the other way now, where we're doing Coco to USB, where you can use a Coco controller on, like, a Raspberry Pi or on your emulator. This is now taking a modern controller and converting it to work on a real Coco. And so it's something that's got came up with i don't think he's planning on producing or selling these but he made one what, for what himself. do they what do they call it a rin tin din <laughs> i'm not sure but um so I, I was able to try this out yesterday and it works i was trying it before with an xbox one joystick controller and, and then it got a hold of scott in the discord and it's only designed for the xbox 360 which i happen to have one of too so um the thing about using like an Xbox 360 controller, uh, which I've done in uh, emulators, is that even though it's an analog thumbstick, when you try to hit the corners, it doesn't.
doesn't get to the full zeros or the full 63s. Like if you imagine oh. the the grid as a square, it's kind of like a circle inside the square and you can't seem to reach those corners with the Xbox controller in an emulator. But whatever he's done in his software in the Arduino, it, he's able. we're able to read all the values. So I've got my little basic program that lets me read 0 through 63 and show me where I am so on So are you going to go above level 1 on most every game? Ah, well, the, it depends on the game. <laughs> so like I tried, I tried using it on Poltergeist, and I found that because it's kind of like... The nice thing about the Black and Beauty is you can go from 0 to 63 in a millisecond. You can just whip it to the side, and then the value is there. In this one, you're kind of fighting the resistance of the stick so you can't get quick movements right so there are some things that a black beauty is still very well suited to because it's very fluid and it's very quick you can just whip that stick to either side and get to the position you need to get to whereas with the xbox 360 stick even though it is analog it is kind of self-centering and kind of spring-loaded and there's some friction resistance to moving it so you can't zip to locations like you can. You can get the same level of, of granular movement, but not the, f- the speed and fluidity of it. So it would work well on some games, but not others. But the other thing too, is that the, the D-pad on the Xbox 360 controller is also read at the same time as a digital controller. So it is a analog and digital controller. And it also reads all four buttons from the Xbox 360 controller. So you get your two buttons for your two sticks. So there's a lot of cool features in here. And for certain games, this will work very well. But for some games like Poltergeist, um, it didn't work well enough for me. And Poltergeist is just a bitch of a game no matter what. So, um, <laughs> is it under, you know, under, under 300 uh, to, to buy it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's going to sell for. He actually sent me one because uh, we were we were talking about this on, in Discord. When he was working on it, he was sharing some ideas with me. And so he sent me one. I guess kind of as just a gift, um, but I don't think he's ever planning on producing them or selling them. But I think he would make. I think he's got it like as a project where he could do it open source or something. So, you know, uh, it's interesting as to your corner detection. A lot of the work I've done with high res interfaces recently, they have a lot of overscan. I mean, we're talking ten percent each side, hmm. and maybe that's something that these creators might want to look at. So that you don't have to go side to side to get a zero to max output. Mm. That squares up the corners. Dandy did it. <laughs> mm. sure. Steve, actually, they're kind of along the same lines here. Like, I'm going to be releasing a preview of Beta 6 here to the people that are normally in our beta group for EOU to test GemQuest. Now, GemQuest is a game that was actually set up to play with a floating Black Beauty. Okay. So he has left, right, up, down as 0 and 63 only. It has to be those values is how he originally programmed it, which, of course, even on some emulators doesn't work properly and on other joysticks, as you mentioned. So I've changed it to do the first four positions in each direction and anything else in the middle of that, the other 56 positions is you're centered because you're basically trying to run and right. stop before you fall right. off the platform. Right. Uh, since you're actually testing that with his, um, would you like to be included on the beta yeah. 6 beta? And I'll yeah. send you that and you guys can try GemQuest. Yeah, don't ask me to weekend. read that freaking manual, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'll be sending out this weekend to the beta testers. There's about a dozen of people on there. I'll add you the list and uh, you can test it with that particular controller. It'd be interesting to see what it, what it does. Yeah, cool. All right, well, let's put a fork in this episode so I can get ready to start eating my tacos, man. Um, <laughs> now, Curtis, you had mentioned that maybe doing a uh, adventure game playthrough like Black Sanctum or something like that. So if I'm not in a food coma and anybody else is willing to do that tonight, anybody free later this evening for 
keep keeping the Halloween theme going and doing doing some type of semi spooky cocoa stream this evening. Yeah, I should be available. All right, so we can we'll 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 tentatively plan on doing that. So that's a definite possible maybe. Um, (laughs) All right, excellent. Uh, Any final thoughts, parting thoughts from anyone? 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 Nothing like being decisively indecisive. Absolutely consistent. (laughs) I got a question about uh, maybe you know this, Steve. You know the new version of uh, uh, the uh, RPI three. The Raspberry Pi? Yeah. Or the Cocoa Pi or whatever? Yeah. Do you have to have 64 meg um, card now? Because it's like 32. Mm, No, I don't think so. Um, I know there were some issues with the image sizes not expanding depending on who made your SD card. Mm -hmm. I thought with the new image we had gotten past all that, and I'd have to try it again. Um, So I I I just downloaded the newest one, and it looks like it's... It's designed yeah, for a 32 gig. Well, so what's supposed to happen is it's supposed to you burn the image to your SD card. It should not eat up all the SD card, and then once you boot up, you run the menu within the Raspberry Pi to expand the file system to take up right. the space. I think some people were having problems to where they couldn't even extract the entire image to the SD card to begin with. But I, I, I those those issues should not exist. But I can't say okay. with 100% certainty that some people still aren't having that problem. And so I, it should still work on a 32. It should. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But I wonder you. if some of the SD cards maybe just a few bytes short. Yeah, it could be. It could, it could be that, you know. But um, but also it had to do with just packing that image down. And I know Ron Klein did some work to make sure that the core images will, were packed down pretty tight. Will Will the Raspberry Pi take a sixty four? Oh yeah. Card? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's just easier to get a sixty four. It is. Card. But if something's designed for thirty two, it should fit on a thirty two. And if it's not, it kind of needs to be addressed in the grand scheme of things. Okay. Um, Thank you. Yes. Well, for the, there have been a number of us who were here before who are not here now, and I only mean that they just left the panel. They haven't left the earth or anything. But yeah. So, but we'll just acknowledge <laughs> those left on the panel itself. So mm-hmm. David O'Connor still trapped in the CRT. We have not been able to raise enough money to, to get David out. I, I David, I have a feeling nobody gives a shit. To be honest with you, you're stuck, dude. So. Yeah, I think you might be right there. You know, it's, it's what the story of my life. I just checked my balance. I've got zero Fs to give on this matter. So yeah. So. <laughs> Stevie, yeah, I don't know if you. I'm a fresh air for this one. Yeah, yeah. Stevie, I don't know if you saw this, but if you look in the Cocoa Talk lobby and Discord, uh, Ben Drake's put up a really cool uh, cartoon of you. Uh oh, let's take a look at that right now. <laughs> They, my inner narcissist is really curious. Coco Talk Lobby, is it? <laughs> yeah. All right. A cool cartoon <laughs> of me. More Coco Talk tacos. <laughs> uh, to me, to me, there's 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 no confusion on what to do there. It's totally tacos, dude. So <laughs> that's awesome. Welcome to Taco Talk. Welcome to Taco Talk. Yeah, yes. that's it. Yeah. I'm glad we don't have smell o vision. <laughs> oh yeah, it would start rolling into your screen, right? Oh yeah, you Alan Murphy, that. the Xenomorph. Thank you for being here. Uh, yes, thank you, guys. Al Curtis Boyle, thank you for the news and the game on news and for Nitrous 9 and for the Nitrous 9 manual and to JS. Yeah. And for those of you that. in the uh, the beta group here, expect uh, one for testing GemQuest specifically here within the day. Yeah. Ooh. Paul T. Barton, thanks for being here. Rob Inman. Rob, uh, you on, you're on deck to stream next week, right? I am ready and willing. So we have a special guest streamer next week, Rob Inman. That's everybody. right. 
And Chet Simpson, thanks for being here. Yep, yep. Rick Eulen, thank you, thank you. Ron Delvaux has been full yes. of questions. Ron, you're just like a kid in the candy store. You have yeah, such an inquiring mind. You're asking them questions. You just want to know, and that's awesome. Hey, download your pumpkins, huh? Yes, that's true. Hey, you already done that. Mark Bosley, <laughs> thank you for being here. Uh, you're welcome. And Nick Morentes, thank you for another fine quality product. I'll be placing my order after tacos. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I'm making, I'm making you can wait there. He needs to I'm, be fed. I, you know, I'm on my way to the uh, to buy a car. Actually, there's yeah. uh, in the toy, <laughs> the toy lane of, to- of Toy World. <laughs> yeah, tacos or pipes? Let's see here. <laughs> well, I'll be clogging my pipes with taco remnants later on. So, um, and James Steve, Jones, uh, special guest James Jones. Thanks for. Uh, for stopping by. We'll, we'll have a formal session with you, hopefully in the near future. Thank you. It's been fun, gentlemen, and I'll be back. Yes, and, and cool. every, everybody right. in the live chat, Rob Inman, Explore VR, Frodo, and 60, and Kevin Holloway, and Nimble, and 60, and Frodo, and Brian Weasler's posting the links for us. Rob Inman, Nimble, Bob, uh, Brigmar 71 and uh, AC's 8-Bit Zone. Retro Innovations was out there. And Frodo and Stooge Fan and Rob Inman and Ken Reichert and Tim Franklin and Jim Rye. Uh, So many people in the live chat. Too many to count, but you guys know who you are. You know who you are. Jones called us gentlemen. Gentlemen. Wow. What's that? (laughs) He's seen the show. He's seen the show. He knows better. All right. Uh, we're going to play the outro and then uh, we're going to put a fork in this thing here, right? All right, how do I share screens? There's the sharing of the screens. Cue outro. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marenkis, Ron Delvaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Stegney, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. Please help support the Coco community 
by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. We must say it thrice. That's right. That was Nick Marotta, ladies and gentlemen. I also forgot to acknowledge Canadian Retro Things was in the live chat, too. A lot of people in the live chat. Thanks, guys, for being here every week. Um, and, yeah, my internet was holding up, so I had some internet issues in the past. So hopefully that's been good. No hiccups. That's good. No runs, no drips, no errors. Ron Delvo digging in his ear. Did you find anything good in there, Ron? I got it. You got it. Excellent. All right. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 We're pressing the button.